been chasing your monsters and they've been driving you bonkers just lightning with rocket launchers of light to blow what they conscious if you really want to juxtapose and take a darker color with the blush of rose and then you put it in your ink and watch it go your mind is always open when your eyes are closed because you're blind to color and you're blind to greed blind to all the things that you don't need and you find a mind and then you plant a seed then you nourish it a little you're let it free you're building it up and breaking it down Sound. I live in the now, the sky's my home and I live in the clouds Now I'm never bound forever, making a change and making it better November 2020 from the Troy Lee Design Saloon in Corona, California Welcome to the Whiskey Throttle Show everybody, I'm your host David Pingree And with me as always Grant Langston, Donnie Bales, the rest of the team here And we've got with us the 1998 125 East Supercross Champ 88 88, what'd I say? Hell, I wish it was 98 98, <laughs> uh, I gave you an extra 10 years <laughs> Yeah uh, 88. Uh, he's also a mem member of the Michigan Mafia, one of the original members, probably. Uh, journeyman motocross legend Todd DeHoop is with us. Todd, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure. It's uh, great to be here with a world champion and a and a and a fantastic <laughs> human being, a, a firefighter that is uh, uh, serves us uh, uh, right. very well, well and all that. Right. And then Donnie over there doing a um, fantastic job on uh, producing the show. See, so. finally somebody says yeah. I did something fantastic. Yeah, just don't ask about why the TV's not working today. Uh, <laughs> got COVID. It got COVID, apparently. So um, we are in Corona. We're looking forward to getting into your stuff, but we got to hit some of our sponsors first, get into our uh, first segment here. So glad you're up here to join us for that. Uh, starting with the Yamaha, we wouldn't be here without, without those guys. If you're looking for a motorcycle, a side-by-side, -side, a quad, a generator, a piano, please look to Yamaha. These guys make quality products across the board, and uh, they're a big supporter of our show. We wouldn't be here without those guys. So thank you to Yamaha PowerDot. Get over there and check out that new unit if you are somebody who's... Well, even if you're not an athlete, uh, these things, you can put them on massage mode and really change your life, especially right now when you can't go get a massage. 20% uh, off on a PowerDot unit using the code Whiskey Throttle. Good for injury recovery, injury prevention, injury maintenance, uh, or just a good time on your low back while you're having a beer watching TV. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you're sitting around doing nothing, PowerDot well athlete it. right here. Oh, yeah, oh, use yeah. them. Absolutely. All right, so you're yeah. a believer. Absolutely. Yeah, it keeps me young. It's proven technology, right? It's just you got to use it. Yeah, a absolutely. Lot of the guys. Well, I tell you what, I actually tore a labrum in my hip, and it actually helped uh, take the swelling down uh, on the uh, uh, the nerve, and it yeah. uh, you know made it all happen. Okay, so don't take it from us. Uh, take it from Todd right here. Twenty percent off using the code Whiskey Throttle at checkout on either a single or double unit. Uh, Method Race Wheels, another big partner of ours. They're going to bring you the front end chatter segment here in just a sec. Twenty percent off on a pair of wheels or a set of wheels if you go over there and use our code as well. That's a pretty big discount. Uh, Troyley Designs, we are stoked to have those guys a part of the show. Check out their full 2021 lineup. It is out now. Uh, lots of variation there. Some of the stuff's a little, a little out there, which Troy always seems to bring something weird. And then uh, very clean simple basic stuff which yeah. is sort of my speed but uh, they got it across the board and the safest helmet in the business so check those out if you're looking to protect yourself uh, SKDA these guys just make the coolest graphics there is period so check them out all kinds of cool stuff coming out with them uh, Adidas Shoes Pro Circuit we appreciate their support uh, looking forward to having Mitch on next month that'll be a lot of fun Dunlop Tires, big thank you to those guys the best tires in the business period Nihilo Concepts, they're giving you a free gift 
Uh, punch in our code with any purchase, you get a free gift from Nihilo Concepts. Uh, Fire Department Coffee, 20% off using the code Whiskey Throttle there as well. And remember, those guys are giving 10% of their proceeds to charities benefiting injured firemen. So uh, it's for a good cause. It's good coffee. You're going to drink coffee anyway, damn it. So just make it uh, one that supports motocross. See Concepts. Really good chatting with those guys last week a little bit and learning a little more about their products. If you're in the, in the uh, market for a seat, man, don't sleep on those guys. Great stuff. Specialized bicycles. Uh, just about anybody who's anybody in the sport trains on these things because they're, they're the best bikes made. And Ojo. Uh, backpacks, hydration systems, gear bags, helmet bags, all kinds of store, storage units. Check them out. Um, I've got a backpack theirs I've had for 20 some years is still brand new um, so thanks to all those sponsors they're the only reason we can come bring this show to you guys over and over um, get into our method race wheels front end chatter lightest strongest fastest wheels and off-road for your truck van sprinter UTV SUV whatever you got uh, I figured we'd chat a little bit about what brought you out here uh, we've been talking about having you on the show for a while but you came out for a Burnworth vintage event SoCal vintage uh, classic yeah it was uh it was a riot. It was a really good time. Um, he put on a really good event. Uh, I, you, know, you come out for these and you don't know what to expect because you're coming out and you don't know what bikes you're getting. You don't know if they're going to be any good. And, uh, you know, people say their, their stuff is good, but you don't know. I mean, yeah. you, your level of good is a different level than someone else. But uh, the track was, you know, for, for the first time that I've come out here, I mean, I came out here in 18 for the World Vet, and it was rough. Yeah. It was pretty bad. So this was a lot of fun. It was a lot smoother, and uh, I had a great time. And the bikes were really good. Oh, yeah. Who, who built them for you? <clears throat> uh, Gary Faxon. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah, okay. from, uh, you know, Faxon Racing. So he, uh, yeah, the, the Suzuki 125 that I rode, it was 87, uh, and it was, it was RM 125. Was, it was really good. It actually ran really well. Suspension handled really well, and it was very predictable. Um, yeah, I just twisted the throttle wide open and go. It was definitely wasn't riding a 450 up those yeah. hills, but, you know, it made it, it made it a lot more fun because you just, you just put a grin on your face and go for it. Well, it looked like you guys got lucky with weather. It was overcast. Yeah. The dirt actually looked like it stayed wet. I, I wasn't there, but yeah. it looks it, like you got lucky. Yeah, it was actually perfect. Um, it was fairly cool. Um, I mean, I guess it would be cool for you guys. And, and, you know, it was perfect weather for me. And I think it was uh, the track, you know, really didn't get dry at all. There wasn't any dust. They, I think they watered maybe once or twice, like towards the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it... Uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Well, it's always the risk of running anything at Glen Helen this time of year because you could have been racing in this weather. Right. If you guys hear banging and clunking around this building, the wind's blowing about 60 miles an hour today. So the Santa Ana The wind. roof is peeling off this place as yeah, we speak. Yeah, so where the girls, it's the first time we, were, we saw we were getting attacked by tumbleweeds on the freeway <laughs> on the way here, so it's pretty rare. I think that uh, the same wind that brought uh, took Dorothy's house is taking yeah. us down Yeah, there. it's blowing. How many Klauses did you ride on the weekend? Uh, three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you rode the 125. What else did you ride? I rode the 125 Expert uh, Vintage thing, and then I rode the 250 Expert Vintage thing on the 125 because um, uh, I had a 250 that the shock uh, malfunctioned. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, the uh, it was a little interesting riding that RM125 in the in the 250 class. So it was a little underpowered, but uh, I, I ended up getting second in, in uh, both motos uh, with Kurt Nicole beating me. So it, uh, I tried to keep him honest, but uh, he got about uh, straight away ahead of me. So, but uh, yeah, he had to work. He had to work for it, anyways. Hey, I want to say that it was actually shocking <clears throat> these fast guys 
how fast they were going on those vintage bikes. I couldn't believe it. I was like, hey, you got to give a shout out to our boy Brock Lover. Dude, he was Big, hauling the All ass. of you guys, I couldn't believe uh, how fast you guys ride those vintage bikes. I well, was Todd, I went out Todd there. I've watched ride several times, so yeah. I knew what to expect. Well, I didn't expect it on those, these. Well, you, you Listen, <clears throat> at the Vet Motocross Nations, I think you're the reigning two double shock world champion or what? Well, I, that was in 18. I wish I could have uh, gone back last in 19, but uh, in 18, I'm the, well, I guess we'll call it the 50 and under twin shock world champion so i was running you know a 1980 red rocket uh phil denton engineering uh honda 250 yeah. uh incredible motorcycle well you know that that farley castle track is old school motocross super choppy and rough i mean just chatter everywhere there's not a smooth line on this track and so you see these guys rolling to the line on twin shock bikes and you think oh these poor bastards they're gonna just get hammered and then you guys were going so fast and yeah. i was so impressed with how well those bikes worked you know what's um, funny about that is I I have you know Denton's build me an '86 CR250 for the other class for the Evo class and I can go within one second of my lap time on the 1980 Red Rocket. Is that right? Yeah, because it just is. It's so light and you can corner it so well, and it rides the rough stuff so well. And yeah, it's amazing. You know, yeah, I I love that stuff. You race a track like that, and, and you race GPs. I don't know. Do you ever do any GPs? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, I did uh, the 90s, 1990. Uh, you race a track like Farley, and you really understand why European setup is so much different than what we have. Yeah, it's it's, it's got to be a lot softer. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Completely different setup. Um, so are you, you love the vintage racing stuff, but I, I know you're also a, a, just a two-stroke fan in general. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, well, that's my era, I think. It's, you know, the, the four-stroke stuff. I mean, I actually did some testing on the the early uh 400 yamaha um i was doing stuff you know at the hot you know the troy track at kenworthy's and stuff like that back back when they first came out the same time that doug henry was mm -hmm. and a lot of people didn't know that because they just wanted someone else to be riding it and nobody really wanted to ride yeah. it so and i you know i wrote it and uh i i definitely knew it was going to be the future because i had ridden some four strokes you know four stroke stuff before but um Definitely very hard to keep running. If you, if you stalled it, you were done for the day. Yeah. So, <laughs> done for the day. So, but uh, now, uh, two stroke is definitely my forte. I think it's one of those things where I grew up riding that my entire life, and um, you, you just feel very comfortable on it. And I can ride it. I really can ride anything. I don't. You throw a motorcycle underneath me, I'm good. I yeah. don't care what it is. So, yeah, you you enjoy them all. And one of the things that. Um, I, I appreciate about you is there's not a lot of guys when they quit racing and especially as you get into their 40s and 50s that just keep riding a lot and you're one of those guys yeah well i think it comes to the the desire to stay young and stay you know, i guess it takes well for me there's two things one it takes away the aggression and you know i think we all have that aggressive tendency in us you know growing up and for me, you know, everyday life can get so uh, mundane and you just, you think yourself, you know, things get so tense and, you know, the best thing to do is get out on your motorcycle and go riding and have yeah, a good time. I agree to that one. Yeah. I notice there's times I feel like just my attitude sucks <clears throat> and I go for a ride one day and yeah, my back hurt, my mm -hmm. knees all swollen, but 
I feel like mentally come back, and like you said, you're just happier. It's a happy, the little shit doesn't bother it's you. It's a as happy much. sore. I yeah, mean, it really is. You you feel well, it's like going to the gym. You know, yep. when people leave, it's not just the the physical workout. It's 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 the mental. You feel good when you, you leave. Feel you feel like better about yourself. Something. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think we have we have an ingrained uh, need to like release energy. Exactly. We know from early hunter gatherer days, right? right. Like you you want to go and and burn some energy, and if you don't. That builds up into like a tension. Are we still yeah. talking about motocross? Yeah. However, you got to release yeah. it. Okay. We well. like to do it through riding motorcycles. Okay. Yeah, for for me, it's just it's one of those things where I, I really like riding motorcycle. It makes me happy, yeah. and it, it keeps me young, and it keeps you know. I guess it it keeps me in touch with all my friends from racing. It's yeah. it's it's the only thing I have to keep me involved with the people that I love from all my history of riding. Yeah, that's true. Well, so what I always get surprised by guys who just say, Yeah, no, I'm done, and they never ride again. Yeah, what the heck's how, I, I, I could imagine it, doing it, that because if you look at those guys, a lot of times they move to something else, like like someone like Johnny O, he doesn't really ride dirt bikes, but he's fully invested in mountain bike. And I think <clears> that's, I mean, I get that too. A motocross is somewhat of a young man's sport, and I think for some people, it's either they don't want to take the risk anymore or they're just. It beats them up, and it's like, I don't really enjoy it that much. And, hmm. and I think for some people, if they don't have that real enjoyment, there's no other reason you do it when you're older. You're not doing it for the money yeah. or the fame. You're doing it for yourself. Well, I, I think there's, you know, a lot of that comes down to, you know, the risk factor. I mean, you're getting yeah. older, and you, as you know, we hit the ground. It's going to hurt a lot more <laughs> than a young young kid bouncing up and taking back off. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where you got to take the risk and reward, and then percentages of how good it is for you. And I, you know, for me, I just, I, I think I have a lot of those I don't give a shits, and just you just keep doing it, and yeah, just keep yeah. going, and have fun. And I mean, people always ask me why do you keep doing it. And I said, well, because I love it, and it makes me happy, and yeah, it keeps me, it gets me up in the morning, and yeah. Well, there's some, uh, you know, you mentioned Kurt Nickel and racing him. He was someone that got injured quite a bit, quit racing professionally started running KTM, did a little bit of testing, but then pretty much didn't ride. And then said he just woke up one day and was like, you know what, all I want to do is ride. He rides three times a week, he told me. At least. Yeah. He's probably being modest. Yeah. But the dude yeah. is always at the track now. And, I always, and I've even seen him at the same place over and over, and I've said, do you ever get bored? No. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing anything else. He goes, even a bad day at the track is still a good day. Yeah. Well, like, he's had the office it. job, so he's seen that other side and gone, you know what? It's not it, for me. I had it real nice when I could just yeah. sit at the track and, yeah. And now he can make a business out of it. Yeah. Basically, so. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, stoked <clears throat> that that race brought you out here. And um, how did the, this Marty Smith Invitational go? That was good. I mean, I, it was, <laughs> I got off a little bit of a slow start because I didn't really know what I was riding because it was a 74 Elsinore 250. Okay. So it was uh, kind of thrown at me last minute. Um, great guy. Uh but I didn't really know much about the bike, and I've ridden them a couple times, and they're very limited on suspension. And uh, so I, I, I can't. You know, I came off the gate pretty reserved and didn't know what to expect. And after about a lap, I kind of decided I could trust it. So I, I thought it was. I started in about fifth, and then uh, put in some pretty hard laps, and and uh, caught Glover at the end, and and passed him on the outside, and put a pretty, uh, we'll say, a little bit aggressive chop on him, and. <laughs> 
I don't think I don't think he was super happy about it because he, he he did say something to me about <laughs> it, you know cutting cutting across the front of him. But uh, yeah, I made the pass and and uh, and got the win. So it was it was a good a good time. Hopefully, it didn't affect my Dunlop sponsorship. So yeah, you gonna be buying some other uh, right. Cheng Shin yeah, or something exactly, next year. Exactly. Good luck with that. We'll find out soon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Make sure you send the Christmas card. Yeah, man. yeah. Right on. Well. Um, I'm glad that went well for those guys. Stoked you're out here. Uh, for those who have not checked out our website, whiskeythrottleshow.com, go over there and have a peek. All of our merchandise, uh, like this hat, T-shirts, we've got women's sweatshirts, all kinds of stuff. If you feel like a woman today, you can go buy one of those. Uh, thanks to Temecula T-shirt printers for producing all that stuff. And uh, get over to Mad Skills Motocross if you're not familiar with that app. Uh, their, uh, Mad Skills Motocross 2 is still in the middle of a, uh, of a series. Be winding up here pretty soon, but a lot of fun. And Mad Skills Motocross 3 coming out shortly. So let's get to your story. Um, you're you're a Michigan man. Can you hear all that wind? Uh, I can't stop the wind. Bro. No, I know, but is it really loud? In the <laughs> no, light? it's not. Not okay. as bad as you think. All right. Yeah, inside. It's here, not it's great, boring, but so it's it's not. If fine. you hear something weird, apologize. There's nothing we can do. Yeah. Um, talk about you growing up, Michigan guy, always. Always. Yeah. Yep. Uh, literally born and raised in Hudsonville, Michigan, small Dutch Christian reform town. And that is that near Holland? Cause I know it is about okay. 20, yeah, maybe 15 miles from, okay. from Holland, from, from, from where I think your in-laws are. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Cool. Now, it's a, it's a beautiful part of the country. It is. It's uh, very just, nice. Very easy living. Yeah. Yeah. The, Lake properties there, incredible. It's, it's yeah. it seems like a cool place to grow up. Do they do they see, speak Dutch still around in the area? Yeah, yeah, they do. In it's fact, a heavy my, Dutch. In, in fact, yeah, well, really, I'm, yeah. I'm from Iowa, and there's some Dutch, uh, you know, villages there, and they still yeah. speak it there too. My my heritage, in fact, it's um, my grandfather and grandmother are from the Netherlands, and so it's they were. I mean that the whole family had moved over, and so it was very primarily, you know, it was a lot of Dutch. Yeah, well, the hoops are pretty. It's Dutch, Dutch night. So, yeah. And exactly. when you're driving around there, the mailboxes, there's a lot of Vander so yeah. and so. It's all Vander something or duh something. Yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. So how did you get into motorcycles back there? Well, my dad was an expert, and he was also he was a rep for Husqvarna. Um, okay. did a lot of traveling for, he was like a, a sales rep for them. And then, uh, he was also a rep for, for Pook. Um, mm. and so he, uh, he did a lot of that stuff. Um, road Osas and Pentons and he is actually friends with, you know, all those guys, Jack Penton and Dick Burleson and, uh, Trunk and Pulse and all those, he knows all of them. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. So. Um, I grew up with a lot of uh, pretty famous people kind of running through the house. I mean, I had, yeah, back in the day, I would have Chuck Son and Kent Howerton and all those guys stay at our house. And I would ride, you know, in my, my MR50, you know, with those guys through the trails. But it was, it was you know, it's just one of those things. I still have memories of riding through the trails. When you were a kid, did you... Did you know who they were, or were you just like, oh, I, I, mean, another I, guy I knew, home. I knew what they were. I didn't know who they were. I just thought okay. they were guys that were. I mean, I was so young, but yeah. But no, I think I. I mean, I started. That's almost a, like a memory that probably means more to you now than at the time. You just thought, oh, dad brought home another guy who can ride. Yeah, for sure. No, it, it was you know, and basically, um, I started um, on a, a mini Indian, like an M. One or whatever it was, an orange one. Um, it oh, yeah. uh, Don Don Jagger 
somehow talk my dad into buying a, a motorcycle. I mean, from what my dad says, it wasn't that wasn't going to happen. Okay, uh, they I guess they weren't they didn't have a plan for ever getting me a motorcycle. So, but uh, yeah, he uh, <laughs> brought a mini Indian over to the house, and uh, I was three. And uh, they put me on it, and I still have also the memory of my first ride on it because I hit the garage wide open. Oh, jeez. And never, because they put me on it, and I took off and went around the house wide open, and <laughs> I didn't have any idea how to stop. So well, You had whiskey throttle. Right, whiskey throttle yeah, so initiation right there. Literally <laughs> right straight into the side of the now garage. Now you're part of the alumni. Yeah. Hey, that, that Indian now, those things are worth like ten, twelve thousand. You know what? At least. You, yeah. know, you know what the shame of that is? Is in my first house that i have in hudsonville it's buried in the ground over there somewhere because wow. we knocked we knocked the barn so this is this uh, we'll, we'll get into this but we had a bunch of barns because i had like a farm and uh we knocked all the barns down so we dug a huge like 40 by 80 hole and and drove and bulldozed all the barns into the hole and i had you know we had that and I'm, you know didn't i'm like what what the hell am I going to do with all this stuff? That was like pro circuit pipes from that that uh, 80s era and all, all that, them parts. Just, you just pushed them all, all in? All in. Oh. This is before eBay. This is before yeah. Craigslist and all that stuff. Just bulldozed it all into the thing. Yeah. So that thing had a works downpipe on it too. Oh. Yeah. I'd start digging, man. Yeah. Retirement yeah. program over there. Exactly. I'll Break out up, the bulldozer. Up, go yeah. over there. The David. It'd be just. What are you doing in my yard? <laughs> just like it's okay, dude. I've got some things I, I forgot over here. Yeah. I think we all have stories of stuff that we wish we held onto from back in the day. Where you're like, oh, this. I'll never use this again. Right. I, I, I don't want to be a pack rat. And you're right. like. God damn it. So, but yeah, then we also have stuff that you've held on to for 20 freaking years yeah, and you've never used it. Yeah. It's like, why didn't I throw this away 20 True. years ago? So, yeah, it, uh, that, was, that was my first bike. That's when it all started. I was, I was, you know, I was a handful of a child from what my mom says. Yeah. Yeah, I was one of those kids <laughs> that was, uh, she would tell me to, you know, not not go out in the road and I would run out on the road and lay down and, and say, cars come and hit me without that kind of thing. So yeah, I was a very obstinate child, Wow! So, but it was one of those things where they found a release by putting me on a motorcycle. They quickly found that that was a leverage point where yeah. they could, you know, I could, you know, something they could take away exactly. if you're being a dick. Exactly. Yeah. For right. sure. So, so did you jump into racing right away or you just rode for a bit? Nope. Um, I, I went, uh, my next motorcycle was obviously that, you know, the MR 50 Honda Elsinore. And I rode that for probably, probably two or three years. And then, um, 70, I want to say it was 76. It was 76. Um, I did my first race at Dooley Hills in Michigan on an XR 75. Okay. And, uh, I, I remember being scared to death because um, I, you know, I, so many people back then. I mean, M Michigan Mafia in the, in the days back then. I mean, the eighty beginner class was Packed. forty yeah. riders. Yeah, yeah. You know, so well racing back then, even <laughs> even in Montana, which yeah. is a, I mean, yeah. a tiny little racing community, there was still full gates. Yeah, I remember yeah. the same thing, just being terrified yeah. when I first forty went. riders, and yeah. you know, I and I don't think I even finished in the top 30 i mean i, I mean yeah. i didn't get a trophy but i know i i, I had raced and but it, i mean you got to think about like you don't really think about this again but as a what were you 10 7 8 9 10 yeah 7 imagine that i mean you've never had that kind of adrenaline dump before no you, you, what was the most exciting thing you've done yeah like maybe a bmx race right. or you played in a basketball game 
39 other bikes all wound up, all the noise, the smell. Like, all right, yeah, you're, you're going to barrel into that turn and yeah. you know, go get them. I had been to the track quite a bit because my dad helped um, helped run and, and, you know, do stuff at the track. So yeah. I'd been there quite a bit and he'd raced. So I grew up, you know, there. Around it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I knew what it was and I what it was about, but I'd never participated in yeah. it. So, but yeah, you definitely have a huge amount of adrenaline. I still have vivid memories of riding that XR75 through like a couple sand sections because I was struggling and yeah. really angry about not being able to do it. And it's it's weird how your your memory will will catch flashes yeah. of certain yeah, things yeah, yeah, in, little, your, in your past. So. Little snippets it'll hold on to. Rubber band start? Yeah. Did you ever get snapped with one I of those? I didn't. No. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll get you. Yeah, the surgical tubes will get you hard. I only jumped the gate once. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't even a gate. I only jumped the start once. Yeah. Yeah, no, and uh, shortly after that, I think, um, you know, I rode that XR75 for, yeah, for probably a year or two. And so I think it was uh, 78, yeah, 78. Um, I moved, uh, my dad um, got me a YZ80. Um, okay. And so. You guys were doing some more racing. Yeah. Kind of both yeah, getting oh, yeah. Into it. Was your he, dad? Yeah, he was still racing some. Yeah. Oh, he was? Okay. Yeah. And he was, you know, pretty, pretty dominant. You know, like why you know why is he two fifties and stuff like that? So he he was pretty fast. So when you mentioned the Michigan Mafia, who were the guys at that time? Who were the top Michigan riders? Like guys you would have looked up to? There were so many. Really? I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, Steve Ellis obviously was, you know, the, and you know Mark, Mike Hartwig, and there's there's guys that were just the premium guys. Then there was guys like Alan King, mm. Denny Bentley. Um, Maddie Horrocks, um, there was guys that, I mean, that was kind of the guys that were, that were the, uh, the really fast expert riders, um, that were just, you know, you just go to the track and you just couldn't believe how fast yeah. they went. Yeah. Um, but then I, you, you know, the, there were so many people back then and what was funny is because Michigan had so many riders, you could be on the West side of Michigan and have this many fast guys and then have, be on the east side of Michigan and have a whole nother 25 guys that were just as fast and but never even really met each other. Is that because, right? Because it was so flooded with so many different places to ride yeah. and so many tracks. You didn't have like a state championship series? That well, we did. Had? Okay. And But you could chase it to the point where you could kind of hit different events, but there was always competitive races yeah. in you know in different areas. So, so you didn't really need to go all the way to the no east side if no. you're from the west. But west I mean, it's you know, the, then you get into the ages of if you're from the mitten, you know, the yeah. thumb, then uh, you don't go to the pinky. Right, yes. right. So then you get into the ages it's of real Michigan where right you have there. like Eddie Warren and Keith Bowen, which was just just above my my age so okay um just above just older so one so it'd be like i was an 80b so they were an 80 expert okay so and then they they you know they we, we were up, just kind of chasing you yeah. know we, you know until yeah. later on so but uh yeah it's <laughs> and bowen bowen was legit Bowen, I mean, I, and, I Bowen and Warren were actually eddie warren was was faster than bowen is that right absolutely yeah and and better I mean, I'm just a better rider, more talented. Um, I feel he was, he, I think he got maybe the wrong end of the deal, but I mean, he went over to to Japan and won multiple Japanese championships mm -hmm. over there um, against Tishner and stuff when they went yeah. over there. Um, 
then went to Australia, and he still currently lives in Australia and won a lot of Australian championships and stuff like that. And I mean, you probably know who he is, right, Eddie Warren? I have a poster with him. What was he? He was at Factory Cow in no, what eighty-seven? No. Yeah, yeah. He won the Supercross yeah. Championship, the first one twenty-five Supercross Championship. So eighty-five. Yeah. Okay. So, but um, he was he was badass. But he, I'd be curious to get his story on here because he just sort of disappeared. Yeah, I don't really he know. He did. But but Bowen, I think he's one of those really underrated guys. Oh sure. If you start looking through results from that mm -hmm. that time period, you're like, damn. Look no, Keith was, Keith doing was legit. Yeah, for he sure. was legit. Uh, factory yeah. Yamaha. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, but you, when you hear that name, you don't think like. Yeah. He, he did a lot better than you'd probably remember. He was sure. the only guy that kept Ron Lachine honest all the time. Yeah. He, I mean, he ran Lachine down a so, lot. So those are legit guys to have around you racing and look yeah. up to. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was uh, we had a, a lot of fast guys. Was there any... Guys you competed with directly, like were in your class, who went on to also make it? Well, I mean, probably the most famous is Jeff Stanton, who's six times. Okay, you grew up I with mean, him. We, we, yeah, we're three months apart. Okay. So, I mean, we raced each other, uh, basically our entire, our entire mini and 125 and 250 amateur whole thing. So, it'd been, it would have been, you know, Jeff Stanton and Billy Frank I mean, Keith Bowen and, and, and them were right ahead of us. And there was David Tamley. Billy Frank was from Michigan? Yeah, Traverse City. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, so he lived. So we actually were. He moved to Arizona, didn't he? No, he, he lived he, here. Around Orange. Here. Yeah, he Orange, lived in Orange, Orange County. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, so in. So we, 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 there was. I mean, the Michigan Mafia was so deep. There's, yeah. you know, 20 guys that could win in one day in the AD Expert class. Jeez. So it was, it was crazy. Huh. Um, but yeah, it was uh, Jeff Stanton and Billy and uh, David Tambling and Frankie Knight and all these guys that were just, we were all the same speed. It mm -hmm. just depends who got the whole shot and, you know, ha had a good day. Yeah. But uh, um, it, yeah, we just, you have so much competition and that's what made the Michigan Mafia so good because it was just flooded. It, would, it was like, it was like, you know, Southern California. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was just an amazing amount of talent. Which is a big break in the winter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's the only difference. Yeah. It was very healthy. It's not like that anymore? What's the local racing scene it's, like? It, well, it's come back a lot. Yeah? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. right now, I've been, I've gone to some, you know, I go to quite a few local races, and there is, I mean, we've been having, I went to the, the, the Vet Fest at Redbud this year. Mm -hmm. There was 800 riders. Wow. For the Vet Fest. Uh, but no, there's, I mean, like local races now, they're five to 600 riders every weekend. That's awesome. That's, that's really good. Mm. Yeah, for I sure. I think for the first time in a long time, we're seeing entries around the country picking up at the, at the, I think you're, well, and at the amateur level. Any event least. that they do here in Southern California right now, like you're, you were telling us about the turnout yeah. uh, on Saturday. Yeah. It was big turnout. great. Yeah. They did a mini bike race, a pit bike race at Elsinore a couple weeks back. And it was Hundreds and hundreds of entries. Like, I think people are just looking for something to go race. Yeah, they are. And nothing's open. <laughs> How far are you from Redbud? 45 minutes. Oh, you're close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I ride there quite a bit. Um, it's easy to get to, and it's, uh, I mean, the Ritchie family, are, they're really good to me, and um, Tim and Amy are great people, and they take care of me. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're really nice to me, and they've always been, it's a big part of, you know, our, our families have grown up together. I grew up with Amy and Tim, and um, you know, so uh, you know the same with like Jeff Stanton and Mike LaRocco. I mean, we've all raced together for. Oh, that's another guy too. Was I? LaRocco was, La yeah. was in that group. So, yeah. so but he was yeah, all right. Yeah, he did okay. So, but we all, you know, we all grew up together, and and it was 
it was amazing because we're all very close still and it's all part of a big family so it was it made it really really easy for me I always continue to go there and it's amazing to see the transformation of that track from when I've ridden it back in 79 78 uh, till now I mean that facility is wild they do it like I always say if you want to see how to make a motocross facility how to run an event <laughs> Go watch. Go to Red Button. Yeah. And he doesn't notes. stop. He's like, oh, I bought another 40 acres, and I'm going to yeah, make they, more they, track they, back every here. Every year they add yeah. something, some features, some um, power yeah, outlets for people. Yeah, they're whatever always, it may be, they're they're always, always improving, improving the facility. But, but I, I remember watching, you know, you talked about it from the 70s, and I've never seen it from then. But even just watching on TV from the 90s, I mean, the track was... A lot of the areas looked more hard packed. It was dusty. Well, it was all those doubles. It was hard packed. It was. And um, yeah, and and now when you go there, it's quite a bit different. Yeah, even uh, my first couple of years, ninety four, ninety five, yep. that triple down on the in, yep. you know kind of in the infield, it was hard as a rock, no yeah. landing. Yeah, yeah, I you would slide like, into that that the bowl corner, yeah. and then accelerate to do the double double uphill, and it was black groove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's changed. A tr he's he's added. A crap ton of sand. Yeah. I mean, but it's amazing now. And yeah, it's he, much better. And he has the best watering setup there is. I've, I don't know any track in the world that can water their track as fast as he can and put water in trucks as fast as he can. He can right. do a 1,000 gallons in 45 seconds. Wow. Well, that's, that's that whole reinvesting thing. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. <laughs> when you're pumping up that yeah, much I mean, water. 10-inch ten, ten tubes that dump a 1,000 gallons in, in less than a minute. Wow, that's an, it's that's incredible. how you do it. Yeah. So, so as you were coming up locally, were you competitive? Were you like one of the guys winning? Were so you, you know, how like were you? Seventy nine, eighty. I was, you know, basically just kind of learning and getting to the point where I was, you know, finishing top fifteens in like the B class, and then eighty one, I did well. The end of eighty. Um, I started doing some ice racing. Oh, really? Uh, and I learned how to corner. Okay. Because, you know, you're very, when you don't know how to corner, you're pretty timid. You don't know what you're doing and stuff like that. Well, um, ice racing, when you don't catch the rut or whatever and you crash, you go sliding and you go into a snowbank. So, well, <laughs> there's not really a lot of repercussion to that. It's just you poof into a snowbank. So, yeah. well... You learn to keep the, you know, stay in the gas, stay in the rut. And then it was basically, it was like a light switch turned on. Huh. I went, went from being a top, maybe top 20 guy to not finishing out of the top five. And just that one transformation. That's interesting. Okay, so I'm going to go off on a rabbit hole right here. I feel like people who are listening who want, I always get like, how do I, how do I get better? You know, how can I improve quicker? And I always thought, I'd be interested to see what you think of this. When I, yes, it was after I was done racing professionally and I got into supermoto. The things I learned in supermoto, how to slide a bike, throttle control, like easing onto the brakes, easing off the brakes instead of a, a hard yeah, grab. Non-violent motion. To keep the chassis from getting, there were so many things I learned that I transferred over to motocross and it made me such a better rider technically. Yep. That my advice to those people is go do other kinds. Of, go trail riding. Absolutely. Go flat track if you got a buddy. You know you got a place See to if do you it. Go on a trials bike and hit some rocks. I feel like you, all those different disciplines will help you. Hey, listen, I, in your story, that's exactly. I right. I started riding supermoto in '03, and even as an amateur, I got way better from riding supermoto. Yeah. In moto, 
Like way better. So here's here's something that a lot of you guys probably don't know about. So in Florida, when they had the Mini O's, okay, the Mini O's originally was a four event deal. So we would go down there and we'd have to get there early and we'd have to uh, cable tie and lower our suspension for, uh, let's see, it would start on Thursday. So on Thursday, we would do flat track at the local speedway. And then after flat track, you would go back to, um, to Gainesville, to the track, and you would do enduro. So you do a full, they would set up a full on enduro course through those lime pits and Jeez. onto the motocross track and everything else. And then you would do TT on like what, what they have now is they have that little supercross track there where they'd do like okay. a TT and then they'd have the motocross event. So mm. you'd run all four of those different kinds of racing. That's cool. Which would broaden yeah. You know, how well of a rider you could become because you're, you, you know, you're basically learning so many different disciplines yep. and you, you know, they'd take your, you'd take your front brake off, off your motorcycle for flat track. And so you're, you're learning pretty quick how to, <laughs> yeah. you know, smooth out your corner speed. And scrub off some speed. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of stuff is where, you know, guys like I learned a lot of cool things and that's that kind of stuff is missing today. If, if you could do that and bring that back, that would, that would definitely improve a lot of those, the riders that are missing some of the technique that they yeah, need. I agree with you hundred yeah. percent. I never got to do many O's. It's one of my, one of the races I wish I could have gotten yeah. to do. It was just so damn far for us. Yeah. Um, but you know, even my era out here when mm -hmm. it would rain and we'd all go to Beaumont or we'd yeah. go to Ritchie Canyon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're out dicking around having a good time. Yep. Which is, I think, is another thing that's important is going out and actually Absolutely. enjoying your bike. But we were doing hill climbs. Yep. We would make a little technical jump, even if it wasn't big, but there's no run and you had to see if you could get over it with just this little run. Those little things teach you a lot you of way. I think it helped me when I first came, obviously learning supercross and all that, but we would go out and eventually there'd be a hip jump or something, but there would be a rut <laughs> from the bottom all the way up and usually would have some uh, yeah. and I remember how many times coming up and having a board because <laughs> I just wasn't used to long deep ruts and then a big jump afterwards yeah. and I remember in the beginning it was like half the time I had boarded because <laughs> I didn't have the balance but you start learning how to you know be loose and you know let the bike move and then hit, yeah. hit your lip but all or these little things or they'd make a lip that the whole thing bent all the way off the <laughs> off the jump so if you if you didn't fully commit, yeah. it would snap it back on you. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. And then you always had one side that you were good at, one side you yeah. sucked at. And, I mean, for us, you know, ruts and mud and yeah, that's you know, normal. deep stuff, is that's just that's just everyday riding I, for us. I grew for, up in South Africa. We didn't have that. And right. If, it, if we had a... a, a well, you guys racing all the time. Mm -hmm. If it rains, everyone gets together and goes, yeah, man, we're going to trash all our bikes and we're on a budget. Yeah, so we'll home. just do this next weekend. Okay, everyone? Cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that's kind of how it is. Dads are like, let's drink. <laughs> that, that's, that's how it is now for me. It's, it's fair weather pretty much all the time mm -hmm. unless it's, it's something really big. So. so at what point in your amateur racing there did you, was there, like, it seems like for everybody there's always kind of a moment. It, was it that year when you picked up that ice racing technique? Well, I think when I, when I got to the point where I was, winning um in the in the 80 class i was winning a lot and i started i, I won I, I don't even know probably five years in a row state championships in the 80 expert class and then the the 125 and the 250 as we as i progressed as an amateur but um you get to a point where 
when Yamaha comes and starts, you know, you get a support ride. And also in, in 19 and 79, 80 ish, my dad got a Yamaha dealership mm. and he owned a Yamaha dealership. So, um, he was pretty tight with Larry Griffiths and, you know, all the people, um, I saw Clark Jones this weekend and, uh, all those guys, uh, Mike Guerra, I mean, very, very close. Long time brassy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I easily picked up a, a support ride. I mean, I, my finishes were good. I mean, it, it was an honest ride. I was I was winning every weekend, um, so I started getting you know three four bikes a year from Yamaha, and so I practiced a lot. And about that time, you, you start getting you know because I would go to Redbud for the national every year and watch Barnett and Johnny O and all those guys and, you know, David Bailey. And, and I, I remember David Bailey actually signing and giving me his jersey when he was still on a Kawasaki and he was oh, yeah. pro-am. So at Red Bud in a trailer with his dad. And it was amazing. You still have that jersey? I don't. Oh. <laughs> I can't find it. I don't Did know. you push uh, it into the hole, Barry? I don't know you what son happened. son of a bitch. I know. I don't know what happened to it. It pisses me <laughs> off. So, but uh, but yeah, it was one of those things. That he I used told, it as a rag. Yeah, I, told him, I told him that story, and it really irritates me that I can't find it. But <laughs> but no, it. Uh, so I yeah, I just you know you you watch those guys, and all of a sudden you think. I might be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I can, maybe I, be, I can become something like that. And so you start practicing and you start putting in the time. And, you, and for me, um, I had a, a good friend, um, Mike Lipscomb that lived, he was like right around the corner from me, a good friend of mine. And you know, for, for when you're young and your parents are, you know, back in the day, we didn't, we didn't have no guidance. Mm-hmm. We didn't have people watching us. We just did for what we wanted time. to do. We yeah. came home from school and it was, if we showed up, at dark for bed oh they're home we're good <laughs> for you know? bed you know it's like one of those things you brush your teeth and go to bed and then okay we still have kids you know that's what our parents are like so but no it uh you know we i would come home from school every day and because you know obviously yamaha have given me four motorcycles every year i'd give mike a bike to ride when because i needed someone to ride with me if something happened yeah so and we would ride all day you know we'd get home from school and ride from the time we got home from school Till dark. Did you have a track on your farm and your I, property? I, no, and because we live, actually lived in a residential area up oh. until we lived in uh, basically a whole residential area packed with houses, probably in, until almost I turned pro. And actually, I found the farm, and my parents bought it. I bought that from them later on, but mm. but no, it's uh, so yeah. We would piss off a lot of people in that you know just driving down the streets going because we we could ride right from our house oh you did okay. yeah and just take go down the street and then go off because there was places to ride everywhere back then and and uh we had tracks kind of we'd, we'd hand build tracks we'd take shovels out there i remember stealing my dad's chevy love truck and putting a, a mattress behind it to, to uh <laughs> to, to groom the track pulling it with a chain you know i was probably 14 hey, that's creative yeah man. yeah 14 go out grooming the track pulling it and but uh no it uh we, we just rode all the time yeah. and at that point you start thinking and and your the finishes were coming too. I was doing very well. Yeah. Um, you know, I had I had done well at uh, this was before Loretta's Brown City, Pennsylvania was. Um, and this is another story right here. Is uh, we my parents were good friends with the Coombses, and okay. so we we go. Um, uh, Dave Senior had talked to my dad because my dad had background in racing and had some tracks and stuff, and so and. Uh, 
Davey uh, Coombs would back this up because we went to Brown City and we get there and it's a golf course where the track is and we, we're sitting here in this parking lot and my dad's like this is the place but this is a golf course and so Dave Senior comes up and he's like hey how's it going you know he's like oh he's like where's the track he's like this is the track we're gonna walk it and we're gonna stake it and was it golf course going out of business? It, or something? Evidently, it was. Yeah, it was out of business and stuff like that. So, so yeah, Davey, Dave Senior, myself, my dad, we walked it and we staked it and we ran banners and we set up the track for the Brownsville Amateur National. And it was was it insane? That it been was fun. It was awesome. Could you imagine that saying, "Hey, Ping, let's go map out a track." Okay, you got so eighteen holes. How many guys out. have that been a dream? Like yeah. everybody's dream is to ride on a golf course. Yeah, I'd practice my starts on the eighteenth green. I mean, can you imagine just pulling in your motorhome and you're at a golf course and you're and he comes up, yeah, this is the track. We're going to stake it out, and this is where we're racing the national. Okay, so was it as good as you thought? Oh, because absolutely. There's a golf course out in Hemet. Um, that <laughs> I know went out that of one. Business. I know yeah. that one right across the road, right from where everybody rides. Diamond, yeah, the yeah, Diamond yeah. And yeah, it, yeah. And it, you're obviously not supposed to ride there. I'm right. sure they're going to do something, but it, there's so many lunatics out there. That's the meth capital of the world down right. in that area. So there's people out there riding all the time, and so it had rained one time, and I'm like, all right, I got to go just mm-hmm. make a little pass down the fairway, and it's so, the ground, the grass is so spongy. Well, it's so, um, my sure. tires wouldn't bite into it. it. It packed up with dirt, and I started sliding like yeah. I was on ice. And I thought, damn, maybe well, this is sketchy. And That I'm, was, I'm, you know, from what I can remember, the it was like very much like that. Yeah. You Even know, Unadilla. I remember yeah, I, was, I made sure I was the first one out in 95, I think, because mm-hmm. I wanted to be on the green grass. And, and it was sliding everywhere. Yeah. 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 But no, that's that's very much what it was. And then and it came in, I'm sure. Yeah, and it, but it. it was all natural. There was no jumps. I mean, like, it was all man-made. Or, you Did know, you go through natural. the sand yeah. traps? You go through the sand there traps? There was sections where there was parts that were in the sand, yeah. Yeah, yeah but no, he, he incorporated a lot of different things in, you know, off-cambers. and. But it was amazing. I mean, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So. Jeez, yeah. and Big Dave put that together. Yeah, yeah, yep. And then shortly after that, you know, because then the next year we went to the Loretta's. So that would have been oh. 82, so... So that event was meant to be like an amateur national. Yeah, that okay. was that was so, and they they did that before that. So there was there was other races before that in different states that they had put it on, but they finally found the home at Loretta's in in eighty two. Was Ponca City existing around yeah. that time? Yep. Did you guys were you going to I that did. race? Yeah, okay. I did Ponca. I I never won Ponca. I I had a lot of good finishes, a lot of top three. Um, I I did not. Did not transfer into the hard pack very well. I mean, I hadn't had a lot of experience with it. Um, I grew up, you know, with my conditions. So, um, and what I was going to get into is like I did have um, a little bit of uh, experience because I had, I like we were talking about Billy Frank, is uh, I'm, and <laughs> so think about this, okay, as a parent. So in 80, I'm going to say, let me get this right. 82 or 3, my dad talks to a truck driver that is a friend of another friend. <laughs> this is already Sounds sketchy. <laughs> and talks him into loading my two YZ80s on the top of his cargo, and I get in a truck and drive with him from Michigan to L.A., to Orange County, where Billy lives. They dropped me off at a shopping mall complex in the middle of Orange County. 
and I, you know, he unloads my bikes off the top of the stuff, my gear bag and my suitcase and everything else. I'm sitting in the parking lot with two bikes, with two bikes and a gear bag and a stand in my, my suitcase in the middle of a parking lot. And my first experience with California, I'm sitting there and I was there for about 20 minutes and a limo pulls up next, next to, next to me. And this is no joke pulls up and a lady gets out and it was Sheena Easton. Shut up. Nope. That was my first thing. She's like, what are, why are you here in the middle of the parking lot with motorcycles? I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be getting picked up by some friends. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, oh, um, she's like, well, can I help you? And I'm like, "Uh, I think he's supposed to be here. I think he's supposed to come and pick me up at some time later on. Pre pre cell phone days. Yeah. I'm just sitting there. I'm 12. 13. Oh my gosh. And so I'm sitting there and she's like talking to me and she told me who she was and I'm like, oh yeah, I think I know who you are or whatever. But yeah, that was my first California and experience. And then she just let, drove you know, off? She, she stayed there. She stayed there. Oh tell, gosh. Pull it. What's a Sheena E song? Uh, the, the, uh, song? She's the Miami Sound Machine is who she was, right? She no, no. That's, she was uh, married to Prince, that was, right? No, no. No. No, I, I don't think so. I'm going to pull it up. Get on the Google machine. Jennifer, uh, for the Simon... Uh, Miami Salmacine was Jennifer. What's what's her? Uh, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I just about, opened though. up a can of worms. Yeah, <laughs> no, she was because everyone's like, I know him, but I don't. She but, was a pop superstar in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, okay. yeah. So anyways, Legit. so anyways, yeah, that was my. So I probably first, heard her song, just didn't remember the my name. My first California experience was with her pulling up in a limo and asking me if I was okay. Well, a twelve. If you saw a twelve-year-old kid sitting in a parking lot, I mean, with two motorcycles, <laughs> with that collection of shit, you'd be like, "Yeah." There was. You'd also be like, "This looks a little odd, too." Let's go see. What's yeah. So did so. Oh, she so was, Bill, she was so Scottish. Bill. She was Scottish. It said yeah. Sheena Easton. Yeah. So Bill. So Bill Frank. Heritage aside, what what was her? I don't know. Give me Dude, a couple of songs. Uh, oh, uh, take my time. That's not ringing. She's James Bond. I don't know. Yeah, anyways, yeah. So Bill Frank ended up, you know, picking me up and uh, bringing me back back to the house. And uh, yeah, I was I stayed here for probably three weeks. And I rode uh, I rode out at at Carlsbad. Okay. Um, like every day with Billy. Okay. And getting that hard pack training in. Huh? I did. And, so did you? Was, did it, you know Colin Karcher? I did. Yeah, I was good friends with him. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll get into that in a second. So, <laughs> so I, I, I'm riding out there, and guys like Bob Hanna, and all these guys are riding with me on this hard track, and I'm like, I'm riding with Bob Hanna, <laughs> and all these like, Blowing your yeah, mind. just the old, all these guys are on the same track, and I'm just riding around doing laps, and then I, I was out here for the world uh, world mini Grand Prix. And uh, that was my first experience with big California race guys, like yeah. in the eighty class, because it was it was Larry Brooks and Mouse McCoy, and you know all these guys that you read about in the magazines. And I was a little starstruck, but I ended up getting fifth um, in in the expert class. So, That's good. but uh, yeah, that was my first experience with California. People, I think we take that for granted living out here. But I remember coming over when I lived in Arizona. Uh, we came over for a, uh, going to race on Saturday. We did a Thursday practice at Glen Helen and Jeff, this was like 90. So Jeff Matasevich was out there. Um, I want to say maybe Wardy, like there was a handful of guys and you're like, these are guys like that's Jeff Ward. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just like, it's like you've stepped into this alternate reality where well, that's how it was for me when I left South Africa and went to the GPs. Yeah. And we went and I'm like, 
that's Stefan Evans. Like, holy yeah. crap. We're, like, same thing. We're on the same track. <laughs> You're like a, a kid. But speaking about taking it for granted, I remember about a year and a half ago, my cousin came overseas, came, came to visit. And I forgot that he had told me that, like, his dream was to meet Jeremy McGrath. Okay. So I'm like, dude, that's probably not going to happen, you know, in the few days that you're out visiting me. And he said, and I want to ride. And we, we loaded up two bikes and went to Elsinore on a Monday morning. And Jeremy happened to be testing Max's tires that day. So he comes and says hi. And I said, oh, just dawn on me. I'm like, you're going to blow my cousin's mind. I said, can you go and just stuff him and then just yell at him or something? <laughs> So Jeremy passes him, kind of gets close, yells something. My cousin pulls in. He goes, yeah, some dude just yelled at me. I don't know why. Was I in his way? I said, yeah, some washed up dude called McGrath was like you were getting in his way or something. He's like, that's Jeremy. And Jeremy came over and said hi. And he's like, who the hell sees Jeremy at a local track on a Monday morning? I'm like, oh, well, I get that's yeah, Southern that's, California, yeah, that's right? That's what happens, yeah. <laughs> was that your cousin that we went flying? Uh, well, I, it would have been him or his brother. Both mm. my cousins had come out. I'm trying to remember... I think that was my other cousin who came out. Everything yeah, else about stuck. California sucks, but that is pretty cool that you can, if, if you're in our world, you can bump into some Yeah. Well, even Marietta Temecula, you drive around and you see, I, you, you know, you see yeah. Anderson, yeah. you see everybody all over the place all the time. I think that's what is, is cool about the fact that you don't have a lot of places to ride that forces those guys that they're the big guys, except they have the pro tracks, you know, they're, they're super cross test tracks and stuff like that. But when they want to ride outdoors, they ride at the yeah. tracks because yeah. there isn't any other place. Yeah. So it gives the, the, the local guy or the, the, the fan, the fanboy guy, it gives him the opportunity to yeah. see him on a local level. It is what's neat about our sport. Like I, uh, when, when Stefan was working for KTM, we were getting ready. To, Anaheim was like a couple of days away and I'm walking through the mall, getting some last minute Christmas stuff. And here comes Stefan Everett's walking right at me and I'm like, what are you doing here? You know, oh, I'm here for the race, you know, and, and I'm just thinking no one knows who you are. Yeah. He has to shop for Christmas too, Ping. I know, but it just, it's like <laughs> Tom Brady couldn't walk through that mall. Yeah. You know what I mean? Our sport Stop is like sure. the right amount of uh, popularity, I think. Stefan and I have a little bit of history. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, I went to when I... Hold on. If you were, if he was hitchhiking in the middle of the desert, <laughs> <laughs> no. So, so would you pick him up? Right, right. So, actually, you know, we're, we're fine now. But in, in, we'll get into this later. But anyways, in 1990, when I went over to ride the World Championships, I rode the the, the British Championship, uh -huh. ra a couple races in that, and uh, my first race. You know, I'm. This is 1990, so this is a, two years after my championship yeah. in Supercross. But I thought I was still pretty, pretty good. So I thought I was going to go over there and light the world on fire. And so I go to this British round. Because 90 was the year Everett won his first world title, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's riding Yaffe Suzuki. Mm -hmm. And so I was on, what, you know, Kawasaki team when I was riding over there. But uh, we'll get into that. Um, so I'm at this first race and we're out in practice. And I'm going good. And we're riding each other, you know, pretty hard. And we came into a section and I come up the inside and just cleaned him out you know I'm, I, I gave no shits I mean, I'm just you know I cleaned him out yeah. took him down come off the track go back to the pits he literally ran from his pit area to my pit area and came through the tent and we were gonna fight really oh yeah he was all up in my face yeah I'm just like whoa you need to step back man but yeah we was all he was all gonna fight and then his guys came and grabbed him but no it was but I th we're good. Yeah, I always, I always wondered why the Euros went big fans of the Yanks. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was that was literally my, my <laughs> Todd first started race. it all. He my started first it all. Race I've yeah. well, Thanks to who? Well, I told him on one of the stories when I first went over. I rode for Harry Everts, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Stefan was asking me like who my favorite rider was, and I went on and on about Albertine. Mm. And then I realized he beat them every year. Yeah. They hated each other. <laughs> right. And he's like, yeah, we're not really a big fan of Albertine around here. And I'm doing the, how can you not be? <laughs> Why? I don't yeah. understand. He's I'm, the coolest. I'm a big fan. And me and Greg are good friends. And he stayed at my house a few times. He's Yeah, Albie's a good dude. Good dude. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you were going to most of the amateur nationals around that time, doing pretty well. Top threes, top fives, sounds like. Yep. Yep. I, uh, I mean, it did well at Ponca. Um, I did, I was always, well, I had, I had some years where I should have just destroyed Loretta's. Um, the year I, I, I was actually out front in every race and, uh, my dad had bought a 55 gallon drum of racing fuel and, uh, come to find out there was rust in the bottom oh, of shit. the gas mm, or the, the, the drum, the, the drum. So at Loretta's. We had this new drum of fuel, and uh, I'd go out and I'd do five laps, and I was out in the lead, and the crank would blow. I did that four motos in a row out uh. front, and no one could figure out why we're. I mean, Yamaha was rebuilding my motors as fast. I mean, they were they were pulling motors and my bikes and bringing them in the truck, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. So the last moto, the last two motos of, of the event, we. <laughs> We changed fuel, and I won both those models, and we didn't have no problems. But yeah, I'd, it was just one of those things where you don't know. And but I, you know, I, I kept my composure, which was you know, because oh, well, here's another story: is you know those days when you things go totally wrong when you're younger. Oh yeah. And I had you know a few instances in my life. These were learning lessons, and anyone out there that's listening to this for your kids, um, I came off the track one time and. You know, we had a bad race where I didn't win or whatever and rolled back the truck, threw my bike down, threw my helmet down, threw my goggles down. You know, dad walks up. My dad was pretty level-headed. Walks up, picks the bike up, puts it on the stand, puts the helmet on the table, does a couple things, takes the bike off the stand, rolls it into the trailer, tie-downs on, closes up trailer. I'm like, what are we, what's going on? We're going home. Um, what are you talking about? Um, we just we just don't do that at the track. So if you don't respect the motorcycle and the stuff I do for you, and then we're done. We're done for the day. So okay, so that I'm like, um, you did know, you really go home? He followed. Oh, absolutely. It? Yep. Pa- okay. Packed up on the way home. That's a good dad, right there. So probably two months later, I did it again. Same thing. Pissed off. Came in through the bike, and he just walked up, took the bike off the stand, picked up the helmet stuff like that he said well this is number two he said three months off no motorcycle no racing he said if it happens again you're done for good absolutely you're not gonna race no more i'll tell you what that was the longest three months of my life because you know you do you basically you're doing that every day racing every weekend your parents are putting everything i mean it killed them too yeah but you know, it was one of those things where it's probably as hard for him as it absolutely. was for you. Yeah, I no mean, doubt. and from that day on, I never ever had an attitude or did something like that. I mean, my dad always said, "You keep your composure, you keep your cool. No matter what happens, you walk the bike off the track and you put it on the stand, and we'll talk about what happened." You know, like Loretta's. I mean, you know, my bike blew up 
I'm winning, and I'm, my bike blew up. That's pretty, every moto, that's pretty tough. and I just pushed it off, pushed it back to the pits, and yeah. it was tough. I mean, you know, you swallow that, but you know, it's one of those things. It's a, it's a huge learning lesson. It's something what a, what can, a huge learning lesson, not just for racing, but life. Yeah, you can't throw a fit no. and toss your helmet and yeah. be a baby when something goes wrong. Right, you got to have your composure. You, you definitely for it's. A, it's you a, get it's a what big, you get, and you don't throw a fit. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I tell my kid that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Um, all right, so at what point did you turn pro? What year? 85. 80, 85. 80, well, I did some races in 85 um, here and there, um, but 86 was kind of my first year where I started going to some pro events. Okay. So, because I won, I won Loretta's in 85 on the, in the 250 expert class. Okay. And I got it. And so the. I got second in the 125 to Donnie Schmidt. I beat Donnie Schmidt in, in the 250. Um, and then in 86, um, we battled again. Um, he took me out in the first first corner, like or the second corner. So, you know, you go around the thing and you go into the, the sweeper, left, yeah. and then you go around that telephone pole before yeah. you go back towards the Ten, the Ten Commandments. Yeah. yeah, so he T-boned me, took me down, and uh, my bike broke. So, I, so that was a... One of those composure moments I had. To help. <laughs> yeah. That's that same 180 where I crossed lines with that guy and broke his arm. Uh, crossed lines. That, because it's like you, you could set somebody up through yeah. the sweepers. Did you have a, it, it was you have a brake failure? It was just a line selection. Oh. Uh, you. Mis <laughs> <laughs> a miscalculated line selection. So, But yeah, in 86 is kind of basically when I, uh, you know, did, I, I, I got fifth at, at Pontiac. In eighty five, in eighty six, eighty six. Okay, yeah. that was my first, you know, Supercross doing a few races. Okay, I got fit. so eighty five, you didn't do any Supercross. I didn't supercross. do any Supercross. So eighty six was your first yeah. time. Yeah. Were you Yamaha support still? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And was that increasing as you were? Yeah, um, I think I was probably getting like six bikes a year. Um, some, you know, obviously whatever parts I needed, and then a little bit of expenses. So you know, to help out, um, I was definitely getting a lot better i was getting you know my level of of, of speed was very very good then and well how about that first supercross what was that like for you do you remember well you know for for us it's it wasn't a big deal because um with that we had what we called the michigan spring series and so every year we had <laughs> and this was brutal because we had to race in the snow and mud because it started so early because you know with pontiac it was always cold as hell yeah and so we would race in the snow and the mud up until pontiac and then they would race the amateur supercross day at pontiac so basically what it would be is it they would have the race the pro race because it was always two nights at pontiac yep. mm. so we'd have the pro race on saturday and after the race saturday at 1 a.m that's when practice would start. What? Yes. And we would race all night long in the stadium and we'd have amateur racing. So you'd be racing like four in the morning. Well, that's so, kind of cool. That's weird. But. And so we, 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 we rode Supercross at Pontiac every year. I mean, I, I've raced Pontiac Supercross on an 80, like an 81, 82. I've seen, and it's funny you're wearing that hat because Brett posted a picture mm -hmm. of a bunch of people on PW50s. He mm -hmm. did a story about it. And there's one of Nick Way in the Silverdome yeah. mm -hmm. 
And I'm thinking, how did he, how's he racing a PW in there? That's, and that's how we had, it was how. basically the futures thing before it was the futures thing. Mm -hmm. we, and they did that, the spring fling series in Michigan, they did that. And the, the championship round would be Pontiac. Huh. So you would have the end. In so Pontiac. you were, by then you're comfortable racing yeah. in that state. It felt yeah. like another track. It was just, yeah, it was pretty normal for me. So that was, you know, where it transferred into me getting, and my first right time out was a fifth. So what was your first national? I think it was, I want to say South, either Colorado or South Carolina, because there okay. was, um, and I don't know, maybe if, if Redbud had fallen before those, because, you know, Redbud was easy, sure. but uh, I was actually scheduled in 86 to ride the Redbud National, but I, uh, the night before, they have the night race there. And I was I was winning and came around, hit one of the big doubles, hit neutral, uh -huh. went over the bars, and the bike hit me in the back of the butt, and it dislocated my hip. By the way, most painful injury of all 27 broken bones I've ever had. heard that a lot. Yeah. The worst. I mean, the worst. Um, Erwin Stanton, Jeff's dad, was the first one to me. Um, yeah, it was unreal. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to race that next day my pro debut mm. and uh that was that was the end of that so but that was also you know i i had i needed that time off a little bit because i had been going full strong and so that gave me a little bit of breathing room so i you know basically got a little rest and came back okay you know, ready so and that was 86 probably really motivated, huh? That, that would have been 85, 85 because because in 85, so four weeks, so Redbud was that, that so it would be 4th of July weekend, and Loretta Lens was always like the first weekend in, in August. Mm -hmm. Four weeks later, I won the 250 class with a, with, after my dislocation. After your dislocation. Yeah, and I wasn't even supposed, I wasn't even supposed to be off crutches because I went into the doctor's office and I walked in and he was all pissed. Dr. Probably. Peters, he lost his mind on me. I mean, F bombed me everything. <laughs> and he's like, you're going to have nerve damage. Your, your hips, bones going to die and everything else. And I'm like, okay, well I just won the 250 national championship. So I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs> and he was like, and his actually, here's another funny thing is Mike Lipscomb, the guy I talked about earlier, his mother was his head surgical nurse. So he would always hear, like stuff that I was racing, so he would just it just burned it just burned him up, and mm. yeah, it was crazy. That's pretty funny. Do so, you have issues with the hip now? None. No, that's totally fine. Yeah. yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. So the '86 season, then you did. Did you do all the Supercross? Or you just sort of picked and just the, chose, yeah. you know, here and there. Yeah, what was close? Yeah, just on the East Coast stuff. All right, so. But you did. But you did okay. You said top. You got a sixth. That's your first one. Fifth. Huh? Fifth. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty impressive. Did that turn heads at all, or? Yeah, Yamaha. I mean, Yamaha was always pretty uh, devoted to me. They 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 pretty much you know when it came to support bikes and parts, and they pretty much gave me everything I needed all the time. They were very good to me, and you, you were kind of in that era when you know the the east west split happened, and it was. It was a huge advantage to live in here in California because all the manufacturers here. Right. There wasn't. It was tough living on the East Coast. It Did was. you experience that Absolutely. where you just couldn't get no, a break? It, yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't that I couldn't get a break. It was just that everything was. Um, 
very well, the country seems so much bigger before internet and cell phones, right? Yeah. I mean, 2,500 miles to go somewhere, it's a big freaking deal. Well, and if, if he wins a, you know, a, a, a big race, local race, you don't hear about yeah. it until... Cycle news. Two weeks later in cycle news, and, you know, I don't know, it's just different. Well, not only that is, is I think it was, there was a lot more favoritism to the West Coast riders because it, well, number one, it's easy because they're always in front of your face. Um, they're always going to get the best stuff, the best development parts, you know, if there's extra works parts or anything that's kind of flowing around here and there. The local guys that are here close to in Brea and stuff like that and you know for for Yamaha and Suzuki and all stuff they're gonna get the stuff quicker mm-hmm. than me over in BFE so yeah. um, my bikes are stock except for you know Tom Faulkner built my motors um, he was a local guy that was just a fanatic about building two strokes and they were super fast um, but I didn't I mean for the most part my bikes were just always stock looking and yeah. ran very well my yeah. dad was very good at at making my bikes run well they prepared well jetted well he was very very good at that mm. you know but he you know my dad could rebuild a crank a full motor on a 125 in oh, 45 minutes to an hour it was crazy he was mm. so good at it so but hmm. and he just got good at it just because I, mean, I blew him up all the time yeah yeah because i was hard well, also in, in in that area Bikes broke all the time. You were forced to work on your own bikes. Yeah. I mean, if you had to rely on someone to come and fix it, you would, you really wouldn't get any riding in. And I think that's one of the things you've noticed that's changed over the years. A lot of kids nowadays, they struggle to change their air filter. Yeah, and here's another learning lesson um, my dad put on me. Um, so my first support ride, four YZ80s came to the house all in crates. And oh, yeah, build your bikes, kid. He, well, not only that, he said, before you're riding your motorcycle... He says, you're going to tear that motorcycle down. He says, and then you're going to put it back together. He says, because you need to know how to work on it. Because when I'm not here, you got to be able to fix something. So I had to tear the motorcycle completely down and then put it back together. Make you like grease bearings and stuff like everything, that? Or everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I tore it all down and put it back. And it was definitely a huge learning experience. But it broadened my spectrum on what the heck was going on. I mean, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm definitely not probably the best test rider because I'm a also the wall rider, I don't, you know, I, I'm not a lot of finesse, um, but I learned a lot about the working ins and outs of a motorcycle. Um, so that definitely helped me progress as a rider because when he wasn't there, I could work on my own stuff anytime. Yeah. So in that, I think there's a lot of kids today that don't have any idea what even a motorcycle does. I agree, unfortunately. Um, 87, still with Yamaha? Yep. And you did the whole series that year? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it, you finished third, which is pretty good in Supercross, right? Yeah. So in '87, um, I decided to to go full in, and I hired I hired a mechanic. Um, you guys know Mark Johnson from Suzuki Caveman. Caveman. That's that was I, your guy. I hired Mark out of Moses Lake, Washington, off of Cycle News. <laughs> uh, he drove from Moses Lake, Washington. In a Dodge Scooby Doo yellow van, <laughs> all the way that to sounds Mi- right to Michigan. He was Damon Huffman's mechanic during his winning say, years at Suzuki. I think I've seen pictures of the Scooby Doo van hair. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, so I I I hired him and he drove to Michigan and then my dad called me and said, "Well, he said uh, he's going to fly down because I was in Florida already training." And he said, he's going to fly down. You can pick him up at, at the Orlando airport. And I was down there 
training with Kenny Bollmeyer, who was a Yamaha support rider. And so I go to the airport to pick him up. And I didn't, my dad didn't even tell me what he looked like. And he, my dad's like, yo, well, you'll know. You'll, you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that before. And, you'll know when and, you see and him. And so uh, he, okay. comes, he comes off the plane and he has a cowboy hat, a full on the button up. Like the the snap button, like uh, the cowboy shirt, yeah, bell bottom, like cowboy pants with cowboy boots on. And he comes walking up to me. He's like, he's like, you Todd? And I'm like, yep. And he's like, I, I'm Mark Johnson. I'm like, good lord, <laughs> what is it? I'm like, I got a cowboy. But no, I tell you what, Mark is, uh, he's a different dude. But he is a good mechanic, is an awesome dude. Yeah. Um, my first, we went uh, to our first race in Atlanta. We did, it was actually Atlanta Arena Cross. Um, and it was the, I don't remember what they called that arena, but um, we went there and it was his first time being my mechanic. I got the whole shot in the main event and I was leading, Guy Cooper was behind me. Second lap, I went around and I hit the finish line tabletop, and my seat flew off. Oh no! I went, I hit the tabletop, and seat bounced, and my seat went flipping up, <laughs> and then it, it landed on my head and bounced off, and so I had to stand up the whole rest of the race. And I, I don't even know what I finished, but I came off the track, and I was like, you know, that's not the greatest start to your uh, <laughs> to your employment with me I said this is probably we're probably gonna have to do a little better uh, so yeah what do you say it, well, he, he was, was such a quirky yeah dude. he was just like oh, I don't know I thought I put the bolts in I don't know what happened he uh, would like scratch his head yeah, like this yeah I don't know I don't have <laughs> yeah so but no he uh, from that point on it was funny because you know he was with me for four years and I never had a DNF is that right yeah yeah, he seemed like he was super competent. He yeah. was the Suzuki support guy when I was yeah. a Suzuki support kid. Yeah. Okay, side note. The first job, Dave Feeney, who's now Zach Osborne's championship win winning mm -hmm. mechanic, his first job was working for Phil Lawrence when they were uh, when he was a privateer at uh, Great Western Bank that year. And they were out at the test track that year, 95. Mm-hmm. And Phil's riding his bike with Dave for the first time, same situation, goes over the triple and the pipe falls off. His whole exhaust fight fell off over the triple. <laughs> and he came in and kind of, you know, Phil, yeah. real, well, that's not good, yeah. you know, or something yeah. like just some oh, yeah. stupid comment like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, yeah. I had that. When I went to Pro Circuit, I got Dino Dan, and, and I'd never met him. And Mitch is like, he's the best mechanic I have. You're going to be stoked. I said, okay, cool. The very, very first day we went to the test track, I go on the track, and I think from adjusting everything, he never nipped up the handlebars, and I landed, and the bars oh. just went to the tank. He was so apologetic and same thing. I thought, oh, boy, this is going to be... I never had a bolt come loose in the next five years of working with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably plenty stripped after that. <laughs> dude, when we were at Glen Helen 07, when the championship was on the line, I had to tell him, like, dude, stop. You're making me nervous. He checked the bike 
non-stop every single bolt over and over and over and over and over i'm like you're obsessive compulsive go sit down and have a have a soda or something that's funny <laughs> but that's what you need sometimes is that that kind of personality yeah and uh i got a little story here is this the, i gotta tell the story because it's my dad's favorite story so in it was either 85 or 86 i was still doing some amateur stuff um so i went to lake whitney um for the lake whitney gnc GN, or no the lake whitney it was back then it was the motocross championships they had the uh, basically, South Championship was a big Lake Whitney championship back then. For pro racing or amateur? For amateur. Yeah, the GNC, right? Yeah, uh, GNC. Yeah, good times. Yep. yep. Or whatever that was called. So yeah. I went down there. <laughs> good and, times. Uh, or something. We, so we, we flew down. We we created, we put my bike in a crate and flew down and uh, got a Ford Tempo rent-a-car and went to the hotel and put the bike together in the hotel. And we put it in the back of the Ford Tempo with the front wheel hanging out of the back with the trunk just pulled down, <laughs> my gear bag thrown in the back. We go to the race and uh, I win the 125 Expert full on, just, you know, win all the motos. And Sean Kalos is there and a bunch of other really fast guys. And Sean Kalos is there with his big bus. And we pulled in in the Tempo with my bike hanging out of the back. And we pull out and I have them they had those huge six foot trophies back then. yeah and I have that huge six foot trophy sticking out the side of the car <laughs> and my bike out the back and my we pull out in that Ford Temple and uh, Grandpa Kalos is standing there next to the bus and my dad's driving and he does this to him and Grandpa Kalos looks at us looks at his bus shakes his head <laughs> Turns back around, and my dad says, "That's the best story. That's the best day I've ever yeah, had." Yeah, well, so I'm sure that was just one of those days where he, he tells that story all the time. It's everybody funny. knows that bus too. It's funny. Everybody, I, everywhere from still, that era, he still has it. I heard he still has yeah, it. Yeah, I was talking to Sean yeah. yesterday or two days ago, and he says still has, it's still full of parts. He says he still got. I got original. There's Oakley blades in there. Everything. He says all kinds of stuff. I said, well, <laughs> no "I'm gonna way. find that thing and rob it." <laughs> it's got all kinds of vintage stuff. You know what would be fun is to go out there and do a tour through it, like. Walk through it, and that would be rad. He's got, it'd, be, it'd be like it'd be like a time machine. Totally, yeah. yeah. He's got his works parts, all kinds of stuff in that thing. Still, it's, it's unchanged. Is Lloyd? Is Grandpa yeah. still around? Yeah, still doing good. Like eighty, I think he said he was like eighty-five. So. Crazy. Speaking yeah. of Dave Feeney, he? he was racing on the weekend as well on a CR five hundred. Yeah, Feeney, I talked to him. I congrats. Quite a lot of people out there. Congratulated him on his championship. Good guy. Okay, 87, let's go back to that. Outdoors. You did the whole outdoor series too? I did. How'd that go? Um, pretty good. I mean, I'm looking at, like, I had some, I think I got 10th overall that year. I mean, so, I, you know, I think I expected more out of myself. Um, I had, you know, like 7th overall at Redbud for my first time. And, I mean, there were some glimpses of yeah. brilliance, but I have always had bad one moto great yeah you know so well looking through as i was looking through just to your overall results from all the years yeah. it seems like you had a little more success in supercross yeah were you always a little more comfortable there than outdoors well, i was a big jumper yeah. i was fearless i mean that was my thing is i was always you know just i didn't i didn't, I didn't care what the repercussions were i just go for it that yeah. was one of the things that was necessary in supercross yeah yeah go for it <laughs> well also the tracks you know if you go back to the 80s they weren't nicely groomed, man. A lot of times you just had to send it and just jump out further oh, yeah. to the flat. Or right, exactly. 
you know, get through the Himalayas better than someone else? Or well, that was the thing is like you know the jumps were so peaked back then. It was like better to over jump than to yeah, try and downside anything because so you. It was funny because you, you watch some of the old old videos and stuff. It's you know. You didn't you didn't hit the rear brake that much because you were front wheel high trying to make sure that you just over jump yep. something. So timing came into it later on. That's where yeah. you know that kind of stuff I learned later on. But you know back then you just you just whiskeyed it out and hope for the best. Whatever you had to do to clear the triple, exactly, and then just keep her up on that reminds wheels. me a little bit of like when you watch some of Wardy's footage from Supercross yeah. I mean it wasn't always the prettiest but no. he just yeah. sent it you yeah. know like that's what this the scar right here is it's uh, 34 stitches inside and out and these two teeth broke off I ripped the gums right off of the inside of my mouth because uh, I tried to jump a quad on a what 12 horsepower RM 125 <laughs> and uh, ended up casing and catching the crossbar bolt just in front oh. of the crossbar pad with my chin and it just huge gaping hole i could talk out of it oh my so, gosh but yeah it's i mean you just and then you know I, it, here's the funny thing is i had that stitched all up these two teeth still were not fixed and i went to the usgp at steel city and i finished in the top 10 and, and when i would race and i'd breathe in the nerves were open, so it would give me like a wake-up call every time. I'd, oh, my God. I'd be like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> just like, so you didn't have any, have to worry about arm pump or anything like that. You're just You're too worried about the pain in your exactly. mouth. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you got a third in Supercross that year, top 10 outdoors. How did you line up a factory Suzuki ride? And who were the guys that beat you in Supercross that year? Keith, uh, Keith Turpin and Ronnie Tishner. Turpin yeah. uh, won the title or he won the title? Well, they, they flip-flop, so I'm not sure if if Keith won in 86 and, and Tishner did 87, it's either, 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 either or. or. Okay. So, but, uh, and they were both Suzuki at that time. Yeah. Suzuki was a powerhouse team. I mean that they had, I mean, their bikes were, I think that was one of the things that kind of basically helped me decide what to do because the, their 125s were so good. I mean, they just ran so good, were so fast, and handled so well, and just, I think that had a lot of, lot to do with it, even though, looking back, um, it might have been a poor decision, kind of, you know, going back, when I go through things, it, it was maybe a bad decision, like when we're going to get into now, is, is, at the end of 87, I had finished third, so those guys that were moving up to the 250 class, um, so I was the next guy in line, and so I, I we flew out to California and we did uh, contract talks with all four manufacturers. Um, I had good offers from from everybody. Um, Yamaha had a had a great offer. Ha, we went and sat down with Honda, and they had a really good offer. Um, we went to Suzuki. Kawasaki was there, but not. It just it didn't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, when I went to the Honda meeting, you know Hondas. They at that time they were very they were getting to that powerhouse thing. Yep. Um, so there was a little bit of arrogance mm. there. I I think my dad and I both felt, um, and they didn't weren't offering me as much as Suzuki was. Looking back, it was probably a better, a better offer, just because of what could have happened in the future. Yeah. Um, but you don't know that at the time. So, 
The Suzuki deal was more money. Um, so I think the greed kind of, kind of weighed in and the way the bikes ran. But I think if I would have been smart, I would have taken the Honda deal because I think they would have looked out for me better. Um, so? as a team. Yeah. Because I don't feel in my mind that Suzuki had their, my best interest, um, for the future, um, in mind. So I, I just look back at it at, at a perspective as, is they were trying to, I don't know if they didn't see enough in me to think for the future, but I think they just kind of, well, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but having talked to like Coop and Larry Ward. And when you talk about that era, like you said, Suzuki had so many guys coming out of that one. They have such a big 125 program that then when they were ready to move up, there, was, there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough 250 jobs to keep everybody. I remember Larry Ward telling us, he felt like he should have had a deal and they were kind of like, dude, we, we don't have the parts for you. So we'll give you bikes, yeah. but you're on your own. So I think uh, they maybe overpacked their 125 group. So they left them nowhere to go. Would, I mean, I wasn't here or that involved, but just looking from the outside, it almost seems to me like that was that time in racing where um, the manufacturers were doing, making decisions almost on the fly. Yeah. It seemed like, like, hey, we're, we're selling bikes, racing's growing in this country, we're investing more, we're developing. And then I think what happens is you realize, it's like anything, oh, this snowballed pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Honda had yeah. all these factory guys lined up, you know, so many teams. And then it seemed like after that, people kind of streamlined. And after that, it seemed like it became more normal to have two 250 guys and a satellite 125. You know what I mean? It seemed yeah. to become a little more structured because for a while it was a, they're a four-man team, they're a three-man team. I mean, for a while, Cowie had really just Wardy. You know what I mean? Like it just seemed like manufacturers were just going by the seat of the pants and then figured out a bit of a, a strategy or a plan moving forward. How, how much different was it financially? I mean, you know, was it like twice as much or was that the biggest reason that you went it to It was Suzuki? 30 grand. So it was considerable. A lot then. Yeah. 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 So, um, I was going to say in the eighties, most that's people a lot of money. Most people didn't make 30 grand. Of, right. It's a lot of money. Yeah. So, and, and that was probably the, the biggest deciding point. And but you also said the bike was good. The bike was very good. Um, to me, that would have been the, an easy decision at that time. You know, what's funny. Is yeah, it's always easy to look back and question it, but at the time. It, well, and the reason I question it is because and this is what we're going to get into, and this is kind of a, a touchy subject with me because it's a defining moment in my career. Um, in 88, I was, you know, I was pretty dominant. I won three Supercrosses, and there were some Supercrosses. I had some crashes. Um, at the East-West Challenge, uh, Matasevich and I took each other out, and I ended up breaking my clutch lever off, so I ended up seventh. Um, and, but, it, you know, there was... I, I raced... They basically forced me to race. They they wanted me to race West Coast Supercross on a 250, and they really didn't give me a, a choice. You know, they wanted to see. Oh, really? Yeah, they said, "Well, we want you to race these, you know, two races." And so I raced the Seattle, and I finished top ten, and in my first outing in 250. So. That gave me a lot of points. And right. That's what I was just going to say. You had to be really careful back then. Well, because see, I didn't know that. Uh, we didn't. We're dumb Hudsonville people, okay? I mean, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't know pro <laughs> well, racing. Well, that jammed rules. a lot of guys up. We didn't know pro racing point rules. We didn't yeah. know this, and so 
This comes up on every old I, uh, show. So for me, it was one of those things where I'm just following directions. You want me to race, I'll race. I'll twist the throttle. You want me to twist the throttle, I'll do it. Yeah. So I'm out there racing and doing the best. I mean, I think I'm I'm trying to prove prove myself. Okay, I'm I'm out there riding the 250 class. You don't realize you're shooting yourself in the foot. Right. So I do the Seattle round, and I mean that was the first time I'd battling with my heroes i ended up passing lachine and you know beating them in one of the main events and i couldn't believe i had actually done that so there's just yeah pivotal. seattle was double header in the kingdom wasn't it yeah that's right so so i you know i'd finished top 10 and uh both those nights and so that gave me a, a crap ton of points so you you go back to riding supercross in the 125 class come back to the east I ended up finishing out, you know, the season and uh, and winning the championship, which is at the end of the, the last round at, at uh, you'll like the story, my old buddy Mike Jones, and he he who's, he finished second. Okay. And, and uh, only, uh, I think I ended up being maybe, I don't know, maybe 16 points behind me, but it was like uh, three going into the last round. Okay. But he had a... Oh, it was that close. Yeah, he had a bad round. Because um, I had crashed and almost DNF'd after one round. So, but uh, yeah, he, so it was three points going into the last round and we go to the starting line at, in uh, the Meadowlands and he, we're walking, I'm walking to the gate and he comes up and he steps in front of me and blocks me and he, and we were, we were, we were teammates the year before because okay. he was Team Yama and I actually had stayed at his home and uh, he walks up and he stops me and he goes and he pokes me in the chest and he goes, I'm taking you down. I'm winning this championship, and that's all there is to it. And like he's like full on serious. And I looked at him, and I just started laughing. I said, "Well, first of all, you got to beat me to the first corner, and you haven't done that once this year." <laughs> and so, and I just got it to walk around him and walked and started prepping my gate, and ended up, you know, getting the start. And Larocco passed me. I think uh, I was getting nervous because I knew I yeah. was winning it. But Larocco passed me. I think two laps from the end, but. Well, yeah, yeah, he ended up getting like seventh or eighth. So, but yeah, <laughs> I just thought That's that was funny. that was full on Jonesy. That's total Jonesy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that doesn't even surprise me. Nope. Like, yeah. All right. So, you sign with Suzuki. You win the championship for him. You put a couple of good results in on that two fifty. Mm -hmm. Does that does that point you out for eighty nine? So, and then you know, back then you got to remember that everything was combined, outdoors. Supercross, all the points. For move-up points. Yeah, everything okay. was combined. So um, I did really well outdoors, too, because I finished, I think I finished eighth overall. I had some good finishes. I mean, I, I, I'm looking here, I got fourth at high point. Um, but what happened was is so I ended up, get, you know, what is it? I am trying to write this down. I ended up having 416 total points. Okay. And 400 was the point out. So those 16 points that I got at Seattle killed you. Killed me. Right. And so at the end of the year, I mean, Suzuki was like, all our spots are filled for the 250 class. You're on your own. Ah. And I, you know, I, I just figured I'd won the championship. I did really well outdoors. I did well in 250 Supercross when I, you know, I figured, you know, well, I'm going to re-up for sure. Nope. 
And then I started shopping around other people. No, we're full. We don't have anything. We don't have anything. I mean, so basically tail between the legs, come back to Suzuki and say, hey, can you do anything for me? And they're like, well, we can give you a, a small support ride. We'll give you some bikes and some parts. And so That's we're talking about a shot Jeez. to the heart. And, you know, you're basically, it's almost like a Malcolm Stewart thing where you're just like, yeah, you're done. Uh, so for me, it, it took it took a lot of wind out of my sail because mm. I I, you know, I thought I was on that fast track to becoming, um, you know, a big a big name yeah. guy. So well, Denny Stevenson I think went through the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Budman went through the same kind Lammy, of thing. Lammy, remember Lammy? He pointed out early too. Yeah, yeah. He had to go up yeah. and then back down. And yeah, Denny and I are really good friends. We have a, a lot in common. We did a lot of. A lot of fun things in arena cross. So. Yeah, I'm oh, sure. That, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, all right. So, were you still with? You were still with Cavemen as your yeah. Mechanic, all time. Until the end of uh, let's see, I think um, I got to find a picture of of you two together. Did you send me any by any chance? I I have some. You'll have to send me one. Yeah, I, I, I have some on my phone. Yeah. So anybody that knows him, man, he was such a well, he started with me. Well, when I, he, we stayed because he didn't care about anything. So, <laughs> I mean, we, I went home for one weekend and I came back down to Florida and he picked me up at the airport and we went to the supposed hotel we were staying in. And there was, it was a three room hotel or motel and there was one single bed and there was, I mean, cockroaches and bugs everywhere. And I'm like, you're, this is where we're staying. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I said, well, I'm sleeping in the box van. I'll come in to shower when yeah. we do. It, it was, it, yeah, he, but he didn't care. I mean, he could, he could live everywhere. And another side note, leave, leaving Seattle Supercross, going back to his home in the box van. He was driving the Scooby-Doo van. We're uh, crossing uh, Donner's Pass. Uh -huh. Snowing like hell. Cold. I mean, this is the coldest, some of the coldest weather I've ever been in. So it was in, my van's a diesel. And I got this. You guys came all the way down to Donner Pass in Tahoe? Uh, uh, yeah. Snowqualmie Pass, yeah, maybe? Something, yeah, one of the passes. Okay. But anyways, it's snowing like hell. It's f minus 40. And I have a diesel box van. And, it's, and so I keep trying to put in, they call it Red Hot. Back uh -huh. on the West Coast, it's called Red Hot, but it's 911 where we live. But so I'm putting this Red Hot, trying to keep the diesel from not gelling up. And uh, so we come over the pass. It's, it's 40 degrees below zero. And then he's ahead of me, but I can't see him because he's gotten a little bit away. I come over the pass and I start coming down this hill. He's running up the road. Naked, <laughs> going, waving his arms like this, completely naked, forty degrees below zero, just because he thought that would he be thought funny. it'd be funny. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "What is wrong?" That with doesn't you? surprise me yeah. at all. Yeah. That sounds like him. Yeah. So um, that year, you had wins at Daytona, Pontiac, and Tampa, right? Those yep. three rounds. Yeah. And I thought, man, one Daytona. How cool is it to have a win at Daytona? Yeah. Put your name on that trophy. Pontiac's your Hometown. Hometown-ish. Yeah. Um, do you, so do you know what happened the first night at Pontiac? So I, what did I no. get? Fourth. I got fourth, I think, in the first night. So anyways, um, 
and I sent you a picture of it. Okay. Um, the first night, I'd come down from up in the stands, drop into the pocket, and hit the triple. Uh-huh. My feet stuck into the face of the jump, and I did the first Superman. And oh, so I always, I, I, that. I have I've pictures. Seen that. You have I'm, a picture of it? Yeah, I have pictures okay, of it. I we'll sent it, it to up. Donnie. But yeah, so. That made it I, to one of the crash videos. Yeah, and I always, I always give Travis Pastrana a hard time because I says I was the first man, the first person <laughs> to do the Superman, and so yeah, I've sh- I've showed him pictures of that. But yeah, and they up, call that the flying W. Yeah, at the so time. I ended up I ended up landing when I I landed it. Into I, a, I into held a nutcracker, under, but I landed it and went through that you know that yellow Suzuki banana fender. Yeah. I went through the fender and landed with my legs apart on the rear tire. And it ripped my pants like right off through the crotch. Took quite a bit of flesh off my nutsack and the inner thighs of my of my legs. And so I ended up getting fourth that night in the main, but then I won the second night, but I had to put salve all through the inside of my pants because it was all raw. Oh yeah. Your bonch is medium rare after it was that ride. So bad. It was Wow. Yeah. Makes me cringe thinking about it. <clears throat> so of those three wins, what was your favorite? Daytona. Daytona. Yeah, yeah, but just I mean, just Pon- Pontiac was great, but Daytona was special. Something about it, huh? Because I, <sighs> the girls aren't my daughters shouldn't listen to this. So <laughs> the night before, I went out. Being Keith Turpin were, were good buddies, uh-huh. and a couple other riders. We went out, and you know. We weren't supposed to go out, you know, yeah, but we went out uh, to the club <laughs> yeah. and uh, we were out drinking. Not Razzles, was it? At, I think it might have been. <laughs> Has it been on, around that on long? On the beach, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it might have been. So we went drinking and we were drinking basically all night long until like four in the morning. We got back. I think I slept for an hour and then went to the track. And there's a pretty good chance I might have been still drunk in practice. No wonder you were so fast. And when <laughs> it's it it's pretty. I mean, I, it never happened again. But I mean, I was on rails that day. It yeah. was just a weird thing where I had no sleep. I just was. And this is back when Daytona Sunday daytime. It's rough. It's hot. Rough and hot. I mean, but I just motos were thirty minutes. Yep, I just gelled and like, you got, had no time yeah. to think about anything. That's what it was. I mean, I just I mean, you didn't I, psych yourself out. No, I came off the the start in the main. I won my heat race. Came off the start in the main, and I had Brian um, McElroy, uh, McElroy um, got the whole shot. I passed him and just Ch- took made, off. Made it my race, and but it was just one of those things. I came off and I thought, how does that work? Who, is, that way who, is, who would you say is your biggest rival or rivals in your career? Or did you ever have anybody that you were constantly banging against? I just no. Just I whoever. just battled with everybody. Everts I mean, when you go to Europe. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't much know, of a battle. I just cleaned them out. <laughs> there put them in al- his place. There was always that that thing where you know, you know Jeff Matasevich was on the west and I was on the east, but we never got a lot of chances to race each other except for the one race. And I mean, and you know, he won two championships. Uh, championships and uh, you know obviously he has a more predominant com- career than I do just you know did much better and but I think that uh, for me it was just it's kind of like a Damon Bradshaw thing I race everybody I didn't, really yeah. didn't care who it was and I didn't really have any people that I I mean I rode with the you know I mean when I raced the one twenty five it was Denny Stevenson and yeah. Jones and I feel like 
you maybe have had some run-ins with a lot of different guys, though. I have. Didn't you, uh, you and Factory Phil had a little issue. We did. Because I remember when I came to that, uh, yeah. we were back in Holland for a summer with our, our family. Southwick. Southwick was one of my favorite tracks, and I've always had really good finishes there. Um, but uh, it was just one of the one one of the motos. Um, Phil was in front of me, and you would come off the start, sweep, drop, sweep, and then you would drop into that cavity. The go frog pond, to, right? Yeah, and then go up. Up. And it was steep. Yeah. Well, I parked Phil off into the woods, and he ended up breaking his collarbone. And so we pretty much weren't very good friends after that. I mean, so, we were, so Phil and I go to this rinky-dink little arena cross when we were out there. It was happening with the local fair. And uh, did we bump into you out there? No, I, think I, I, I never did. Yeah, we yeah. texted each other. I never got to meet up. So. Anyway, he goes, yeah, I don't know. Phil might still be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was it was just one of those things where I got up on the inside of him and I you know, just ran him a little high and he went off and he went off into the trees and ended up breaking his collarbones. So. Everyone's he broke those a hundred times. That's fine. Well, think about it. How many times are they a ride is that maybe didn't like each other because of racing, but off the track, they're both really good dudes. Yeah. And you're like, you know, if you guys didn't battle, you'd probably really get along very well. Yeah. You're very similar. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a perfect example is in, uh, um, in 89, I was at, uh, did the Supercross at um, Anaheim, and I got 14th in the 250 class. Got in the van, drove through the night to uh, San Diego for the Carlsbad um, G, uh, Golden State Series. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was all, everybody was in it. And I led, I caught and passed um, Emig. And then he tried to pass me back and, I, and we collided and he went into the bridge. You can watch it on YouTube. It's American yeah, Cavalcade. I've seen it. Yeah. And I, he hits the bridge and we were... I mean, his my, his dad and my dad were pretty good friends before that, <laughs> and I was decent friends with him. But somebody else had that footage. That I was feel it, like somebody filmed it. We yeah. didn't we have someone on the show that actually filmed some of that, or their dad, or somebody actually oh. filmed it. I'm not sure, but it's on. It's, yeah, you can. It's like American Cavalcade. It was like a whole. It was yeah. like almost like Wide World of Sports. But yeah, yeah. I, I led. That was the same. Was it the same show? They had the eighty class. Oh, well, no, it would have been a different year. Yeah. Been so Zemic yeah, was right. I was 80, I was wearing pink high point gear. It was on a Suzuki, and and Craig passed me. I think like four laps. Mike Craig passed me like four laps from the end, so I ended up getting was, second. Was Button in that race? No, You're I'm, thinking of the eighty race. That was Gaddis and Button and. Uh, uh, okay. Emig and Pat Chad Pedersen. Yes. Yeah. That was. And, I, and I, you know, for me, I, I felt bad because it was it was like I didn't try to take him out. It was just a collision. We kind of yeah. caught bars and he yeah. went off. Yeah. But you know, I don't think we never never. I don't think I mean, we would get along fine now because yeah. I mean you know, we were teammates over in Farley and stuff. And but yeah, it's just one of those things where it kind of set our path where we just yeah went that way. Yeah. So yeah, we we've had a million of those stories <laughs> where. You know, you hated somebody all through your racing career. And then when you're done, you go, ah, it's water under the bridge. Right. Like, you know, we're adults now. I don't give a crap about what happened mm -hmm. back then. Uh, so what did you do during the winter? Obviously, in Michigan, you're not, can't ride from probably, what, November to yeah. March? Pretty much. April? Yeah. Um, ice racing, man. Yeah, I guess <laughs> you did some ice <laughs> racing, uh, you know, snowmobiling, um, basically whatever you, you know keep, keep yourself busy but for the for the most part i would you know try to go south to florida and yeah. ride it's kind of what everyone did croom a lot of a lot of motos at croom and uh hard rock and hard rock yeah, yeah. croom is cool did you ever ride down there yeah 
Because I lived in, in Claremont for a while, so I rode quite a bit at Hard Rock. And, well, uh, Croom, isn't Croom, Croom up north? It's, from it's Brooksville. It's, it's, yeah, it was just more west from me. Oh, okay. It's actually not that far from like Tampa and, and that, that area. Is that right? Okay. Like where Red Dog and, and Chad and them all <laughs> were based. And then next to Croom was, um, what's his name? Had a track there as well. Kessler? <sighs> It'll come to me. Or maybe it went. Uh, the old former racer you're talking about? Yes. Um, yeah, well, Mickey Kessler had a track right around the corner from there that we raced at, like a Florida Series This race would at. have been after that, I think, you're talking about. Because then um, there's um, Dade City is... is yeah, uh, I was still there. A lot of there was Dade actually City. a few tracks around. I know some have closed since then, but... Mm -hmm. Um, during that time, were you doing a lot of European races, European Supercross? I didn't. I didn't do anything European until uh, after I won the championship. Then I started getting some people interested in me and traveling. So, but no, I, I did a lot of uh, a lot of races um, overseas. Uh, my first that was kind of the era where you could make good money going. Yeah, around. and I did. Um, my first race was um, uh, England and uh birmingham okay and it was actually with brock and ricky and uh who else was there I'm trying to remember but yeah i ended up uh finishing seventh in the main um ricky won i think brock got fourth jeff leask was there there's there's quite a few guys there. There was a guy there that was an Eng uh, English guy that was super fast, and he was just like Damon Bradshaw, and he finished he finished second behind Ricky. Um, British guy, huh? Yeah, he not, was not good. Rob Herring, was it? No, mm, Rob was there too. I beat him. Huh? I think it would have been but kind of a name that you did, that wouldn't stand. And out. he he, I'm trying to remember. <sighs> he was super fast. I thought he was going to be the next big thing. Wow. I mean, he if. It blows me away that someone, and I. It, this is stupid that we. I don't know his name, but it blows me away that someone didn't pick him up for the American Supercross because, I mean, he legit gave Ricky a run for his money. Wow. I mean, it was... It Who was, the hell would that have been? Uh, you got my wheels turning now because yeah. I'm thinking late 80s. If it was someone, I mean, obviously, you would have known names like Jobe and... It wasn't anything like that. Um, huh. Wild. Yeah. We'll have to look into that. Yeah, but it, he, he flat out... I mean, even Ricky, I'll tell you, he flat out gave him a run. He was good. Yeah, that's interesting. And that was when Ricky was, yeah, yeah he was, was the man. Was, yeah. <clears throat> so, What was your favorite overseas race to do? Did you ever do Saparitis? Yeah, I did. Uh, I rode a Carpy Motor Suzuki. Um, oh, yeah, I remember them. I went there thinking I was going to light the world on fire because it was right in that period where I was going really good. And... In the back, they had a triple step over. So it was like it was a jump. It went up, and then it went higher, and then it dropped dropped off the back, like all the way down to the bottom. Uh -huh. well, it was only Ricky and I were doing it. And I hit it, and I over-jumped, and I flat-landed, and I just totally just Taco almost like wrist. tacoed my wrist. And I... To be honest with you, I don't know. Remember what I finished in the main? I, you know, I think I did okay, but I was injured basically the whole time I rode, and yeah. I, I really felt good. I mean, the, that track was so hard to ride though with the rocks; it was so rocky. But the Saparides were so good to me. I mean, they treated me well, and 
you know, gave me some furniture and, you know. <laughs> I, think I, a, I think a lot of Americans I'm ended sorry. up with furniture. I'm sorry about your wrist. Here's a sofa. Yeah. yeah. No, I ended up with some really cool, like, uh, like chairs. I mean, uh -huh. I still have it. I mean, I still have the, the, the chairs and stuff, but no, it's, they were just super nice people. Yeah, everybody says that. Yeah. And the food at their restaurant yeah. was incredible. Yeah. Super classy. Yeah. You got any good off-season uh, race stories? I have lots of... What's your favorite? Tell us your favorite. Well, I mean... There's so many, I mean, oh, I mean, even end season race stories, but you know, just going over, it's funny is, is you go over to these overseas races and you don't know, you know, a lot of your competitors and how, you know, who they are, how they act and stuff like that until you do overseas races with them. And then all of a sudden you start becoming a lot tighter. Yeah. You know, it's... You, you see the real the real person yeah. that you don't know uh, behind the scenes, and it's uh, it's funny. Um, Mike Craig definitely. <laughs> you got to see. You got well, to know. He was my Mike teammate on Honda Detroit, but I mean, you know, doing overseas races, you got to definitely see some some different perspectives of of Mike and I mean Matasevich and you know just those guys. They're just they were just so crazy. It, it was almost like like you know Jeff Glass and every, like everyone was trying to just up each other like yeah. you know who can do something more stupid than the next yeah and i mean i remember going we well, got a bunch of you know early 20 year olds i'm surprised they went going to europe getting paid <clears throat> a lot of really money. good money jet lagged so no parents no, yeah. no supervision it's like go nuts just it show was up here. i mean you could pretty much get away with and back then i mean no social media you could get away with yeah. anything you wanted all the time it was it was amazing because I mean, there was no repercussions no. for anything. You just I, did I what feel you like want. the riders in the '80s and '90s were just a wild bunch. Yeah, even in South Africa, the guys I looked up to. I remember a few times, like, they'd be at the hotel and after prize giving, and Dad goes to have a few beers, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Whoa, he's hammered and riding his <laughs> dirt bike through the hotel, smashing TVs," and you're just like, "These guys are lunatics." <laughs> yeah, but you you'll devolve as as far back as you can and stay within the law, right? It was really as long as you don't go to jail, right? You're, you're okay. Yeah. Well, now, but I feel like social media has made it to where you, oh. you can't get away with anything. No, so hey, you know how many like, times I think people have been so close to going to jail and it took some good convincing or a sweet talking or some tickets to the race or oh, something yeah. to keep people out of jail? Oh, oh yeah. perfect example. Here's, here's a good one. Uh, after I won the Supercross Championship in New Jersey, uh, Caveman, yeah. Tony Berluti, Tommy Watts, and myself, we went into New York Oh boy! And went to a club called Hot Rods, and it wasn't a gay bar. <laughs> sure, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. So we went there. We're drinking. <laughs> Keep telling us stuff. And, and I'm I'm 19 or 20 or something like that. And uh, so you know I'm I'm drinking and stuff like that. And I wasn't I wasn't lit. And those guys are pretty lit. And so I'm driving the rental car back, and we had to go. We had going out of Lincoln Tunnel, and so there was they had one of the lanes closed to go through the Lincoln Tunnel, and traffic was getting backed up and. I was getting impatient, and I'm like, hell with this. So I blow over into the left lane, and I just blow through all the cones and just go over, get back in the right lane, and just haul ass, and I'm going through the tunnel, and I come up, and through when you go through the Lincoln Tunnel, I don't know if you've been there before, but you go up, and it goes up into like a swirl. Yeah. So you go up, and that big, you, know, you just keep going up in that, that, that swirl. So I'm driving, and all of a sudden, I look down to my right, and I th I'm like, oh, it looks like there's a lot of, like sirens and stuff down there. I wonder what that's all about. Well, all those sirens were in hot pursuit. Oh, of you. Yeah. So there's like five cop cars. So we get up and we get 
to where it straightens out and about within the next four or five minutes i get surrounded by five cop cars and they force me off the road oh jeez! so we got three drunk guys in the car and i'm yeah i'm not drunk but anyways so <laughs> the cops i mean they they draw guns on us and i got to get out of the car he comes up and th- throws me against the car takes my wallet out and he's just reading me the riot act and you know, you don't even know what you're gonna be in for, boy. You're gonna be in jail in New York City. You, you know, it just I'm like, I'm like, I'm just like, please, please don't, don't, don't take me to jail. And yeah, and I somehow you got he goes, he it. goes, he's it's your lucky night. He's like, I'm not, you know, we're just gonna let you go. And I'm like, I don't even know how that no happened. Ticket or anything? Nothing, nothing. They just said, just get home safe. So I was like, You're like uh, I was trying. Yeah. <laughs> Until you fucking interrupted. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And that was just one of those things where, yeah, one of those things that you just look back and go, I could have been in jail in a really bad situation. Jeez. Yeah. Well, we've all and then, there. you know, you have all the rent-a-car rent stories that we all have that, you know, it's a good thing there's insurance because... What's the worst rental car story you have? Where you just well, I've jumped, I've jumped a lot of them, done really stupid things, but Mike... Brown and myself were in Washougal, um, had a Toyota Camry, and we were on our way to play. We were going to go golfing with Jeff DeMent, and uh, we were on our way there, and we're on just a divided highway, and there was a semi-truck in front of us, and all of a sudden, he just darted over to the left lane, and there was a guy on a Kubota tractor with a triangle just in the lane going... 20 maybe with a big huge like belly mower on the back i tried i mean you would have thought the anti-lock uh, anti brakes would work but i probably hit him at <laughs> i probably hit him at 50 40 miles an hour and it just folded the hood and the you know everything like to the windshield and everything else because the the mower deck went just above the radiator so it folded the hood and everything to the windshield and the airbags didn't go off and oh, the that, sensors must that be lower guy, in the bumper I was say, sometimes yeah. that'll happen and that guy when i hit him it was amazing because when i hit him he grabbed onto the underside of the of the of the steering wheel yeah. and the, the mower took off up into the air and it bounced like four times on the road and he ended up you know saving it and rolled off to the side but the car was totaled yeah the mower deck it bent the you know the the swivel wheel in the back it bent the swivel wheel just up like that but other Other than than that that, there was nothing fine and he rode it out i ended up paying him like 800 bucks to fix his tractor but that's all that I got out of that. He's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I thought you should be doing about 25, so I just nudged you up there real quick. <laughs> was he pissed? Like, he I'm was, thinking, he, why are you driving this on the road? I, mean, I, I, was, I was a little pissed because I didn't understand what he was doing on the road on a, a divided highway. He was pissed because I hit him, yeah. and, which was, you know, and, but we settled down pretty quick because I was super happy he wasn't injured and yeah. you know, nothing had happened to him. And But no, I ended up, yeah, I paying him like eight hundred bucks to you know get his. I think he, I think he broke one of his uh, axle shafts on the back, and then um, to get the uh, the mower fixed. So, Jeez. but yeah, it was a cheap fix. 
So well, that's a scary one. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, there was multiple times where we did stupid stuff and jumped, jump things we shouldn't be jumping. Do you know the jump? I always tell people this story because it was when I was a uh, in '94 Suzuki Sport guy. Mm-hmm. Just had did a handful of nationals and Red Bud's the first one I ever did. Yep. And we were staying in. Um, Benton Harbor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and over in that area, there's this old abandoned, I think it was a Walmart, like big concrete tilt up, okay. and had a big parking lot in the front, and then uh, like an access road beside it with a ramp yep. up to then, an upper level lot, and Rhino, and Button, um, Randy Lawrence, who's my mechanic mm-hmm. at the time, took me there and said, well, we're going to send this job, and I'm like, let me out, I don't know what, I, I don't trust Rhino behind the wheel of anything. Yeah. <laughs> And I, Good he jumped that thing 40 feet, just grenaded the oil pan, and they're giggling and laughing, and had Avis bring him a new car. I was just like, Holy okay, shit. well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell this story, even though my kids are here. So I did that to my own car. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was, when I was dating my wife, um, this would have been, this would have been 88, and when I was running the Supercross series, so. So very happy with yourself at this yeah, point in time. I'm, I'm Can't do no wrong. Levels yeah. this it's high. oozing yeah, out of yeah. you. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm an indestructible person at this point. So I, I, I came home and I flew in and uh, it was it was winter time and I I didn't I had a, a you know obviously I have money because I'm you know a professional supercross racer so I can buy a Buick Grand National and a Pro, Pro Street S10. I have all the stuff in storage, but I can't drive it in the winter. So I rent a Plymouth Horizon um, from a rental car place. And uh, so we go out and I'm home for a few days and we're dating and it's like two in the morning. We I take her back home and where um, my mother-in-law lived, you would come and it was basically a higher elevation of where the land was and then in Hudsonville we're known for our salary which is in the lowlands of muckfield so that's it's it's really dark like rich chocolate dirt okay so these you, the upper land drops down these hills and when there's this road that drops down the hill and it goes into the lower muckland and it's it's a long road and it goes to the railroad tracks well, the railroad tracks are elevated because, you know, it's the, they build them all up yeah. higher. So it goes up, and then it would do a rise, and then on the other side of the railroad tracks was a divided highway. And so the road would go up, it would drop down two lanes, go into the median, go back up, and then two more lanes. Okay. Well, I was coming down that hill, 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm in the Plymouth Horizon, and I thought to myself... I wonder how far I can jump this horizon. I hadn't been drinking or nothing, but I'm thinking, I wonder how far I can jump this I horizon. I throw this football over those mountains. <laughs> yeah. So I, I hit that. That and you thought you were going to send it to the downside in the between the lanes? Well, here's the here's the thing. I hit that takeoff at ninety. Oh no. And when I hit that takeoff, and we're talking an elevation change, they know where I'm talking about, 48th and Chicago Drive. So I hit that takeoff. And it's a lot different now. It used to be a high elevation. You know, it used to take off. So I take off, and I'm in the air, and I look over, and I just <laughs> catch the top of the stop sign, like where you would stop for the two lanes going west. And I thought to myself... This was not a good idea. No, I didn't think this through. <laughs> I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> so I'm in the air, 
and the front end starts nosing, and I landed in the eastbound far right lane. So I landed, I cleared all the roads. So I cleared two lanes, the full median in between, the first left lane, and hit into the concrete. On How'd the, you not break your back? I landed and I hit the front end. The wheels went like this. It broke the oil pan off the bottom of the horizon. I hit my head three times on the ceiling before it. For the rebounding. Uh, you know, because it hit, hit, <laughs> and then I and I kept it straight the whole way. And I ended up, you know, I actually drove the car because I was about was it's what two three miles to our old house from there. I actually made it to my house with the car and parked it and called the rental car to place the next day and said, yeah, the car's broken. You need to bring me a new one. And they did. They came and picked it up with a, with a flatbed. And, and yeah, Was there a huge puddle of oil? Oh, a huge puddle of oil. Yeah, and the, the wheels were bent down like that. Yeah, we did that once too, but we took, but it, no, we took it to the, to the airport. You know when you go to the rental car in the airport in those garages, the wheels were like west and east. Yeah. So we came and just, <laughs> everyone's looking. We parked the car. Guy's like, you need a receipt. We just marched the terminal. Then the phone rings, and the guy goes, how the hell did you get the car here? Well, we drove it. He goes, we can't get it to budge. It won't move. I'm, so, like, I'm like, no, you've got to have it in neutral, pick up the RPM, <laughs> then hook it in a drive, and, and it'll go. <laughs> so It'll go. Trust me. So here's, here, here, here's, the, here's the amazing thing. We stepped that thing off 252 feet. To where I impacted, and That's there was impressive. A, there was a hole in the concrete where the oil pan hit, and to this day, I think, how in the world did I not die? You were by yourself, by like, myself. That's the worst idea I've ever heard. Yeah, by myself, and no one even filmed it. No, uh, <laughs> didn't no. even happen. No, literally that just divot that huge divot and thing in that car <laughs> destroyed. But yeah, it was one of those things. Lucky where, a big rig or something well, wasn't that, going and, up and, and down and the highway. That's thing is when you were up on the hill, you could look both directions and to see if there was any traffic coming, but still. You know, what's the chances that, I mean, there's there's a chance that someone could have been there. And how much of an idiot are you just, you know, first of all, taking well, someone else's chance of someone else's life. But, you know. If you would have landed in the downside into the media, you you'd have been buttery. Yeah. You'd but be a I legend. But I shot that like But if you would have gone into the upside of that, you probably yeah. died. Yeah. But, yeah, I, it was... Well, had I don't think that was part of his. I don't think that was part of his calculations. That it was sounds the, like that was the tip. <laughs> but that was the no. typical his, thing to my life. It was just just wide open. His and math was like E equals MC. Nah, fuck it. <laughs> just exactly. go. Yeah. That was yeah. before. Every action I'm just going to send it. Was, was yeah. That was before. Yeah. I'm just going to send it. Was actually a thing. Right. That's great. All right. So '89, Suzuki gives you bikes. Yep. Who's built? No, no factory parts or anything though, huh? Nope. Just. A, no. a parts allowance? Oh, I had a parts allowance. Yeah, yeah I got uh, $10,000. I think it was $10,000 in parts. Um, I, I I paid uh, Caveman out of my, all the money I won in Supercross. And, uh, and basically, you know, I spent, I mean, I spent. I mean, you I spent didn't, what you earned. I, I mean. didn't spend all of it, obviously, but I did spend, you know. Who was of, building your bikes that year? Were they decent? Caveman. I mean, yeah, he was. I like mean, like motors and suspension and stuff. Stock, really? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Stock with an FMF pipe and then pro circuit pipe, depending on. Um, I think no, in '89 it would have been pro circuit. Yeah, pro circuit, and then because uh, I was still, I did some stuff with bills on development with '88 stuff, which they made an inc 
incredibly good pipe for the 88 RM125. Best pipe I've, and best difference of transition. Like you could be like, take this pipe off and put this pipe on. It was like, okay, every pipe you have here, you might as well throw away yeah. and ride with this pipe because this pipe is, there's nothing that can touch it. Mm. It was one of, it was the, it was the innovation of the mid pipe. You know, all the pipes used to come up and go up to the tank. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill came up with the mid-sweep mid-pipe, yeah. and he swept it right through the middle with that big belly, and it was two and a half horsepower gain on that yeah. RM125. Bill was, he was sharp. Yeah. I don't think he gets, he doesn't get nearly the credit oh, no. he deserves. Absolutely not. And that, I mean, to this day, that I will tell you that that is the biggest difference horsepower change pipe ever in the history of my racing career. Mm. I mean, just, I mean, you could take it and put it on, and it'd be like a, a, a game changer. Isn't it surprising? Like, to me, it blows me away these things exist. Like, uh, if you remember, Ryan Villapoto was talking a couple years ago about this pipe Mitch built him for a YZ250 mm-hmm. that was like seven to eight horsepower difference on a dyno. Yeah. For straight rhythm, they made yeah. it. And I thought, that's BS, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I rode with it last year. Mm-hmm. I easily, easily yeah. seven horsepower. And I'm thinking, Mitch, why don't you sell this? All right. He doesn't really have a good answer for me, yeah. I, you know, but... Because I don't care. <laughs> well, why, You'd have you, to build a jig, probably. <laughs> there's, too, <laughs> just, there's just too much time and investment. And but I wonder if all these companies, you know, even if it's a four-stroke exhaust, you build them for your race bike. Right. Why don't you just sell that? Right. You know, why don't you sell the best you can exactly. put out there? You know? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like they put a limiter on it. They go, okay, well, here, this will be a little yeah. bit better. We'll yeah, I mean, 89 was... Uh, it was... It was a hard year because it, it was basically, it was a transition year from becoming where I thought I was going to be to where I was. And yeah. it was one of those years where I, I struggled with confidence. I mean, I had a lot of, you know, top 20 supercross finishes in the 250 class. And uh, I mean, I finished seventh at Gator back in the 125 class and I had some good outdoor races, but um, about, let's see, Brome Tioga, um, I was starting to get confidence back. I was starting to do well. Um, and Jeff Glass cross-rutted on the face of the tabletop. So you come where the tower was to jump up and then do up the hill and come yep. down and the little step down, yep. you turn and there was the tabletop. Yeah. He cross-rutted and clipped me in the air. And I went down and I landed on my shoulder, dislocated and, and uh, separated my shoulder like three quarters of an inch. And uh, that was pretty much that was the, end, the of end of the year. So I can't believe they wouldn't even give you like ignition cylinders. They wouldn't give you anything. That's crazy. You know, that was, and that was another thing. Even with when you were, we were talking about earlier um, with the California thing and the East Coast thing. Even with my factory ride, Mark struggled to get any really good works parts. Um, Donnie Schmidt's mechanic, Jeff, uh, what was his name? Yeah, I could call him a dickhead is what I'll call him. But anyways, <laughs> he, he... Richard Cranium. Anyways, he and other guys that were always on the West Coast, um, they would hog all the factory parts, mm. all the works parts. They would, you know, ignitions, you know, you name it. They would just hoard it and not distribute you know good team people would distribute that to the riders and want to have everyone successful right um 
and they would just hoard that stuff to themselves. Yeah, and different different time though. Where like we've talked about this before with box fans, it was you were a team within a team. Yeah, right. and so if you could stockpile, because yeah. the ignitions used to go bad. If I mean, yeah. these are issues of the ninety one, ninety two era, right. but I imagine it was the same. Yeah, you want those extra ignitions, right? And right, pipes but, get but smashed. It, you know, and my perspective, I feel you know, I've always tried to be a team player and be one of those people that always stayed devoted to my sponsors and stuff. But one of those things is is you always want the team to do better and that that shouldn't have existed it should have been you know it should have been distributed evenly yeah um, was, was buzzard managing the team back then yes no pat alexander okay yeah and i mean pat pat's a good guy i just don't think that he had his best intent for me i don't think he looked out for my well-being mm. um tosh was a real prick i mean he just you know, he was an old Japanese guy that I think that should have been out of there a long time before that. And he was, you know, if he, if you did, if he wasn't, you know, if he didn't see you in the in the best eye, you, you know, like, yeah, like, like him and Jimmy too. Gaddis were, I mean, he loved Jimmy Gaddis. So, yeah. I mean, Jimmy Gaddis could do no wrong. So, it's just one of those things where... Jimmy know, had no shortage of works parts. Yeah. So, I mean, everything could, you know, there are certain guys that got a lot and other guys that just got what... It yeah, could have you know a little bit here and there. So so you healed up, ninety one. What are you riding that year? Kawasaki. And so that, you wrote you wrote you a five hundred Kawasaki. Ninety. No, that's what I'm. Oh, sorry. Yeah, ninety. 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 I and ninety. I signed a contract for the GP series in 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 Italy. Oh, you did. Yeah. So okay. So, and this is this is also a pivotal point in my career that could have been, you know. Um, <laughs> But at the time, you're just basically you're looking for the best kind of situation you can get. Um, I did decent in '89, and so I had some interest. But uh, um, I had a team. Uh, the mechanic um, Andy Lundgren fr- uh, that worked on my stuff in, uh, for, at the Saperiti races, uh, Carpi Moto. Um, he got in touch with me for uh, he was going to be a team manager for a company called B Cross Kawasaki in Italy, Este Italy. Um, so I ended up signing a contract to ride the 125 GPs, uh, went over there. And before that, I had a, um, a company, basically an agency working for me on trying to find me an outside sponsorship. And two weeks after I signed that GP contract, they came up with a $250,000 contract from Ocean Pacific uh, swimwear. You're kidding me. And I couldn't I get out OP. of my contract. And I couldn't get out of my contract. They wouldn't let you have it and, over there? And, and OP didn't want anything to do with me trying to dissolve my contract with because they didn't want to have any yeah. you know, yeah. kind of arbitrary or any lawsuits. or any, So it screwed me. I mean, because it. I mean, they worked really hard to get me and things didn't transpire quick enough and so I didn't really know if anything was going to happen signed my contract, went over there, and two weeks later, my dad calls me. He said, yeah, I got a contract for 250 grand. What are you going to do? I said, well, I'm coming home. And they found out I was already contracted and said, nope, we're not going to do it. Jeez. So, so um, the, the, the GP thing was, it was an eye-opener. Um, I had good speed, and the problem was is the team was uh, underfunded, 
they were a new team. Um, the people that were running the team, uh, they were a little bit misguided. They didn't know. They didn't really know 100% what they were doing. Well, uh, any first-year team, yeah, it's going to have its struggles. And but they, I think the problem was is they were pretty, they were pretty arrogant on not taking any help from other people. They wanted to try and do it on themselves, you know, with themselves. That's a little bit of the Italian mentality. Yeah, it is. And which, you know, which is a shame because when I was over there testing, you know, doing, you know, practicing and my fitness was doing really well because we were doing 45 minute motos right. and we were riding a lot. Um, so I think, you know, when I was doing testing and, and riding a lot, we would go to these places and we were practicing at this one place and this guy's, you know, he comes up to me and says, Hey, why don't you take out, take out my bike and see what you think about it. I build motors. And so it was a KX 125, 1990. I went out and three and a half seconds, a lot faster. And it was fast. The bike mm -hmm. was good. And I, I said to Claudio and, and I said, you know, can we have this guy build our motors? No, we get all our horsepower out of the carburetor. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, we have a pipe and a, and you're going to jet my bike to four and a half more horsepower. I mean, and they wouldn't even let me run the pipe I wanted to run. They actually had a little bit more middle and top end and everything over there is fast. I mean, you're yeah. going a hundred miles an hour. They wouldn't let me run what I wanted to run. And I could have got cylinders from, you know, Mitch or something like that, but, and paid for them to send over there, but they wouldn't, they would do nothing. So I struggled. I mean, the horsepower over there was ridiculous. I mean, Donnie was riding the Biafi Suzuki and, you know, it was just, the bikes were so fast. Um, You're based down in Italy then? Italy. Where yeah. was he? Where's Donnie? Uh, Belgium. Belgium. Yeah. And we actually became really good friends. Um, Sean Kalos was over there too. And, but I didn't, you know, cause Sean was riding a different class, but I got to be really good. And it was funny because, uh, uh, Donnie and I were not good friends before that because we had tangled a lot in amateur. Mm. And so we actually became pretty close over there and, and Kari, um, with my wife. So it was a, it was a good deal, but, um, it ended up, <laughs> the bikes were really bad, really slow stock suspension no i mean so i i struggled i mean my best at 125 gps you have to have horsepower i was yeah. going nowhere and i mean you had time qualification back then yeah. so i mean for me it was i mean i was fast i could go fast as hell for a couple laps but on a stock bike it's you're, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot so i i mean i had a couple rounds that i did well i finished seventh in czechoslovakia um but i think when i when the team folded i was mm, i think eighth or ninth in the series and ended up uh it's it, it basically um there's there's two sides of the story um with the team manager and the team owner the team owner claimed that the team manager stole money from the team the team manager claimed that the team owner ran him out of town uh i've talked or i've kind of went over it with both of them. I kind of want to side with the team manager because I know how the team owner was, Italian and very thick-headed. And, uh, you know, he, he. the reason I say that is because he did the same thing to Keith Bowen the, the next year. Mm. And uh, so I think Andy's probably telling the truth and not, 
you know, he probably got out of there, but ended up, uh, the team went, went belly up and bef before, you know, basically they said that I was going to have to train for 40. <laughs> this is no joke. He came to me and said, I was going to have to train for 40 days and 40 nights before he would take me to the next GP because he didn't like my finishes. And I'm like, well, like, well, we don't have any money. He's like, well, I'll save up some money and then we'll go to the next GP at 40 days or 40 nights. I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to work for me because um, I'm here to race and I need to make money. So he came to me the next day and said that I was going to have to, I had to sign a contract and pay him $70,000 to reimburse him for what they had spent so far on going to the GPs and stuff like that. And I mean, I had some money in the bank from the salary they were paying me and, and some of the races that we had gone to. And uh, I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to work either for me. I don't think I'm going to sign anything. And so I told, I told my wife, uh, I said, we're, you know, Robin, I said, we're, we're out of here. And so we packed up all our stuff that night. Well, that night, um, Nata, who was one of the guys that worked for him, came to uh, came to us and because you know, I had a car over there, I had a like a four door uh, Fiat, uh, came to us and and wanted the keys to the car because they didn't want me to go anywhere. So my wife was freaking out. She's like, "Do not give him the keys to the car." And I'm like, "Well, I got to give him something." So I went into the bedroom and I took the ignition key off the keychain and gave him the the fuel cap key and the door key. I never locked the thing anyway. So, so we packed all of our stuff up that night. We had 11 bags, gear bags, and I had a mountain bike and everything else. We packed that Fiat full with like three gear bags, suitcases, the mountain bike, everything. And just, you know, and we, I, I had usually parked because we lived in a like four four stories above a gelateria right in town, and I snuck out the back through the uh, on, they had a they had a you'd go down the steps in this old I mean the building's probably seventeen hundreds or whatever yeah. so you'd go down and then it had a like a cavern that was I'm not kidding you, it was four foot tall like a like an access like cavern that would go to uh, a guy's garage. Well, that guy, it was six in the morning and uh, I walked onto that cavern. He was actually out there by his car. And I said, hey, I said, I gave him some bullshit excuse about, you know, I don't want to unload all my stuff into the car in the front by all the people. I said, can we just come out the back? Because they, they were watching us. Yeah. So we took in and uh i i carried all those bags down through that cavern and stuff and and we packed it all into the fiat i basically ran all the way to the parking lot which is about two miles away got the fiat back road did it all the way through the back alleys got to the back alley we filled that car with our bags and hauled ass to milan and got there and we didn't tell nobody but on the way to milan i was running out of gas and I gave him the keys oh. to the to the door to the to the on, on that Fiat, and I'm freaking out because I'm like, how how are we gonna put gas in this thing? And I'm I, I told I told Robin I said I'll rip that I'll rip that damn gas door right off this thing if I have to. So we pulled in and uh, pulled up to the pump, 
and got out and I had left the door unlocked. And the fuel so, door? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, sweet. So I filled it up and, uh, cause we only live 45 minutes from Venice. So you could fly out of Venice, but, and I had an, the deal with my contract was, is I had an open ticket to leave anytime I wanted. So, um, we drove. So why were they not wanting you to leave? Cause they wanted me to pay them the money for. They really expected you to pay absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. They were strong arming me to pay them the money. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't going to let me leave. Yeah. They flat out told me that. Yeah. Wow. So we basically hauled ass to Milan and uh, we were pretty scared because, you know. Yeah, you're in a foreign place. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. Right. So I left the car in long-term parking. We unloaded all of our stuff. It was just a rental? No, I own, I, own, I had paid, I want to say like two grand for it. Um, I just left it there. You just left it? Yeah. Yeah. I just left it there in the parking lot, and I and uh, I called Nata a couple of days later and said, "Hey, if you want the car, you know, if you want it, it's in the parking lot at the airport in Milan." Um, what did he say? Oh, they had a lot of words for me. A lot of, a lot of. They they actually wrote my parents a big long letter saying that you know how unprofessional it was for me to do what I did, and I'm like, "You're trying to stick me with seventy grand." I said, "That's not my responsibility." Yeah. I didn't make the team fold. So it's so a 70 grand that you never agreed to in the beginning anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's our contract renegotiation. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I basically, we basically fled. We got to, to Milan and we were, we were sitting in the airport. And when we, when we were, got on the plane and that plane took off, we were, I mean, we literally cried because we were so happy we were out of there. We're just like, I can't believe we made it. We now, you're not going to get, you know, kidnapped Jeez. or whatever. So. When, uh, when I went and, moved to Europe and was doing the GPs, I remember several times if we were talking to an Italian team or an Italian sponsor, you know, I lived up in Belgium and Holland and that, and so many times we were like, careful with the Italians, you got to really? be careful, yeah. <laughs> it's like Gabrielle from Alpine Stars is probably one of the only Italians that's paid every dime to every person that he was meant to. The other I think that there's stories about so many teams and companies, because a lot of stuff, if you look at it, Europe, Italy was where a lot of product came out of. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of companies are based out of Italy. And uh, I, I, I've heard a lot of stories about people being stiffed by the Italians. Uh, uh, and here's another thing is, is Saparidis. We lost Italian fans, but we're good. <laughs> well, Saparidis were another pivotal thing in that too because I had called uh, Mr. Saparidi and asked him, I'm like, what should I do? And he's like, you need to get out of there now. Wow. So, and As just, an Italian, I'm telling you, get the hell out of Italy. <laughs> he just told me it's a bad deal. Get out. So, um, and I, you know, I knew he would tell me the truth. So, and so it was, yeah. I wow, boogied, man. I, we boogied. So it was, it was very. Dodged a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. I always told my wife it'd be a great movie, you know, for, for, you know, somehow yeah. to, to depict that into a, a Fast movie. and the Fiat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something. Something. Yeah. All right. That's, uh, that brings us to 91. We're going to take a quick break. We'll pick it back up. Stay tuned for more Todd DeHoop. This is your Troy Designs timeout. Stay tuned. I want to introduce you guys to PowerDot, a wireless muscle stim unit that is controlled by an app on your phone. It's incredibly simple. This is something I've used for a little over a year now to help with arm pump and nagging injuries, and I've had amazing results with it. They recently worked with Adam Cianciarillo to help rehab his knee after surgery. He had an ACL replaced, and after talking to him, he's, it's something he swears by. He's adamant that this is the one thing that got him back on the bike quicker and got him healthy. 
So if you have any muscle pain, any nagging injuries, or you want to recover the best way possible, head over to PowerDot.com forward slash Whiskey Throttle for a chance to win a free unit or get 20% off your next purchase. That's PowerDot.com forward slash Whiskey Throttle for 20% off and a chance to win. You can thank me later. I see the sunrise I wake up in the morning feeling so nice I burn a couple bowls of the alright I look out to the world and it's all mine Yeah, it's all mine I see palm trees and joints Kids smoke palm trees like ointment My wee breath is fresh Cause I keep my appointments Now I can finally see Like I smoke some DMT What you think we should sound like? What you think we do at night? Cause we the best of this shit We made a mess of this shit We wrecked the rest of all the west With the recklessness if you's a bitch, you might get snatched up like some necklaces This where the rest of us live You, you, you say You say we feel like the West Coast I say we sound like the pastor Welcome back. That was your Troy Lee Designs timeout. If you have not gone over and checked out the 21 lineup of gear, do it. They've got uh, all kinds of colorways in. This is their SE4 Yamaha edition. They've got gear that matches all this. A couple different colorways, actually. Uh, but if you are not looking for something not uh, brand specific, they have a, a cool line of uh, all new stuff. So check it out. And also, as, as per usual, we're going to give away a bag of our fire department coffee here and a mug to our guests. So enjoy. Um, they do have, if you are more of a K-Cup guy, they've got that. They've got Coffee of the Month Club, beans from different places around the world. Um, they're brand new fall. A lot of their fall yeah, you flavors don't have to are mix in. that too strong. Yeah, for sure. They've got a uh, black cherry bourbon infused coffee that's out right now. It's pretty amazing. So check those guys out. 20% off using our code. Let's jump back in here. So 91, um, you fleed... Italy <laughs> successfully. Yes. Well, in, in 90, I actually came, you know, because I had fleed Italy um, kind of right at the mid to tail end of the outdoor season. So I came back um, and bought a box stock RM125, put a pro circuit pipe on it, and drove to Southwick and got fourth at the national. Is that right? Box stock suspension. In 90. In 90. Yep, and then uh, I think uh, the race, the next race after that, I think I, I I rode, and I think I got seventh at Redbud. Can you imagine showing up on a box stock bike box right stock. now? Suspension even. But that's why we've also said the sport has changed so much. I mean, but could you imagine someone coming off the results and then being told, oh, you know what, <laughs> we didn't realize, but you actually can't race, and we don't have a ride for you. Yeah, that's well, why. You know, that Klaus. Yeah. <laughs> that would never happen nowadays. So, what? You, how did you, when you came back, you obviously did that. That had to at least show some people over here that, oh man, this guy's still got it. Was there anything that opened up for 91? No. Um, really, the only thing was, is uh, probably the saving grace is, uh, and I actually bought that 125 from Dave Analak at Tough Racing. Mm -hmm. um, and he, I mean, he recognized uh, my finishes and... Ronnie Tishner and uh, was uh, started a deal with him for for that year, and uh, then he he picked me up for a I want to say like a, a, a small support ride, so uh, a couple bikes and some parts, um, and you know it, 
it was more than you know i basically disappeared for a year and i came back and i did some you know a few rounds and, and did really well um you know jumped around here and there at a couple of races and did well but uh you know when you're not devoted to the race every weekend and not showing your face every weekend a lot of people forget about you yeah. so oh yeah that happens in the sport yeah, the sports that way for sure. Out of sight, out of mind. So what were you in? You were about ride Suzuki's the beginning yep. of that year. Yep. And then you, it shows you on a Kawasaki in the 500. Class. That was the 500, yeah. So I rode uh, the tough Suzuki for all the year with a 125 or the, you know, and then the, I went to the 500s. I basically, it was just. I got I got to go racing. I got to do something. I wasn't working yet, so I'm thinking. I, I actually bought a 500 KX used from an ice racer, uh, Gary Pickett in Michigan, and uh, yeah, I took all, took all the stuff and made it back into a motocross bike and <laughs> went through it. And you didn't leave the the computers <laughs> on just for shits yeah, and giggles. Yeah, so I went through it and you know basically kind of did a quick ground up on it and. Started riding the 500 Nationals. So. And you did well. That's a, I thought that was impressive because scrolling through some of those results, your top fives, I mean, you were right up there in the mix. Yeah. Right? Actually, one of my, my most memorable um, rides was the last, and, and, you know, granted, maybe it was, you know, I, I don't want to underplay it, but to me it was a big deal, but it was the last moto of the 500 Nationals at Unadilla, and I, I passed a JMB, uh, two laps from the finish for fourth, and that to me was a big accomplishment. Yeah, because I yeah. mean he's he's a pivotal person in our in our sport. He was probably one of the best riders we have in our sport, and for me to come from behind and pass him on the on, with two laps to go and and finish fourth, I mean that was to me it was a it was a really good day. Yeah, yeah was yeah. that ninety three? No, that <laughs> that was ninety one. Oh, that year on the, on the KX five hundred. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was he was riding the five hundred nationals. Stanton also. Yeah, I, I think, think it was five hundreds. There was Wardy still. Oh yeah, yeah, Wardy, yeah. Wardy Dogger even too. Um, there were a lot of big names. Possibly Kudrowski. He rode for tough. Kudrowski was on it at one point. Yeah, to, uh, Dogger did. Yeah. yeah, yep, for sure. Was that the next year? Yeah. Was Kudrowski on five hundred ninety one? Because I, I remember 92, 93. Maybe. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. But, but there, there, were was, big names, there but anyway, was a lot of fast guys. Passing I mean, J&B would be... It was a pivotal moment. I mean, it was, I literally almost... I think I, I almost cried after that race. I, I literally thought, that's the best I'm ever going to be. I literally thought, that's the best I can be right there. That As fast as I went that moto and catching him and passing him. And I was like... I. I don't think I can be any better than that. Wow. I mean, a, that was I one of your most I still rides. think, and, and obviously this always a, can be argued, but he might be, I think, the most talented guy ever to throw a leg over a bike. I wouldn't argue against yeah, that. I, I, I truly believe. I mean, because... There's a few guys you put in that category, but, yeah. but, but he was at, just but, but, sensational. But look at what he did with the effort he put in. Okay, and that was his big was thing. All talent. I mean, he did it with all talent. He didn't do it with training and, well, and stuff yeah. like that. You had him and Stanton. I mean, Stanton trained his ass opposite. off. I mean, he just was fanatic about training. And still, he's still that way. Yeah. But, I mean, you get you know guys like Kodrowski and Stanton and Ward and Omara and all these guys that just train their butts off nonstop. And then for JMB to come in and just, I mean, he won everything. And yeah. do it on eating Snickers between motos, just to f with Je Jeff Stan's head, and I mean, just crush him. Yeah, 
Who was well, telling us a story about when JMB just carved his initials into the hillside above the Honda track while Stanton was doing testing in motos all day, mm -hmm. and JMB didn't even get on the track for no. yeah. hours and hours. It was Ward, <coughs> Bale, Bradshaw, Fisher, Kalo, Stanton, you, Lachine, yeah, Dog Dubach. That's mm -hmm. tough. That's tough competition. Yeah. All right. So you get that year under your belt, '92. What happens that year? Still uh, nothing cooking. Nothing. No. Just uh, actually, well, no. '92. Uh, Dave Analak had basically uh, got some outside sponsorship with Red Roof in and uh, Ford remanufactured parts. So it was a combination team effort. So it actually worked out really well. I mean, I didn't have. I mean, I didn't have a salary. I didn't have, uh, you know, I wasn't getting, you know, a bunch of money for anything. Um, I was getting free bikes. I was getting free parts. I was getting a little bit of expenses. And the Red Roof End deal basically gave us free hotels everywhere in the United States. So if we, it didn't matter where we were going for, for riding or, you know, we could stop and stay at a Red Roof Inn. That was, that was our deal. We had a special thing where we could just go and check in. And so that, I mean, that cut expenses yeah, dramatically um, so that really helped out and it, it made it really easy for us to con you know to continue on you know, like for me especially you know Ronnie had a, had a had a better deal and Ronnie was faster he was getting a lot better finishes um, for me I had flashes of brilliance again I would do well in one moto you know terrible in another a um, couple times I'd get a, a few good finishes I you know in Supercross, uh, I was a, I mean, I floated between 17th and 13th in the mains all the time. I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, you know, on a rare occasion I'd drop into the top 10, but, you know, there was, I mean, if you look back at the, at the names in the top 20, it was every yeah. fast guy there was. Yeah. And it was, so, you know, it was, it, yeah. And, and then I rode, um. I rode, I rode well. I just didn't, I didn't put, I was, a, I was JMB. I didn't put a lot of effort into it because I was really at that point, I was pretty much, I was almost signing out. I was, I'd had a, a numerous conversation uh, with my, um, one of my best friends, Mike Lipscomb again. I had, we were playing basketball backyard and I'm like, dude, I'm done. I'm, I'm just burnt. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just, I don't have any breaks. It cost me every penny I got. And I mean, I just. The, it, it, nothing looks good for the future for this situation. Just it's not worth doing anymore. I might as well just get a normal job. Motocross is is a is a tough sport when you're not getting paid or getting anything out of it. You know what I mean? It's it, it's a gnarly. Yeah. It, it then becomes just a gnarly job that's not 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 giving you anything in return. So I think it is. It's tougher than somewhere else being doing an apprenticeship or doing something. You know, motocross. Once you've well, been to the top, been paid, and then now you're just going like, what well, am I with doing? A, with an apprenticeship, whether that's as an electrician or whatever the hell it is, it's almost like free college. But you know that there's a payoff. You, yeah, you work hard, you you learn the job, and then you will get hired. You will have a career. Our, our sport doesn't guarantee any of that. Right. In fact, it says. By about thirty, you're done, no matter what. So well, you know. Well, he rode for free last year. Why? Why do we need to pay him now? Yeah, there's well, a lot. And then about, you know, and, and my 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 friend Mike is he's very smart. You know, he's very uh, successful now. Um, but he was he just said to me he says you just just step back, 
take a few breaths, you know, don't make any rash decisions. You're very, very talented and just, just relax, just chill out a little bit. And, you know, it was funny because shortly after that, because this is towards the end of the year, shortly after that, um, motocross action put me on the cover and that was my first cover ever. And, and it was from Southwick on the tough Suzuki. And I was like, wow, I'm on the cover of motocross action. And I was like, Hmm. So maybe that's a sign. Shortly after that, um, I would, I was trying, you know, it was basically getting towards the end of the 250 series. Jeff Stanton, um, who we grew up together, raced together, you know, good friends, um, had talked to Phil Alderton and Phil was looking for someone to sponsor, um, for, for a team, just basically to kind of start out doing something. So I called and talked to Phil and he's like, yeah, he says, well, what are you thinking? I said, well, I said, I'm going to, I want to ride the, you know, finish out the season and ride the 500 nationals. Um, you know, so can you maybe do something with me on, on that? He said, yeah, he says, drive down and, uh, pick up a 500 and we'll give you, you know, some parts and whatever, and we'll go from there. So, and that was the beginning of Honda Troy. Um, we, uh, finished the, the 92 season. Um, I got a six at Steel City on the 500, some top tens. Um, and then in 93, um, we, uh, him and his partner Scott, you know, basically talked it over and uh, decided that they were going to start a, a full full team. And uh, we talked a lot about what, where we were going to go with it, what we were going to do with it. And uh, that was uh, when we, you know, hired Eric Kehoe um, as the, my teammate. Um, and then... Got Wasn't there like Decker and Yezik? That was that, that's going to be the next year. That's ninety four. So so ninety three. So that is uh, it's going to be it's is is myself um, and Eric, and then uh, we had uh, two mechanics, and that is the beginning of Dean Baker, the horsepower maker. Mm. So Dean was my mechanic. Um, started out with me, and uh, super good guy. Very driven wants a lot mm -hmm. and expects a lot so expects uh, if he's going to put a lot of time on working on your motorcycle then he expects that you will put in the same yeah. amount of effort so and you know to be honest with me with you he wasn't he, you know he wasn't getting that out of me i mean i was a you know i was doing well um i was you know going into that you know that 93 season um i had picked up my pace i was working harder but uh you know, he wanted more. He, he, Dean's always wanted to win. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, and Dean's, you know, he's a former, uh, Loretta's champion. If you didn't know that about I him. I didn't know that. Yeah. He, he's won, he won at Loretta's, but, uh, yeah, he's a smart guy, but no, he, you know, he was pushing hard and, and I think that that kind of, you know, he bumped heads a little bit and he wanted to do something different. So, you know, he was building motors and working, for us and uh sean persinger was also a mechanic for eric um and so then uh we hired another mechanic which is uh mark schaff which was going to go on to be my mechanic for the, the rest of the time his, his, his nickname was the hulk um he had like the lou ferrigno white hair is uh, funny but uh yeah so i mean I, I rode i rode well i had some decent finishes i mean yeah, a lot of that top ten, top 
20 off and on, 12s, 11s, you know, all through there. Uh, you know, I was good out, uh, I was fairly good at some tracks outdoors. I mean, Southwick again, I mean, I got an eighth at, at Kenworthy's, um, just uh, a ninth at Steel City. You know, just, I'm always there, but yeah. It, and I'm, I'll be real honest with you. It was, it was always a fitness thing. I, I did not, to this day, it will, it will, it will take me to my grave. I did not put in the effort fitness-wise that I should have. And especially you look at things today on on what the effort is for all these riders and what they do. And um, it's funny because I listened to your show um, with Coach Rob, and I actually got in touch with him. And I'm actually working with him, and that's yeah. And I've been working with with uh, Coach Rob, and uh, it's a big deal, and it's a big uh, commitment. Yep. I mean, just even at a small level. When you see what a guy who's very scientific about it, yeah, what he needs and wants, and what he can do if if you follow through with that stuff, it's. It's eye-opening. Well, you know, when you, if you look at the Complete Racing Solutions website and you look at what they do and, and how devoted he is to his craft and, first off, how intelligent he is mm -hmm. and all the knowledge he has to bring forth, it's amazing because, I, I mean, you don't know any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. You're a rider. You twist the throttle. You go fast and you try to do the best you can. For me, I relied on talent. I trained in... The hardest part for me was is for a lot of you got for you, you worked hard young, but then when you got to a level where you were a factory rider, you had time to train and do proper things where I was driving to the race. Yeah. I was doing things that you I, I mean, I couldn't do the things you had to do you could do because I was driving and trying to get to the race. I would ride maybe once a week or twice a week if possible on someone's track somewhere in the middle of nowhere yeah. that I called or, yeah, I got a buddy that's got a track or whatever, which was, it's great because you get to meet a whole bunch of cool people, but... But it could be a cheesy cornfield track that's not accomplishing it's still, much. It's still seat time, but still, yeah. I didn't get to, to do that a lot. I didn't to, get to have a lot of seat time. Mm. So that makes it really difficult when you're not testing or riding all the time and or putting in the physical, you know, amount of effort you need to do to be strong for a 30 minute moto or a 20 lap main event yeah. because I mean I was really good for 10 laps I could be easily top 10 for 10 laps hell I could be top 5 for 10 laps but I can't be top 10 for 20 laps yeah. so and yeah, that, a lot changes in those last 10 minutes yeah, of both it's, it's dramatic I mean there's a lot of fatigue that sets in were you making money through this time like was YOT taking care of you guys enough to where you were actually Honda HOT 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 first yeah but no um the, Phil was always very good to me. Um, you know what's cool? I mean, first of all, Phil and I are very close, and it was a dramatic hit to me when he died. Um, he always took care of me. Um, he he would do incentive bonuses. Just, you know, he would do stuff like walk up to the line 30 seconds before the gate's going to drop and goes, if you get this effing hole shot, I'll give you a thousand dollars. I mean, just Sounds stuff like, like that. Flipper, he yeah. would do that, and just and and you're like, whoa, 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 you know, like, and all of a sudden, now your adrenaline just goes through the roof because which would 
coincide with you getting the whole shot because all of a sudden you're just like, you know, okay, now, so now you're focused on that, which would definitely help you because if you're starting out front, you know, now yeah, you got all yeah. those guys, got, they got to pass you. Yeah. So, but I mean, I, and I did pull a few hole shots and make, you know, make money and he would give me bonuses for just, you know, he would do incentive bonuses and he'd do that with Eric and just handshake do, bonuses. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he would just come up and say, you did really well th that first mono, but if you get two or three positions better than that, I'll pay another thousand bucks. But he would just do that periodically. Mm -hmm. Just just for the hell of it. It's pretty cool. And so, yeah, I mean, he would always take care of us. I mean, I made, I, I will say that my Honda of Troy days were probably by far the best years of my career. But not only that, they were more of a factory ride than my, even my Suzuki ride was just because of the the fellowship, the camaraderie, and the friendship of all the people involved, a team, and the way the the riders and I mean, you, we just all we all meshed well. I mean, I mean, Mike Brown and I were were teammates and teamed up. You know, we're all the same truck, and we just were good friends, and we've remained good friends. We've been that way since then. But yeah. it just is. It was a cohesive uh, unit that really worked well together, and that's why it. It grew so fast because who? Which riders were there during your stints? There was uh, Kudrowski was there in '95. Yeah. Right? So no, in 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 '90 in '92 it was just um, I'm sorry '93 it was just Eric and I, mm -hmm. and then '94 um, it was Davey Yezik, and then it was Craig Decker. It was myself and Eric, and then um, '90 '90 well, let's see '94. Um, I, I'm trying to remember when Mike Craig and those guys came along. I think I have it written down here. So, yeah, 90, 96, 95, 96. Well, but so nine, so it would have been Craig Decker. It was ninety four. It was Craig Decker, Mike Brown, and Davey Yezik, myself, and and then Kehoe rode a few races, but then he he became team manager. Okay, so. Gotcha. And didn't Swink come through there during that time period, or was that after? That was after. Okay. Yeah. So and that he would have been ninety-five. Okay. So it would have been, it would have been uh, Swink, myself, Mike Brown, James Dobb, and uh, Mike Craig. And uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting group of guys for sure. <laughs> yeah. I imagine a trip to Europe or anywhere with Swink and Mike Craig was. You know, Swink. Um, <sighs> Were you guys buddies being Michigan? We, we, yeah, I mean, we were. We, I mean, he was young, way younger than me, but I mean, I got along great with Brian. I stayed at his house a few times, rode at his track in Florida a few times. But you know, he was. I just think he just. He had a lot of demons, and he just he was. I think he was as good, or could have been as good as McGrath. It just I think that he just made some wrong pass. Yeah, and some of the things that happened during his career and I think mentally he thought he was as good as I but I think it's just maybe the teams that he rode for I think the Suzuki thing didn't work out the way he should have and I think you know putting himself in the position where he was riding that bike compared to McGrath I think he could have been as good or better yeah. um and his mentality was win or die I mean it was one of those things and and I <sighs> Besides Johnny Kitch and, I mean, there's guys that have been on 80s and when they were young, I've never, in my life, I've never seen anyone go as fast on an 80 as he did. 
I mean, it was... Yeah, him and Budman, maybe Button, those guys were on a whole different level. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I... I mean, I... It was like when I... Well, I compare it to when I was riding... Um, did you guys know that the AMA put on the Fall Classic National Series back in 93, 94, 95? It was actually a series after the AMA Nationals that they put on. It was seven rounds in the fall. It's called the Fall Classic National Series. And uh, I, w I won it in 93. Okay. And then and Mike Brown got second. And then in 94, Mike Brown beat me. And then in 95, I won it again. But it was it was basically, it was... It was Red Redbud, High Point, um, Gainesville, um, uh, Lake Sugar Tree. I mean, there was it was like a seven round series, and it was a legit like series, you know, by the MA. And hmm. but uh, yeah, I made good money with that. And and uh, but that was the first the 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 end of of '95 when I won the championship in '95 for that Fall Classic series. Uh, that was my first battle with Kevin Wyndham at, at Gainesville on a Kawasaki and. Uh, he beat me. Um, yeah, it was. It was like oh, another kid coming in that was fast as hell. You were also in that time era where you went from the guys from the eighties to now yeah. the younger kids yeah. from the nineties. Yeah. So ninety six, you went back to Suzuki. It showed in the results. Yep. Um, well, ninety five. Um, we really didn't talk about that much, but ninety five. I, I mean, it was a really good year for me. It was. was okay. Yeah, it was a great year for me. I was. I was actually really motivated to and I actually started doing the proper things and had some good finishes and um I led the Dallas Supercross for 11 laps um ended up finishing fourth um but uh there was and right after that I, I was got I'm super inspired after that I'm doing really well um I tore my ACL practice, and I mean, I'm I'm doing everything now. I'm practicing like I'm I uh, should be, and and uh, ended ended up into in, in a section and tearing my ACL out, and so I was out. And a uh, couple uh, weeks after that, my brother, and you guys probably don't know this, is uh, my brother Chad. He was a pro, did actually very well. I mean, he wasn't, you know, you know, high level, but you know, he had finished really good at some nationals, you know, just out of the top twenty. But he rode. He rode my race bike at uh, at High Point for the at the Honda Trochi underneath the, the semi truck, um, and uh, just finished out of the top twenty. Is that right? Yeah, and, and in fact, he went like twenty one, twenty three in the two fifty class. Oh, that's funny. So yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was it was fast. He just you know didn't want to didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it. Yeah. Went to school. So, but yeah. So that was the end of your 95 season that kind of Yeah, I came back. Out. I mean, I rode I rode good at a couple of races after that. I think I got uh I mean, I think I had some good finishes like ninth outdoors, ninth at Redbud, ninth at, at Southwick and you know, had some great, you know, eighth at Unadilla, but I think I got uh you know, some decent finishes out there. Yeah. Not, not super great. So and then what about this 96 season? Just wild, I, wild T kind of, or the Honda of Troy thing? Well, th they were growing, and, uh, you know, Phil just basically said that, you know, you know, we, we yeah, don't have room for you. Yeah, we it's time. It's time for, you know, we, we've done what we can, and we've got, you know, a couple other guys that we want to sponsor, and it's going to take that budget that we're spending yeah. on you. And so um, I went in... Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of FNS Suzuki. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Jeff Stoltzenberg um, uh, did a deal with him, and so I, I did. 
I think basically that that deal kind of started off as I'm going to do some outdoor and you know some supercross but mostly i think it was the foundation was going to start me doing the arena cross series um and i found out pretty quick that i could make a really good living doing arena cross this one was mike kid still at that yeah, point. yeah yeah the pj1 arena cross series so um i I, I did, I, you know, I started doing, and this is where, you know, you're going to see my results and, and stuff in my career from this point on kind of be kind of spotty and scattered because I found out real quick that making $250 at an outdoor national and $4,000 at arena cross is definitely, there's a difference. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I started, uh, basically contesting from that point on. I started doing the uh, the arena cross series pretty hard, and FNS Jeff Stolzenberg, you know, was really good to me. You know, he gave me bikes and parts, and uh, um, I did that for let's see, it was a be a ninety six ninety seven season with him, and then um, shortly after that, I started the uh, the Yamaha Troy. I went back with Phil um, and did the Yamaha Troy thing where. You know, I'm, I was talking to him about, you know, I said, you know, you want to do something? I want to, you know, do arena cross. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah. He says, you want to just, you know, ride Yamahas? And I said, yeah. I said, we can do that. And so let's start the Yamaha try thing. And so that opened the door for the conversation with Yamaha to start, you know, talking to them about a, a major deal. So um, shortly after that, you know, Yamaha started negotiating the the deal with them for the you know turning over to the yot division so um yeah and that uh that grew quickly yeah so, mm-hmm. all right so you were doing pretty well in that arena cross did you ever win a title there i did not i finished uh i think my best finish was third overall in that series um you know i think i, I had you know a lot of good races a lot i won a, a lot of main events a lot of dash for caches this was pre-budman era so like right he, didn't he, come he on came in right at uh, towards the end so so who are you racing with like uh jonesy was yeah yeah okay. a lot of battling with jonesy uh steven Denny? stevenson yeah. was in there yeah okay. Danny was in there and then uh there was uh okay there was a lot of people um cliff palmer mm. um a lot with cliff palmer i mean denny stevenson um jones okay who else am i forgetting i'm trying to remember that era who was there was a lot of guys too i mean that were it was just was gaddis doing them at that yeah point? he was doing them too yeah yep anyway there was a lot of okay, who else was that? who else was on the kawasaki it was gaddis and it wasn't hawthorne right he was before that no someone was gaddis's teammate i'm trying to remember who it was this is stupid i should know this yeah i can't remember so you would do the arena cross, and then you dive in and do a couple of super crosses here and there, yeah. a couple national. Yeah, jump in there. Yeah. Kind of seemed like your results. East, were East Coast, yeah. Any anytime it was East Coast, I would do whatever I could hit. Um, and it was funny because you know you go from riding arena cross, and then all of a sudden you're riding, you're riding a 28 second lap time to a, a minute and you know minute 10 or whatever. Yeah. Ooh, uh, you know, it'd take about it's a big jump. It's a big jump, but I mean, I managed to make the mains, and yeah. I mean, I would you know a lot of times I'd finish. Which is, you know, I think nowadays it'd be pretty rare. I mean, because you jump from arena cross and all of a sudden just jump in and finish 15th or 17th yeah. in, a, in a main event. And, yeah, it's just, it was kind of a, you know, you can make a couple grand. And it was something fun to do and, mm. and you make money. And you're just trying, you know, you're trying to make money. And yeah. so, you yeah. know, you're, you're struggling. And 
you, you don't want to give it up. We'll just keep. We'll start. We'll start with that. Right, so. and that's everyone has to sort of face that. Right. That point. And I wasn't ready it. to do that. So I mean, I, I still wanted to race. I still. Here I am. I'm still racing motorcycles. I still yeah. enjoy it. So. So and as long as you can make some money at it. Why not keep going? Right. That's, that's probably a good right. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and was there a point where you stopped making money again, or did you just sort of say, all right, I need to go another direction? Like, how did that come about? Well, I mean, we're, we're probably going to jump ahead quite a bit, but, I mean, I was still doing pretty well with the Arena Cross Series um, because they they did a they kind of did a kickoff. So they did the National Series, and then they did the Regional Series. Well, you could hit all those regional events, and not even do the national, you know, main series and make three, four grand like every weekend. Is that right? Yeah. So I would do and hit all those and win all those main events and not even, and then periodically jump into the national series and finish in the top five and then go right back to the regional series and make, you know, three, four grand. Mm. So, so yeah, I was making, you know, good money. You, you know, you can make thirty five, forty thousand dollars a winner and that's you know that's pretty good for yeah just hitting some marina crosses here and there did you ever consider going to canada for the summer or you know and that's i didn't and i i should have i should have i should have hit up the canadian canadian series just because i think i probably i mean i was very competitive with john sebastian and he was pretty dominant back then Mm. and you know, Marco Dubay and Carl Valencourt, all those guys that were really good back then, I, I was very competitive with. I think I could have probably put a good bid in for that title up there mm-hmm. a few different years. Um, and it was it would have been easy because, I mean, I lived in Michigan. It was just right. across the border. Well, that's why I said. I, I feel like, you know, if you look at what Brayton's been doing yeah. or some of these other guys, I think it's smart. Like, yeah. I know there's a lot. There's a lot of these privateers that just want to go supercross and nationals. Right. No support, but they're just like, that's the dream. I'm going to grind it out. Yeah. At a point, like you said, if you're not making money, there's that, a lot what of the hell are you doing after yeah. a, after a yeah. year or two? If right. if there's not some progress being made, and I would look at, you know, Canada or Europe or Australian yeah. supercross series. Yeah. I mean, Australia, Costa Rica, any of these places, they have these series. I mean, you have guys that. I mean. Not only can you go down and race these races, you can teach schools. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can do all kinds of things. There's so many ways to make money. All the resources that you have, the tools that you have, it's it's a shame that you look back and it's, you know, eyesight's twenty twenty, but you look back at that and you think, why, 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 why didn't I do any of that stuff? What, what, why was my, why didn't I broaden my range of, you know. I because no one sat you down and said, hey. Try that exactly. You just get you don't have you get that tunnel anyone vision. any guidance, and you you don't have people throwing things at you. I mean, I had numerous things where I went to all these overseas races in Australia and Tasmania, and New Zealand, and I mean, I did races in in Singapore. I won the Singa- the the Singapore the Supercross in Singapore in Jakarta. I won a, you know a bunch of these. In Penang, I did a, an outdoor and supercross in Penang, an island in the middle of nowhere by Vietnam. I mean, just these places that people want you to come race and pay you good start money. And mm. I mean, those are some of the key pivotal highlights of my career is going down and doing these races. And you can make a living on just doing that alone. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it's a shame that I didn't take more advantage of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, what would you say is better? And worse about the sport today than back kind of in your era? 
I think, well, I think first in, in our era, I think, well, the, the best part about our era was that there was no social media and we got to have fun riding our motorcycles and do a lot of fun things um, and, and pretty much enjoy the sport. I look at a lot of these riders today, and once again, yes, I know it, it, it is your job, but at, at some point, there's got to be, you, you have to have fun at it. Mm -hmm. You have to enjoy it. Otherwise, I mean, I see, you know, my career was probably 16, 17 years of, of, of racing. You look at these guys that are, what, five, six, eight years and out, and the longevity is, is it's not there anymore. And I think that they're just absolutely burned out. They're just, they're so tired of going through the drills and doing everything, and no one's having any fun anymore. And I think that, one, it's, it's so under the microscope, and you have to live up to to so much and I think there's a breaking point and I think yeah. that there's you need to be able to at least enjoy it and go out and have fun and, and ride and do the the neat things that we used to be able to do yeah. instead of just going out and running laps around the supercross track and doing time doing time doing time you know go out trail riding go out you know set up a flat track course or something you know yeah. you know we used to I used to stay at Guy Cooper's house and Guy would is you know he was so instrumental in in opening your eyes and different things because he would he would make fun things out of nothing so we would we would be there when we would take trials bikes and we'd have 10 of us on his driveway and you would have six squares and all 10 motorcycles got to stay in the six squares and you got to try and block each other with balance and you'd have 10 riders on these motorcycles in the six squares, and there's not a lot of room. Yeah. And you just work on balance point. And, and you'd have 10 pro guys trying to take each other out, bumping into each other, and, and just that kind of stuff is yeah. fun, but crea creative with how to learn how to balance and ride a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuff... It doesn't exist no more. No, everything's on a schedule. Everything's written out. Yeah. I got to do this many laps today. You know, then I'm going here. I'm doing this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I rode at at, at uh, Guy's house. I rode with uh, JMB, Denny Stevenson, Guy Cooper, Cliff Palmer, Jeff Matasevich. Um, I mean, we're, all those guys riding national. At, yeah, I, for practice, just. Showing up and just hanging out. Yeah. And that doesn't happen no more. I feel like it's a bit of an overcorrection. You know, there was a period where in the early 90s where there wasn't a lot of information about how to do things. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, the Wardies and the Oshos, they trained their asses off, but yeah. there wasn't a lot of strategy to it or kind of scientific reason of why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, just, just push yourself. Just run until you puke and then walk home. Right. We've now overcorrected where it's just sterile. You know what I mean? Everything yep. is written out for you. You have to do exactly this. You need to weigh this by the end of the day. You, need, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's no fun. We've com It's completely turned into a business. Yeah. And there needs to, <laughs> we need to find a little bit of a balance. There. Yeah. But I, but I also think now, you know, going to the good part is I think, you know, even with myself now, I think the social media part also brings a great part to our sport mm -hmm. it, it it brings awareness it, it it opens up eyes to people that don't traditionally know anything about it um it involves people way more into your life than what they could be normally um you know 
like for me with my Instagram and, you know, whether Facebook and everything else, I mean, I, I post as much as I can and I try to give my sponsors the, uh, the, the amount of attention that I hope I can give them to give them the amount that they need that they're giving me. So I'm giving something back and, you know, I wish we would have had something like that in the past because, you know, obviously you, you could have manipulated that for, you know, your, an opportunity to make yourself better. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think the input from a lot of the people out there is, it, you know, a lot of it's harsh, but, you know, some of it's spot on. So, but it, it, the opportunity to promote yourself now, social media wise is, you know, it's, it's incredible. You know, yeah. we, you know for me, I mean, I, I have a whole, you know, basically second career riding, you know, riding now because of the things I love to do. Right. So, yeah, it turns everyone into their own marketing right. director. Right. For sure. Uh, if you were the boss in supercross and motocross, what would you do? To, what changes would you make to improve the sport? Um, There's there's a lot of things I would change, but um, I would eliminate the points program from the 250 class, um, and I would open it up to basically everybody. I mean, if you if you were Eli Tomac and you decided, okay, I've won the 450 class three times now, I want man, I want to go back and ride 250. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, do you still like the East West thing? Uh, <laughs> No, but I understand that we need to have that because of if we take it away, it's going to eliminate a lot of, eliminate a lot of jobs. It's going to eliminate a lot of rides, which is pretty much happening anyways. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's obviously there's two uh, perspectives to that because I mean, if you eliminate the east west, you take away rides, you increase budgets. I mean, it's it's expensive to travel. You're gonna go from four man teams to two man teams, and yeah. well, you're gonna go down to you know, <laughs> barely filling up the gate in right. the Stuvidi class. Exactly. Anymore. You know, you're gonna lose that many people. Yeah. So I mean, I think, uh, you know, I I don't. It's a fine line of how to approach that because you don't want to lose riders and you don't want to lose uh, the the competition of all the riders out there. Cause there's, there, it's, it's deep. I mean, yeah. um, but making it all one series would make it even deeper. Um, you'd have good guys not making the main, right? Really good guys. And so, but that would also, I think that would force some good guys to move to the 450 class because, you know, there would be a chance to make the main in there. Yeah. Um, I would personally, um, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to tag them with any kind of name or anything like that. But I would take away some of the uh, the re- the ridiculous judgments on uh, aggressive riding. I come from, I mean, I guess it's my perspective because I I come from arena, you know, from first Supercross when I was racing Supercross was pretty aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um. Going into arena cross, um, 
that's a whole nother level of aggressive. I mean, I've, I literally, I, I literally have been in a fight, fist fight with with Mike Jones after a main event. Yeah. I mean, because of of taking each other out. So if if Supercross is a street fight, Arena Cross, they just give you brass knuckles and a shiv. Exactly. <laughs> so it is. I mean, that's literally what it is. So for me, I would think that I would like to see them loosen up the penalty for aggressive riding. I mean, not be, I mean, I watch the guys take each other out. I'm like, and then there's, you're just blowing up social media and everything else. I'm like, you know what? It's racing. Yeah. We're not, we're not cake bakers. We're not florists. We're not, you know, we're, yeah. we're racing motorcycles. I mean, this is, this, it's called racing for a reason. And yes, there, there might be some over-aggressive moves like a, a full straight T-bone or whatever. But for me, I, I feel that, I, I think there should be some allowance to some I, I, aggressive. Well, I, look sort of, I look at it like this. Sort itself out as well. If they're going to ever use it in a promotional video, yeah. then there should be no penalty. Absolutely. If it's so bad that you won't use it in, to promote Supercross, right. then okay, yeah. give the guy a fine or do what you're going to do. 100%. Wait, if you opposite. ever play it one time, they should pay him for that. Absolutely. Well, I'm just saying, if you're going to use that, no, as but marketing, I'm serious. If you're using it for marketing and you're drawing it in because there was a scuffle, that guy should yeah. get something. Donnie, you're 100 percent right. That guy yeah. get disqualified. And, you know, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, the, how many times have they used Pike punching? Uh, and Pike should get money for that every yeah. time. Absolutely, for yeah. sure. Well, he shouldn't have gotten disqualified, and no. for sure, well, and, you, you know, know, you talk about if someone t-bones someone, even then. That, that'll sort itself out. It'll come full circle. <laughs> You're absolutely right. right. Yeah. I mean, most I mean, riders, they'll, payback. They'll, payback they'll, is they'll say some words after the race, but eventually that person remembers it. He returns a favor. Now, if that rider wants to take him out again, it's just going to escalate. They're going to realize we're not even finishing. They're the going to be, yeah, they're not going to make We're the like main. chicken and look Bradshaw. At, like, we're supposed to be taking each other out. NASCAR, we're not even racing. NASCAR sorts itself out all the time where they go, okay, we've gotten, we've gone too far and now we're moving backwards. So we need to stop this. And then, then you just have a sit down. Yeah, and they have a sit down. The animals in the zoo regulate themselves. Let's do it. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, it's true. I mean, like, I, I can't tell you how many times I came off the track after either gotten taken out or taken somebody out. But I mean, I, I flat out would come right up to the guy and say, you know, I owe you one, right? Watch your back. You know, you got it coming. And he'd be like, yep. And or that person would come to me and say, I'm coming. Just so you watch know, your legs. Watching, you just what? Just know I'm coming. I'd be like, "Yep," I'm like you know, it, because that was yeah. that was the mentality. Because it was it was much more of a smash mouth sport back yeah. then. It's and we've turned into everyone. Count everyone held each other accountable. Yeah. Whereas now, oh well, they'll sort it out. <clears throat> I was. I like we it followed so the it. trend in society of turning into a bunch of pussies. I had a pretty good I had a pretty good reputation of being a, a pretty dirty rider. I mean, it was in motocross action. I think I was like fourth dirtiest rider and i mean and uh yeah I that's mean, a but, badge of honor are you kidding me yeah i mean <laughs> i was on that cover saying langston plays dirty so yeah i mean so i it, think i made the podium it's it's one of those things where just ask alessi you know and i'll it, it, you know it, i i hit <laughs> i used to, i always used to say i had a brake failure but i hit i hit junior jackson right. so hard in an arena cross coming out of the whoops and a dash for cash that I knocked him into the second row of the stands. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, and I was like, oh yeah, I, uh, brakes failed. I'm like, but no, I mean, just. As you locked up the rear brake, right. pulling up next to him to explain that your brake <laughs> yeah, failed. Right, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, know, I mean, issues. so many times just <clears throat> pile drive people like that and just, and yeah, you're like, In oh. the moment you do it though. Yeah. You yeah. see a small gap, you're like. Well, when you think, okay, there's that corner and then the 50 finish. feet is right there. That's a thousand or 1500 yeah. bucks. 
Yeah, you the gap was bigger than you anticipated, right? right? You better get <laughs> He all didn't away. cover the inside enough yeah, that time. Exactly. You left the door wide open. What do you mean? I was hugging the hay bale. <laughs> yeah, but I got my front wheel in there. Um, what's your favorite bike to ride at the moment? My 86 CR250. Phil Denton engineering built bike. I it's, saw that at Redbud. It's pretty. It's. That's incredible. Yeah. I have an 86 CR250 that was running. I need to just get it dialed in and come If you need rides. stuff, um, call or get a hold of Stevie at Denton Engineering. Yeah. Dude, it's, I mean. I might have to do that. <laughs> on my bike, it, I, I'm not I'm not joking. On, on, it's, it's 213 pounds with no, no fluids in it. Is that right? Yeah, it's everything on it's titanium and magnesium. Is um, it his bike or your bike? It's my bike, okay. but he has he has the works duplicate to my. But he sent me all the stuff to build one, so I bought one. It was a bat and built it complete up, and it's basically brand new. But huh. and it's you ask anybody in Michigan because I ride that bike in the in the you know all the current classes, and I beat everybody on it. And it's it's it is fast. Hmm. It is fast. That's awesome. Um, Tell us what you've been doing since you quit racing. I, I know so, you and I have talked about it, but yeah, people don't I mean, know. Well, I mean, I, I, and this is a subject also that is, I think, is a pretty predominant subject is, you know, when everyone stops racing is, you know, you're, you're, all three of us have been professional athletes and we've been racers through our whole career. And after you're done racing, you know, most of these guys, they don't have, they don't have a clear path to, or any vision of, you know, basically when they stop, it stops. You, you don't know what you're going to do. So, um, that's a, I think that's a big gap in our sport of having some kind of, someone guide you, I mean, or at least plan for you, or have some kind of vision to help you, you know, you yeah. know, in the future to figure out what you're going to do. Um, you know, you know, for me, I was, I was very fortunate, um, because I, I worked where I work now, the company I work for, I worked there right out of my, when I graduated high school for like six months. Um, so when I, when I basically was towards the end of my career of, of racing, um, my dad basically said to me, he said, hey, you, you need a job that is a necessity, not yeah. a want. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you, when people want something, they, you know, and they can't buy milk and bread and pay for, you know, they're not going to go buy it, you know, mm -hmm. but, you know, they, so, so I went into, uh, the, uh, heavy duty truck parts. Um, and I've been doing that for 23 years. Um, I was actually doing it while I was racing. So I was hitting, you know, working all week and then. As I understood it, like tr semi truck parts, right? Semi trucks. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. So all the basically shipping all, has to happen. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, trucks are until we can teleport product trucks will never go away because i mean it's it's the foundation of every industry in the world well they'll have to be solar powered uh here right. in california by 2035 right exactly. you working on your solar panels for trucks yet <laughs> i am not i heard about that though i heard some weird stuff How about going the on. hydrogen technology yeah so anyways regardless of that um truck parts is a great business there's millions and millions of them on the road mm -hmm. and uh they break every day um i've been doing it for 23 years and uh, and if they're broken down it's Time is money. Yeah. Hey, I, on need the road. A, I need a leather steering wheel for uh, M2 106 Freightliner. Yeah, I can hook you up, buddy. <laughs> yeah. He's your guy. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's uh, it's 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 funny because people will bad bad mouth trucks and and everything else, and they just they have no clue how much that truck does for the the world and the economy. Mm -hmm. Because I don't have a bag on trucks. Yeah, I mean people. I always I mean, get pissed when people 
go, oh, that's my exit. I'll get around this truck and then yeah, brake check. Exactly. <laughs> like, you yeah. moron. Yeah. So, no, it's, uh, it's a great business to be in. Um, they, uh, they've taken very good care of me. I've, uh, I've done very well with that. Made way more money doing that than I ever did racing. Um, yeah. They, well, if you can take the mindset of motocross getting back up after being knocked down, never giving up, digging deep, working hard, all that. If you can take those, those work very well in li as life lessons. Right. And if you apply that to your work or job, I mean, we've seen how many riders that were able to find something after racing be successful because I think of that it's work mindset. Ethic. It's, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the work ethic. I, it comes down to those, the people that are, are strong minded with strong work ethic and, uh, haven't been coddled, you know, because you know, there's a lot sure. of these riders that have been coddled and they haven't, they haven't had a, someone. I, I can tell. Yeah, mentor and you say something that's not positive on TV, and then they're all butthurt. Yeah, but they won't come and tell you that. Right. They'll just look at you and then look the other way. Mm. Right. So I mean, I think that's <laughs> a big devastated. That's a big thing is is uh, having a clear path and and having some. You should. I, I think if you're getting towards the end of your career, you should definitely start. Regardless of whether you want to or not, I know it's hard to accept, but you should definitely start thinking about what am I going to do when I get done with this? Because there's a lot of riders that get to the end of their career and then they're just dumbfounded. They don't know what's happening, what they're going to do, how to make money, and there's no guidance. And a well, lot of just them, feel relevant. A lot of them get into trouble. I mean, I mean, you look. Well, at, we, we've had a, a at least a handful on here where I'm like, man. I hope that they figure something out because you can tell they're lost. Right. And these are guys who are at elite level in our sport. Yep. And you think, how did you go from being larger than life to like yeah. being lost? Yeah. You know, it's, it's sad. And, and here, here's another thing in that, in that whole topic. And I don't know if this was a problem for, for either of you, but for me, when I decided basically when I was, I'm okay, I'm done racing motorcycles professionally. The transition from being a motorcycle superstar motocross racer guy to normal everyday Joe, be home with your wife, do normal things. That transition period is not, that's not easy. It's tough. I yeah. mean, that, I mean, and you both basically have to find yourself. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tough thing because you go through that period where, you know, you're, you're reinventing yourself because you're both, I mean, my wife was a hundred percent, part of my racing and life career from the get-go we were since 11th and 12th grade and so you know she worked for the ama she worked for for felt she did she did the she did the correspondence between the commentator she was feeding information uh, on the riders so she did I didn't that know she did all that yeah she did that she did she handled all the uh opening ceremonies uh, getting the riders to the things she did um the uh after the trophy presentation she got all the stuff all the writers to the truck you know she'd handled all that so um so going from that being on the road traveling you know being part of all that and you know I, I, we were very good friends were with duke and sonny finch basically they're our other parents because you know we would stay with them and do stuff with them and, and but uh going from that to normal average everyday joe going to work every day and trying to reinvent yourself and find yourselves again. And, and the clear path is not going to be together. I mean, you can, yeah. and that takes a lot of work. Yeah. And, you know, shortly in 2002, um, I was still racing and I was actually thinking about, okay, 
I'm going to come make a comeback. I'm going to do Supercross, and I'm going to do you know because I was actually going really well. Um, I was winning every race I was hitting, and uh, I went to a race, and it was it was our uh, our tenth wedding anniversary, and I went to a race in uh, in Michigan. It was a big arena cross, and I was out front, 125 Pro class. Came around, hit the catapult double, and as I hit the catapult double, I cross rutted, and the handlebars got ripped out of my hands, and. I went off and I reached for it and grabbed the left bar and pulled the bike back toward me. But when I did that, it pulled the bike 90 degrees in the air. And because I didn't have the gas on all the way off the face, I didn't make the double. So I went into the face of the double with the bike sideways with my leg between the bike and the jump. And so it broke my leg in eight places and shattered my ankle and just didn't mean to just tacoed my leg. And that, 2002, and that was, it was... 10 days from her third birthday and my 10th wedding anniversary. And my wife was like, and so I, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm at a place and I have a work van there with my bike. I'm not even supposed to really be there with a work oh, van. So, um, yeah, so it's, uh, my wife was like, yeah, uh, mm, new life decisions. You're done. So it's, you know, this is, you know, yeah. And so at that point, um, you have to, I had to become an adult and, but, um, here's no, another subject is I got hooked on oxycodone during that whole podcast. Oh, did you? Yeah. And, uh, basically went through that whole thing where, you know, like seven months on oxycodone because of how bad it was, um, went through a huge, huge period where, I mean, you know, suicidal tendencies, all that stuff. It was bad. Mm. I mean, and I can see, I can that relate. Rough. It was bad, terrible. Um, and what was and and the problem is, it's happened to a few people. <clears throat> I had issues with it mm -hmm. as well. And then you wake up one day and you're like, "Oh shit, <laughs> I want to get off this, but you can't. You mentally can't you do it. You like jitters, cold sweats. And I've had people talk to me about it, hyperventilation, yeah, everything, suicidal tendencies, everything. And you know what's you know what the worst thing is. I think it's changed now, but the worst well, people are now educated. At right. that time, they were like, "Oh man, right. just," and it's said on the side, right? Every few hours, one yeah. or two for pain. Right. And the worst, the worst thing is, is all it took was me going to my doctor and having him give me a counter agent drug. To, I mean, that's all it did. I mean, it was like a, a week's worth of counteracting drug, and. I was completely off of it. Was that right? Yeah. Well, it, not, it, was, it wasn't methadone or something, what was it? I don't know exactly what it was. Um, it was. I think it was a cross between, like, there was some Xanax and something else. But between the two, it brought me off the high and everything else and then evened me out. And I, I was just done. Yeah. And I was perfectly fine. It's wild how just nilly-willy they are about prescribing. Oh, yeah. you, something hurts? Oh, here, here's some... Right. Here's some Vicodin. Well, right. you know, it's like... <laughs> but I, I had that in multiple times through injuries. I got hurt many a time. And I remember in the beginning, um, you, you tried not to take them because they made you kind of feel mm -hmm. a little ill and a little shitty. <clears throat> and then down the road, it just took for, like you said, one bad injury where you needed it for two weeks or 10 days. And I, I swear, I think for a lot of people, you just go down a slippery slope. Yeah. But you didn't yeah. plan on it. No. You know, no. I mean... Bad things can happen I mean, to good people. I mean, I hallucinated. I didn't. I threw stuff at my wife. I didn't even know I did stuff like that. I mean, I mean, I'd take and just chuck stuff at her because she would come in the room and I'd be like, ah, and just be all aggressive. And yeah, wow, it was crazy. So, Dodged a bullet. Yeah, for sure. Um, and she 
dodge some she debris. Dodged, whatever you threw yeah. at debris. Yeah. yeah, for sure. What do you do uh, kind of for fun now, you know, outside of riding? I know you still ride quite a bit, but... Cars and... Um, I, it's not so much cars. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. It's probably cars, huh? Cars and yeah. like what? Collecting them? Or? Uh, I, I I I like to buy, fix up, and sell. I mean, okay. I've had a lot of just like stuff. old classic cars. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've had a lot. I, th- I think I lost time. Last count, I had like 165 cars since I graduated, or since I since I started driving. So just buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. But uh, yeah, I just I buy stuff and I put my own little. You know, a little take on it, and then I sell it, you know, for a profit. So, yeah. cool. But yeah, no, I, I I like that. I actually, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm, I actually just, I've been looking for like four years. Um, I actually just found a f- uh, full factory Grumman box van that I'm going to redo, like a retro box van. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. So it's uh with a diesel in it, and it's uh, yeah, going to redo that and make it hopefully a, a retro look and it has the aluminum wheels on it and oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's it's all then, then you're gonna, a new race rig yeah then you're gonna remember how crappy it was to drive those around and <laughs> oh i drove them a long time i mean i've driven vans my Sh- entire sharing career. lanes so. sharing lanes <laughs> it's, and it's got a 7.3 diesel in it so it's actually it's actually pretty nice that's so. indestructible too. yeah so what do you do in the winter i mean is that the time when you'd restore cars and stuff, I, I, or, what do you do? or motorcycles you know and i so your garage is heated i have a, a an under garage like a a three-star under garage my under my garage so that's where my race shop is and uh it, you know as you know i mean i'm into this vintage motorcycle thing pretty hard and i don't know i have like nine nine vintage bikes and i have the rocco's 92 kx 500 and my 86 cr 250 and 93 cr125 i have a bunch of them i have my 80 i have my um 87 YZ 125 that I got third in Supercross on, and I have my championship bike, um, my 95 Honda Troy bike. Your championship bike run? Oh, yeah. You still ride it a little bit? I can. Yeah. I just don't. I mean, it runs yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's fast as hell. I mean, it's got a Nicosel factory cylinder on it, and yeah, it's huh. it's good. Huh. It's, it's quite a bit faster than what I rode uh, Saturday. Yeah, but. I'm sure. Um, snow bikes at all? No, I never, I've never tried it. I've actually got um, a couple invites. Um, I, it's Go try it. it. It's a bummer, too, because I have a, a buddy. Um, I, when I came out here for the World Vets uh, a couple years ago, um, the guy that helped me and sponsored me, his, uh, his I don't know if it's his brother or his cousin, they have a full, um, they have a full get-up in, in Alaska. Mm. And it's like they have a full resort that they own, and they do a full snow bike adventure. And he's like, "Come up anytime you want." And I'm like, "Yeah, we can go up anytime. It's still snowing." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I've never and I've never done it. But so. you're you're Michigan. You guys yeah. get your Michigan winters are a lot pretty of snow. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure you've got open areas still. You all can go ride. Yeah, yeah. ton. Yeah, it is so fun. Yeah. Have you ridden them? No. All I know is mm. when I did my one of my first TV gigs was Arena Cross mm-hmm. and. They had a, a race at Grand Rapids, yep. in January, mm-hmm. and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I checked out. Yeah. I checked out of Michigan yeah. a while ago. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, for it sure. It was brutal. I just remember it was, but it was windy as well. Yeah. between the buildings and the downtown. I think the like, average temperature in the winter is like probably twenty with whatever twenty mile an hour winds. It's just hey, cold. summer's brutal. It felt as a lot well. worse than that. Yeah. Summer's yeah. brutal yeah. as well. If you just get through the miserably cold winters, then it gets humid and buggy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you got exactly. all summer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. Sorry, I'm and flash flooding. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Of, um, it's nice for like the two weeks coming out of yeah. the really shitty winter, no, those and then are the great. two weeks before you go back in the shitty winter. Yeah, fantastic weather. Lovely. <laughs> mm, we enjoyed it. 
right, you've got two girls are actually here with us today. Yep. Um, what advice would you give, parenting advice to a guy with two, I got a 12 and 13 year old. Um, Seems like they turned out all right. They are, I mean, uh, they're actually exceptional. No drug no. use I've seen. No, that my, my girls are, uh, if I, I don't think you could ask for, for better kids. Um, I'm, yeah, gifted. Um, I think for me, we've, we've basically kind of let them, you know, I, I think we've given you some guidance, but we pretty much let them, let them do what they want to do, you know, yeah. and we don't, uh, we don't try to, you know, smother them and, but we, we really want them to be, you know, dream big, do what they want. Like I've always gone and traveled and do what I wanted to do and, and, I've tried to instill that in them and try to uh, really put that into their mindset that you have no limitations and they're both exceptionally smart and so they get it from your wife. They do. Yeah. yeah. I think that oh, I, I, I argue the fact that I think they get their common sense from me. I'm a common sense person, hands-on kind of guy. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not intelligent. I'm, I'm smart when it comes to, you but know, you've gone through the the school of life, exactly. and hard knocks, exactly, which a lot of us have. So right, but I, 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 you know, I want them to do as much as they can, uh, you know, for as long as they can, you know, mm. and that's why with my oldest daughter, she's traveling, doing, you know, she's in international relations with college and is going looking at international law, and I, and then with my daughter with with dance and photography and. You know, every, you know, she's going to Columbia and, and doing all the things she wants to do. And I think that's, I mean, I want them to do everything they can do and, and not settle for anything. Um, I think too many people settle and, you know, stay in their box. And I've had so many opportunities given to me throughout my career to travel and see so many cool things and meet so many incredible people. And that's why I tell them to try and, and network as much as possible and meet as many people. For, you know, for us, we've, we've met so many millions of people through our careers. And I think that has given us the opportunity to obviously travel and see and, and you know, basically... Um, you know, it 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 it, uh, it basically uh, molds us mm -hmm. to who we are, and it gives us a perspective of everything in the world. Um, I think that's a a big thing because if yeah. you're so close-minded, I don't think that you know. Yeah. There's too many close-minded people in the world, and I want my yeah my, for sure. I want my daughters both to be open-minded and and do as much as they can and see as much as they can. Well, so. When you do all that, it does open your, your mind. Absolutely. I mean, if you travel or work different jobs, meet different people, all those different situations make you a better person. I always enjoyed listening to people that had been self-made in the industry, whether they'd built a company or a team. Like I always loved to ask them questions because right. um, I, I didn't finish school. So that was, that was what excited me was hearing how people who maybe also didn't finish school but mm. had a passion and became very successful yeah i well, think with passion and work ethic yeah you know like it's, it's funny i recipe. saw um elon musk just posted something where he said he, you know this isn't to discourage anyone going to college but he goes you don't need to go to college anymore he goes you can learn anything you want online it's all free he's like the, you know experience is what but i look for when but I hire if people. everyone goes like to college experience. those jobs are saturated and there's yeah. no one to fix the electric i just thought it was boxes, an interesting like. commentary on how right it's sort of the paradigm has changed a little bit in terms of training for a job um, yeah 
and I think you and, know, and I think traveling like the three of us have done, yeah, it gives you a perspective on how life is, how other cultures are, exactly, um, how, the way the world works behind the scenes because we've we both sat at those negotiating tables and right <laughs> seen it seen it how it goes down, um, and I find the people who I find it funny that people will sit here and piss and moan about life in the USA or right. or their stance on certain things. And I'm like, your, your passport's empty, dude. Like right. you don't even know what you're talking about. Right. You know, you don't, you can't compare our country to other countries cause you've not been there. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, with my daughter, she's traveled a lot now. Cause you know, I went, you basically started off with me taking them to Farley and I think mm-hmm. they got, you know, I took them there, but we went to Paris, we went, you know, to England, we went to all these places and then you got a really big perspective of other countries and what, what it's like. Yeah. And I think, and she's traveled a lot, a lot and, and my daughter and Kennedy's, you know, gone to some places. So I think they look at the way other people live and they think, well, well, why are we doing this like this? And why are we doing that? Why don't we kind of do yeah. s- things like they do? And, you know, it's like, there's, there's better ways to do it's things. Give and take. Yeah. You know, it's like, and so they look at different things and, and that's the way you want them to see things. You want them to have a big, broad spectrum of the way things could be and should be. And I think, like, with my advice to you is, I think uh, I would definitely give your kids a, a wide berth and let them big, you know, just dream huge. And obviously, they need discipline. And I think they should. You should probably try to instill as much work ethic in them as possible. And my, I was, I'm. I was, you know, my kids both work really hard without me even telling them. So I don't know how that happened. I, yeah. I work a lot. I, but see, I think most, see of, that. most of the way kids turn out is watching their yeah. parents. Monkey, it's see, not, monkey do. It's not <laughs> telling them, hey, you need to do this or don't if do that. You ask They're my, watching you. If you ask my two daughters how much I work, they say, that's all I do. So that's, I, you know, well, and it's like, it's like, it's like you do. And it's, and it's like you do. You, I mean, it's how much can you fit in one day? It's yeah. like, you know, you with this and, 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 and being, you know, being a fireman and an EMT and I, whatever you call, I forget what you call me. You, t- you told me the name of it was that you have paramedic. No, not what? paramedic. You did so the combination of, of your, your fireman. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. firefighter paramedic, but I'm also hazmat specialist. Yeah. yeah. All PIO. the things that you do. And then, yeah. you know, you have this and then you have all the vital testing, MX, yeah, the vital MX and, and, you know, trying to find riding time and, and then be a dad mm-hmm. and be a husband and all that. And then you with being a commentator and having your dealership and all this stuff. I mean, how much can we fit on one plate? And fit, well, they you say know. you're supposed to have up to six revenue streams in a perfect right. world. So, I mean, I'm right. just trying to hit that. So, exactly. <laughs> so, for us, it's like, you know, just, I think, you know, showing us, you know, showing our kids our work ethic and how to work hard. And and we've, we've had arguments about work isn't everything. It's not, you know, we shouldn't work that hard. We should have time for yeah. ourselves. And my time for myself is obviously I'm taking my kids out here and I'm, I ride I was my motorcycle. It's cool that you guys yeah. traveled together and came out. Yeah, I ride my motorcycle. My wife And then go and take them to do some things they want to yeah. do and sightsee. Yeah, my wife's a little pissed about it, but she had to work, so... But yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to hold time. the fort down, right, Exactly. Someone's <laughs> got to make the money, right? Um, what What is that... This is maybe a little bit of a personal question for me. What does that 88 title mean to you? As a guy who came two points away from getting one but never did... And I always said, man, if I just had that, then I, I could at least have a, a, a mark in the record books. It, but then you there's do, guys. You won a race. You won a few races. I won four. So, so, short so you won, you won one I, more than saying, I did. I'm just saying every, every rider has their thing. Gio probably wants a 450 Supercross Exactly. Well, I, I, tell you, me. I tell you, I tell you, that, 
that title has basically made me relevant still in the the sport because mm-hmm. most people don't know Mike Jones finished second. And if they're to look in the history book, there's I'm I, I won the championship. Now yes, it's a regional title. I'm Steve Mathis seems to think that regional titles don't mean shit. But I tell you what, if you talk to any supercross champion in the lights class from any year they'd probably sell their soul to have that championship because they work their ass off to get that championship regardless of whether it's regional or it's national everyone out there is working super hard for that one thing you, you're I, w- tell I, I wouldn't take Mathis's opinion to heart either. No, I, I understand. You know, I understand I mean, he's that he's accomplished nothing. So R- well, oh, he's a four-time Manitoba champion. Provincial Canadian championships mean nothing. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah. So no one's even from Manitoba, particularly in the <laughs> no one good. So, so, anyways, but what I, what I'm saying is, is that that title to me is a defining moment in my career mm-hmm. because, um, you know it. It was everything I was working for, and I worked really hard to get it. And I don't think anybody before that even had an idea that I would could even possibly be a champion. Mm-hmm. You know, because I didn't really have stellar results. I won one amateur national championship in the Loretta Lens. I mean, I I was a good racer, but you won that one in Texas and drove off past Kalis. I bus. did, <laughs> I did. But it's one of those things where you know. He stopped and then burned rubber. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's, uh, you look at that championship, I think it's, it defines, it defines me as a rider because it's my one championship and it's, it's given me a lot of open avenues throughout my, this sport. Sure. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm still have sponsorship from a lot of companies. Yes. I was, a a good rider through my career i wasn't great but i was a good rider consistent rider through my career and i was uh i was uh, a, re- a reliable rider to all my sponsors i always promoted them and i always i i, I was you know did not i didn't leave them i mean i, I stayed with you know i i still write for scott goggles hey, i wrote, loyal yeah. i've written for scott goggles since the beginning mm-hmm. i mean and so i mean it's it's one of those things where i just i'm a, I'm a loyal rider and to me i just i think that that goes a long ways and i i enjoyed i it, it to me it's a lot it means a lot and i, I think regardless of whether you had were three points off or whatever two you, two points <laughs> yeah I mean, stop shorting this exactly, guy okay? exactly so i mean it's a big deal to me. It's yeah. it's it's a defining moment in in my career because it's it's my really my only championship. So it, it, you should be proud of it. I mean, people who poo poo it again, they're they've probably never lined up, yeah. not even for a Supercross race, let alone to know all the pieces of a puzzle that have well, to come together to get that done. For mm. me, I mean, Supercross didn't come naturally, so to earn those yeah, it championships, it 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 was a lot of hard work. Yeah. Trust me, it um, was. So it felt special in that sense, like. I never came to the U.S. thinking I would be a, a regional right. Supercross champion, right. but it was a dream. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So, brings us to our last question, um, which is just how do you want to be remembered in this sport? You know, I thought about that. I've heard that your podcast before, and I think for me... It's always the hardest question, isn't no, it? No, it's not. I mean, for me, I'd just like to be remembered. Mm. Truthfully. 
I mean, that I was a consistent, good guy. I mean, people, I was approachable. People liked to talk to me, and I was a good racer. And, I mean, I, I won a championship, but, yeah, you know, I won a championship. And but you're still a good ambassador for the sport. Yeah, I mean, I for me, cool. I, I just like to be remembered in our sport because you look back at all the freaking fast guys that have done this sport, for the majority, unless you're an elite top guy, most of them get yeah forgotten oh yeah i, I mean, know oh you're right you know, you know what like and i totally get what you're saying um i, I certainly fell short of the goals i set for myself mm-hmm. in the sport which was to be you know win every single championship uh which <laughs> i came up I, a little short <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all of us right but like at farley the year i went we were there mm-hmm. and they had that little tower with all the signs and everyone's yeah. name on it mm-hmm. and both of our names were on that thing mm-hmm. and i thought but there's also yeah. lachine ever there's all these guys and i'm thinking wow just it was one of those moments where you go the fact that my name's even on this thing yeah right wow yeah as I a mean, kid i would be so stoked to see this yeah you know so I mean, yeah i didn't hit my mark right but i think the, the reason i asked that question is i, I want to believe that i didn't blow up my knees out ruin my wrists wear my shoulders out for nothing yeah. right like exactly it has to be was it worth it you know because i say all the time and, to my wife, and it was worth it because we have incredible memories yeah. of everything we've done. It's true. And we're still making memories. But and it also it, brings you to this point of right. sitting here with us together. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's you know, for me, it's, I mean, I, I just, truthfully, I just would like to be remembered in the sport. Yeah. I mean, because, uh, I mean, it was a, a, truthfully, it was a, a fantastic time of my life and in, I wish I could be more part of it, but that's where this whole vintage thing comes in and I, I enjoy riding my motorcycle and this basically gives me a whole new uh, lease on a career of riding sure. my motorcycle because I, I, I still can I still have people that like for me to ride for them and promote their products and it makes it it make, it it's an enjoyable thing for me and I like to I like to ride so well we love it and the bottom line is the record book shows you as 88 champ. Yeah. You'll, you're, ne- you're never going to be forgotten. You're always in there. Right. But, for uh, sure. For sure. I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, I absolutely. Consider you a friend. Yeah, and, for and, sure. Uh, you're great. a hell of a competitor and, and just a nice guy. So. Yeah. I was, I'm still a little pissed that you beat me at the 125 dream race at Red Bull. Well, so. that was. I didn't have brakes. I know. I, if I would have got close, I would have knocked you down because I <laughs> didn't have brakes. So. <laughs> just, just for the memory bank. Yeah. I was trying to stay alive. That race, that track ate me up that day. I was terrible. When you when you are a little bit removed, it's hard to go back and just pin well, it on those kinds of tracks. It's, I don't ever ride that kind of stuff. Well, anymore. it's my it track. So I mean, that's what I'm. Pro- I really have a problem with. Like, regardless, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I yeah. Was that tr- the way Redbud is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just not used to it anymore. <laughs> I, I go to these local tracks when they're groomed perfect. I ride. Till we get in eight thirty nine yeah. in the morning. By it's eleven, good. you're gone. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on. We'll rematch uh, if they have those 125 All-Star races Absolutely. again. Um, yeah. I, I just want to say something uh, something quick. Something. Um, I, I, did, uh, I, I started a uh, uh, blast factory uh, or company for I'm, I'm vapor blasting uh, uh, restoration parts for motorcycles and stuff mm-hmm. on the side. Um, and uh, it's uh, blastfactory.com. So I've been doing that. And uh, it's basically, once again, we got to have a lot of that, you know, different things yeah. to do so but uh started that company and uh been doing that now for about a year so it's uh been it's actually it's actually a lot of fun Any I, kind of parts? I enjoy it uh, oh, you can do engine casing yeah, yeah, i do I all mean, the motorcycle parts you know basically engine cases anything aluminum titanium yeah. you know, magnesium it's refur- pretty satisfying yeah refurbished i mean you sit there for in 
what, what the cool thing is is you make something that looks like shit yeah. brand, brand better than new. new. It's you, actually better than new yeah, a lot of times. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure you follow this guy on Instagram, um, a guy who's bike road in Utah. Throwback oh, yeah. MX, yeah. MX guy. Yeah. Yeah. He does a lot of that yeah. and he'll show us before and yeah. afters and it's like, damn. Yeah, I do a lot on that. I always on love my, how he inserts the pictures of the old chicks from the... <laughs> yeah, from yeah. The yeah he puts, he, puts he, some little pictures yeah, on them. Yeah. I, yeah. I always crack up. For he's, sure, for he's sure. He's a great guy. Yeah. All right, well, hey, thanks so much Absolutely. for coming Absolutely. It was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. It was fun. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap it back up here in a second. At Nihilo Concepts, we have a passion for innovation and for motocross. Our mission is to develop parts that will improve the durability, functionality, and the appearance of your motorcycle. We're proud to say that everything from Nihilo is made in the USA in our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you race every weekend or you just ride for fun, Nihilo offers high-quality, innovative parts that you just won't find anywhere else. Nihilo offers custom engraved engine covers, one-piece titanium foot picks, brake tips, internal engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, carbon fiber components, and so much more. Check out our website, NihiloConcepts.com, and see for yourself why teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nihilo Concepts. NihiloConcepts.com. got a guest up here at the desk with us. This is Lori from Road Recovery. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is usually our sponsor spotlight segment. And while Road Recovery is not a sponsor per se, they are definitely a partner of ours. Uh, you ran all of our, our live events yeah. at the door. So if you've been to a live show, you recognize her. Um, and we want to have you on just to chat a little bit about Road Recovery. Awesome. I think um, there's a lot of people who, and I would probably be even in that boat is where I'm, I'm skeptical of donating to charities because you hear horror stories of you know greedy people running them that are only a small fraction of the percentage donated actually goes to helping what it's supposed to and corruption all that stuff i think everyone's a little leery of it so um i want to have you on just let's clear some of that crap up yeah let's do it <laughs> tell us uh <laughs> tell us who Road to Recovery is for, first of all? Okay, so we help injured motocross, supercross, and action sport athletes when they have a debilitating injury, but they have to be a professionally licensed athlete. So with motocross or supercross, it's AMA licensed, and they have to compete in at least one pro race. Okay. With action sports, it's a little bit difficult because we don't have your standard, like, sanctioned racing. Um, they do have to have a certain level of sponsorships and a certain level level of competitive 
activations, basically. So if you're a surfer, then you've competed professionally in a surf contest. And, you know, like, um, just jumping right into it, I guess, like one of the things that I think gives some people heartburn, and I'm going to use this example, it's nothing against Phil Smage or whatever, Uh but when he got hurt doing that stunt, people are like, well, you know, you, you went and did this thing like on your own, you didn't have to jump this, this wasn't part of your job, but yet he's asking for all this money because he had massive bills, you know, he got really jacked up. And I, and I love Phil. He's an awesome guy, by the way. I'm not using him as an example because I don't like him, mm-hmm. but people are like, well, you know, this guy's taking budget from racers or real professional athletes who are, you know, trying to make a living. Is that fair? I mean, what are your, what's the, so like you said, it's kind of gray area and it's weird. It is. So the cool thing specifically about that, if you are kind of on the fence about doting, donating to like somebody who isn't necessarily competing. He was filming to break a world record. Right. You don't have to. Um, the money that got raised for Phil's fund was crowdfunding. So none of that was taken out of our endowment. Gotcha. So if you donated at like a road recovery event or at Whiskey Throttle, um, you know, all the funds of that goes to our endowment. From the endowment, we then grant money to athletes. Um, seven athletes in total. I think it's over almost $2 million that have been granted out to them. I need to fact check that number really quick though. Um, but that goes specifically to action or sorry to motocross athletes only okay. that are career ending injury. So Jesse Nelson, Ian Turtle, those guys. Okay. Phil, the majority of his, actually a hundred percent of his funding was specifically crowdfunding. So is that that's when you guys would do like a specific Campaign. fundraiser? This is just for him mm-hmm. donate here. Okay. Exactly. Or we did a like a fundraiser um at a track and we did an auction and that money went to Phil. But as far as like road recovery grant money, hundred percent of that goes to endowment athletes and Phil was not one of them. Okay. Well see that clears some of that up. And again, nothing against Phil. Phil, I love you. I'm so glad <laughs> to see you up and moving around and Still riding. It's insane. Yeah. We actually get that question a lot because we do, we're diversified. So we do action sports and moto and supercross. So somebody asked me the other day, well, I donate, I'm a motocross guy. Like I only, you know, I go to the races and I donate with um, MX Sports or Promoter Cross. I bought my tickets and I donated road recovery. I want to make sure that dollar goes to like my, my moto guys, my, yeah. the guys that I worship, the Jesse Nelsons, those guys. 100% of that does. So anything that happens at a motocross or supercross event goes to those athletes. Gotcha. Anything that happens action sports goes to those guys. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So let me get to the big hang up number two, <laughs> which is that, and this happens literally every time somebody gets really jacked up. Mm-hmm. Whether he had insurance or he didn't, which I think we can all agree, if you're racing or competing in anything professionally, athletically, you need to have insurance. So that's that's one. Uh, but two, people always go, well, if he, ha- he, if he has insurance, like why, why does he need this money? Explain to people, like, I, I just don't know that they understand the limits set on insurance for one, the deductibles for two, and then they have caps. You know, like, after this point, they're not covering anything. Yeah. So insurance, that's a fun one. Um, (laughs) The thing about insurance is, well, yes, MX Sports and Feld Entertainment require you to have insurance to race. Um, Sometimes the guys don't pay the payment. Mm. And yes, they check and they do their due diligence, but... They don't have a full staff checking these guys. The AMA requires it to get their license. Um, But let's say it's off season and you're 
a privateer and you're barely making it to the races paying $500 a month for decent and that's just barely decent insurance they don't have it Mm. um it's it it's a it's a very touchy subject in our sport but it's the hardest thing for us to even deal with we're actually putting together on our website kind of a help a, a watered down version of the insurance the basics that you need um, like air flight that kind of stuff medical air flight blah 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 whatever but literally just completely watered down digestible and understandable second problem is that people get a policy that maybe like their best friend's neighbor oh. is selling and when you know, they fall down and they finally get hurt and need that policy. It is not the worth of paper that it's written on. Mm. And they don't know that because they were, they were told by somebody that this is going to help you. And it ends up being just a hospital policy or, you know, not even catastrophic. Uh, Insurance, nobody wants, does any, have you ever read your own policy? Well, you might've read your policy, but not too many people read their full policy if they're just trying to get to the races. So, it's written in a language that's not 100% digestible. It's written by lawyers, let's be honest, and yeah. that's confusing. Um, to answer your question, no, not every single athlete has but, had insurance. But you could you could sit down with an insurance agent or somebody who's involved in it that has some knowledge and say, give me the basics here. If I get hurt, what is what does this cover? What does this leave me still liable for? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's every guy on that start line should either have done that or have somebody doing it for them. Yeah. Doesn't always happen, as you said. That So that's an issue. But even if they have decent insurance, they still cap that out, right? Like yep. uh, Weston Pike, I can't even imagine what his bills were. So... You could probably... Uh, I don't, not that you... Weston's actually was probably one of the best case scenarios because his dad got him a policy. Um, so it was catastrophic, uh, major medical, and he had like the full package. He uses rider assurance, which Brandon, who runs it, is a phenomenal guy. Um, I'm not saying to use them or anything. I'm just saying like it's an opportunity there out for you. Um, so he actually covered him great. Like he was awesome. Plus the promoters for Weston found a loophole in the insurance with that track in Paris and they paid a hundred percent of his international bills. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. And that's why he actually got on social media and stopped saying like, I'm good on funding. Like we had to pay for things like some stuff to get him back. Um, flights out to his parents. Like we covered with that, that kind of fund, but Everything else was funded, so he stopped his online crowdsource because, thank goodness for those promoters who found that, because if not, we would have been stuck in a very sticky situation. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a couple of surgeries once he came back to the U.S., but again, he had a really good policy that helped out. Um, As far as deductibles and that kind of stuff goes, your basic gold level blue shield policy, you're going to have to get usually up to five grand in a deductible. And that's just with one person. $5,000 is a lot of money. Um, And then it caps based on hospital stay. There's a cap on... um, no major medical. There's going to be a cap on catastrophic. There's also going to be a cap on prescriptions, and then there's going to be a cap on like air traffic. medical therapy. Yeah, yeah. Travel, right. Physical yeah. therapy. There's a cap on absolutely everything. These policies are not written like they used to be. That's why it's really important for us in 2021 to have this kind of 
detailed, like, this is what you should be getting if you're a privateer. Just get this stuff. Yeah. And then... So you guys are putting something like that yeah, on your website? Okay. Exactly. So our website uh, in 2021 is actually going to be, we're going to have kind of more of a resource Instead of just crowdfunding and, sh you know, like our shopping cart, there's actually going to be a full kitted resource guide for insurance for mental health. Mm. Um, we're, at, we're starting a new mental health initiative in 2021 that I'm really excited about. But, um, yeah, there's – we found out that we have all this knowledge especially Anita and Mike Young, what they're able to do with those medical bills. I think our last one with um, an athlete I'm not allowed to discuss right now, she got um, almost $400,000 or her and Mike together got $400,000 off a of policy or off um, medical bills wow. from one athlete. So like that's mind blowing. I think together this year in 2020, they did over a million dollars that they negotiated these medical bills for. So they have this vast knowledge and we're basically trying to like streamline it because we can only help um, pros and we have amateurs that ask us to help and we do kind of on the back end um, but we try to use the funds and our resources to the guy people that we are supposed to be helping obviously sure. so this resource page will give people that we can't necessarily fund an opportunity to do the same thing with how to negotiate so not only are we telling you what you need in insurance policy, but once you do get hurt and we can't help you, how to negotiate to get those bills down. Gotcha. And that's just, just as important. I mean, it's just like yeah. getting money. Yeah, it really is. So we want to make sure every dollar that we get goes as far as possible mm -hmm. when we help these guys. Now, if I remember right, because I talked to Jimmy Button about this a little bit, he said that there's oftentimes there'll be really good funding for a specific athlete if... So and so gets hurt. Let's say West. Named rider. Yeah. Yeah. And there's people are pouring in money, and he can make money really, you know, quickly. But the fund itself is where it kind of struggles. And if that money dwindles down too much, there it, it hamstrings you guys. It it does. Yeah. So what contributes to that um, that primary fund that you guys use? So we call it the. So, right, we have the two endowment, endowments. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, we call it the Injured Rider Endowment Fund because um, it's a little bit easier to digest. I didn't know what an endowment was until I got hired here. So, if I just start throwing that word around, people are like, okay, cool. It's basically our grant writing system. Um, we have two. We have one for motocross, supercross, and we have one for action sports. Um, the way that we... So, if you go online, you donate to Just Road Recovery, you set up like a reoccurring donation, 80% um, of that goes straight into the endowment. Okay. For Whiskey Throttle Show, 80% of that money that's raised goes straight into the endowment. When we do, when we're at Supercross and we're selling wristbands, or if you buy a VIP package with us, or we do an eBay auction and it's a moto gear, it's going to go straight. 80% will always go straight into that endowment. Okay. It's really important that we have this endowment because that's how we grant automatic funds to an athlete. So like Brian Monroe, who will receive our endowment, he'll get 75 grand. If we needed to pay something right the day he got hurt, we can automatically access funds. We wouldn't have to wait for crowdfunding to kick in. We okay. could pay something that we needed to. Um, so it's extremely important that we have that. Um, if you are writing just a check to road recovery or when I do grants, as long as it's um, specified correctly in grant writing, that goes into the endowment. Okay. And how is that doing today? Is it, I mean... Now you're going to have to make me fact check. You don't have to give me numbers, <laughs> but I mean, is, is that still... I know when I talked to Jimmy probably a year and a half ago, he was concerned that that money, that endowment amount is not enough to kind of 
continue and they had they were really worried about keeping that number it is so um, we've so we've raised not almost 10 million dollars and in the endowment currently shouldn't give me that number we're we're over i think we're at like 2 million in the endowment so we're almost to 2 million i know we're at a million for sure i think it's like 1.1 1. 1. um so if a writer gets hurt like brian he'll get 75,000 so it's specific on that which we have um, an angel investor who is generous and he donates a large amount of money to the foundation randomly um, that, and he wants it to specifically to go to help writers, but also to that endowment. We're hurting. Yeah. It's, I mean. Well, this year probably didn't help either, yeah, right? It's I mean, the pandemic. No, 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 no live events. and. It, yeah. And so like our annual golf tournament is scratched. We were actually going to do a different. Um, event. We were going to do a couple spin classes and we have, we've been looking at different opportunities and thinking kind of outside the box on ways to get back into our sport and have people feel more comfortable with, you know, giving us funds again. We've teamed up and done really great things with a lot of the factories and the OEMs. Um, it's just, it's hard because we have a working capital and then we have the endowment and our board makes sure that we allocate X amount of money to the endowment because we want to make sure that there's going to be some money to help athletes in case crowdfunding goes down or we don't get enough or whatever. Like that's really what we're here to do. But when companies that normally support us aren't in the best funding capability and our sport as of like last year was kind of hurting a little bit. So our big fundraiser of big events that we would have around Supercross or outdoors, we weren't doing them as much, you know, we're, we're all hurting. So it's, it's somewhat of a catch 22. We rely on our fans to support us and our industry to support us. So when the industry's not doing so great, neither are we, but that gives us a freaking awesome opportunity. That's my job to raise money for the foundation. I need to think outside the box the box 2020 has taught me one thing status quo is not okay you have to raise the bar you have to think better work harder and do better than ever before um and so we've got a couple of different initiatives that are going to help create funding for the endowment because of that and we just we just got to do better we got to spread our name we got to help we got to get people comfortable with giving funds and knowing that when they do donate a dollar like it's going to a good cost. Yeah. And, and that 80, 20, so 20 mm -hmm. goes towards operating costs. 80% goes right into that endowment. Yes. That's huge. Uh, I, from what I gathered, <laughs> most charities are not nearly that. No, most of them it's, if 20 cents of the dollar goes directly to the charity, it's a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had heard something about maybe it was Salvation Army or it's like some major, mm -hmm. uh, Red Cross, even. something like that. I'm thinking, holy shit. Do people know that? Like how much of their money gets siphoned off? There's actually a website you can go and look at the big charity mm -hmm. so you know what percentage of the yeah. money is actually going to help so anyway I, yeah. I think that will help make people comfortable donating or or, or giving something to, to any of these um, things that you guys do is knowing that every 80 cents on the dollar goes and straight to that to the per person donating it's obviously 100 percent mm. tax deduction exactly we are a 501c3 so they get that tax deduction and when you donate to an athlete it's um 10% goes to the overhead, 90% goes to the athlete. Mm. So, and we actually just raised it. We've only raised it twice since 2000. 
and it like our costs were just getting expensive credit card, like everything, you know, it's business costs. And so we raised it 10% still. That's cheaper than GoFundMe. That's freaking amazing. And if we're able to save that athlete $400,000 on a medical bill that they would have just, nobody knows you can negotiate that stuff. I didn't. Mm. It's to me, it's worth it. Well, the, the other thing that I don't know that a lot of people know this, if you listen to Jimmy's show, uh, Jimmy Buttons, you you would heard him talk about it, but these guys that have career-ending injuries like Jesse Nelson, like Jimmy, um, for him, he spent every dollar he had after the insurance was tapped out, every dollar he had in savings for more therapy to try to get as good as he could get, you know, mm-hmm. and he was still making improvements. So it's like, of course you're going to yeah. pour every dollar you can, you know. I mean, he he left broke, you know, when he, when he left the sport uh, as a racer. So the most impactful thing that I've heard doing this job is Anita button. Hmm. She told, and she says this in our docuseries, the first bill that they got came in a box, a box showed up (laughs) freaking UPS box. That's how big it was. Mm -hmm. She was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I don't, I don't even, she was just so focused on getting her son back. Like she didn't know anything. She learned all this stuff because of Jimmy. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, as a, whether you're a wife or a mom or or whatever. Yeah. You're so focused on just, let's just get our, this guy healthy again. Yeah. Meanwhile, those boxes start stacking up Mm -hmm. of bills. Yeah. And that's what we do. So we jump in and we'll, we talk directly with the caretakers, the medical support system, the doctors and nurses, um, the billing straight with the insurance. So you, they don't have to. Like, that's one less stress that we can take off these athletes and their families' lives. Like, please let us do that. Yeah. Well, we've loved having you guys a part of our shows. Hopefully, we can get back to doing some live ones yeah. because... And some more events. I realize it's not <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I think... Uh, those did bring in some money for you guys and, um, shout out to the guy who bought our signature board too. paid yeah. a thousand bucks for that. Um, uh, Matt Walsh. Is that right? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that anyway, he sent me a picture. Super nice dude. Yeah. You um, it. yeah. Appreciate that. And, and, uh, we'll do that again for this year. Every guest we found this year, we've got another board we'll send out and, um, anything we can do to support you guys. It's, um, I don't, it's one of those things where I don't think people realize how much you guys do until they need you. And then that's usually how it is. You guys are saviors for real. Um, Yeah. So anything else you want to discuss or get out there? What do you guys have coming up for events? Anything? Oh, so we just launched things. (laughs) I like that tee up. Yeah. Uh, We just launched a raffle or sweepstakes with Rigid and a Polaris. It's a 2018 Polaris General all tricked out with rigid lights and accessories. I was riding around at Paula and it's amazing. Like, it's super tricked out. And so you buy tickets for this? Yes. Be a raffle? You can check it out on our website, um, and the links are all there. Mm-hmm. And that's roadtorecovery.com? Yes. So uh, that with the number two, With correct? the number two, yeah. yes. Please and thank you. And then we'll also be posting it on social. It's $10 a ticket, pulling the winner in December, perfect time for Christmas or holiday that you may or may not observe. So it's a good time. <laughs> Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Hanukkah. You know, I'm just reaching it out for everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, like I said, let's keep our fingers crossed that life finds some normalcy and we can actually put some people back in the saloon and 
um, have some fun again. Sounds like a plan. All right. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Lori. Thank Stay you. tuned. We're going to be right back to wrap up the show. Well, that's our show, folks. Jill, take us out with some sponsors, buddy. Yeah, that was a good one. I enjoyed that. Um, of course, thanks to everyone that listens, and thank you for supporting our sponsors, which are Yamaha. Um, they got a lot of all their new bikes coming in at the moment, so check check out your local dealer. PowerDot, 20% off using the Whiskey Throttle code, as well as Method Race Wheels. You can get 20% off there. Troy Lee Designs, go check out their new um, series of gear, as they call it, MyLine. They've got a whole um, variety from mild to wild to entry level to to the very high-end materials. Dunlop, all the best tires, of course, no matter what you run. I saw everyone running, uh, most of the guys running Dunlop at the vintage races even. Pro Circuit, they race, they win, they build great product. Nahila Concepts, you order and use the code Whiskey Throttle, you get a free gift. So, uh, can't tell you what it is, but it's pretty sweet. Seat Concepts, really comfortable seats. They make uh, for a variety of uh, machines, and as you know, they're always working on new products, so there again, check it out. They might not have something for your machine right now, but there's a good chance they're working on it and it'll be available soon. Fire Department Coffee, keeping us going, keeping Ping alive with all his uh, activities he's got going on. Also 20% off using the code Whiskey Throttle. So if you drink coffee, buy from Fire Department Coffee. It's really good stuff, I promise. Specialized, just the best in their um, department. If you're looking for a good uh, bicycle, downhill, cross-country, e-bike, they really are the the best when it comes to that. OGO, they're the same, but with gear bags and hydration packs, and they make a lot of other cool little things. In fact, they actually just came to the shop the other day because they now have um, uh, little door bags for the inside, like your Polaris Razor or a can or whatever. Mm. So when you're out in the desert, just cool. But it's something you realize when you're bouncing around, you need your stuff stored away. Mm. It's not really a glove box and those things. Um, Paleo Ranch Foods, good stuff. What you put in is what you get out. So eat some good food and some good snacks. And uh, Langston Motorsports, that's our show, Ping. Yeah, that's it. Good stuff. Todd DeHoop, thank you so much for coming out. That was a fun walk down uh, your career. Uh, we've got lots of good shows coming up, so you guys stay tuned. Thanks for watching. <laughs>